Today, I'm thrilled to announce the next chapter in the long and exciting history between Disney Parks and Star Wars. We're creating a jaw-dropping new world that represents our largest single-theme land expansion ever. One more thing. We're not just building one of these. We're building two. And welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host of the show, and you are listening to episode 17, May the Force It Be With You. Joining me, as always, to take you through the next few hours of vintage collecting chat are the usual rebels. First up is our expanded universe nut with a love of R5D4 products. It's Dickie Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Next is the man with various odd balls, a TIE fighter fanatic and Star Wars completist. It's Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. I do, mate. Next is our gentle giant, a love of Leia and pregnant Padmes, which I have a hunch may extend to Ray very soon. It's Peter Davis. Good evening, Petey Weedy. Hello, little fella. And finally, someone whose manly status was questioned by Rich last month, something which has yet failed to prove since the last show. He's a Luke X-Wing pilot focus collector with a stunning display of vintage memorabilia. It's Jez. Good evening, Jezebel. Good evening, Stu. Good evening, everyone. I love the way you always um, open this show up like it's rainbow. (laughs) It is rainbow. (laughs) It's as good as rainbow. It's better than rainbow. Now, I don't know about you boys, but I am so excited about this show. So much good stuff coming up. The show notes are amazing, so I think this is going to be a standout show this month. So let's begin by hearing what we've been purchasing since the last show. So uh, let's go to the list. Rich. Not a, a massive amount of purchases for me this month. I've managed to pick up... No, this is true, actually. I, I had to sit down and write this list. And I thought, well, I must have more than this, but I don't think I have. So I picked up a Revenge of the Jedi R5-D4 proof card, a poppy R5-D4 sealed baggy, and other than that, all the rest was modern items, um, which I'm not going to individually list, but obviously I did get a little bit of the Force Awakens stuff. Um, but what I'm also proud of is a Japanese remote control R5-D4 which uh, I think is a really cool little product, and there's some cracking Japanese stuff out there. Grant? Uh, yeah, I picked up a few bits and pieces, mate. Uh, highlights would have to probably be the Sigma soap dish, the land speeder soap dish, and uh, the Wonder Bread, Shelf Talker and Shelf Wobbler. So, yeah, some nice pieces this month. Very nice pieces from both of you so far. Let's see if we can keep it going. PD? Uh, not much for me. Uh, just a original Star Wars blaster, you know, the toy gun we talked about, from Uncle Ian in America. Have you been playing with it? Well, I don't want to like put batteries in it just in case it doesn't work, so I'm just going to leave it sitting how it is at the moment. But it looks really nice. Fair enough. And Jez. Well, the Luke focus is coming on. Delighted myself with a Luke X-Wing poppy and a Luke X-Wing twin pack, which actually, Stu, has only really cost me in total about 40 quid because I had a twin pack and I had a poppy and I've just sold them on to uh, to the next collectors who wanted them. So I've just upgraded, really, and uh, well chuffed with it. 
Yeah, nice. Nice items. What about you, mate? Well, I didn't think I'd purchased a great deal, and I had to actually um, have a little search on my paper to see what I bought. But uh, two bits of Sigma. I picked up the 3PO pencil tray and the Yoda money box. The pencil tray is hideous, I'm going to say. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I picked up a couple of mocks, or MOCs, for those uh, who it irritates. Uh, I've got a power drive mock, which I love, um, plus I purchased a 4LOM mock, which I had sent to Ian in the States. Now, the seller decided to send it in a jiffy bag, so a mint bubble is no longer mint, which was a bit annoying. Uh, also purchased a poppy figure as well, so it seems to be all the rage on the podcast. I've bought a Chewbacca one. Apart from that, just a couple of bits on Force Friday, so not a great, great deal. Right, uh, now, I don't know if anyone else here listens to the Galaxy of Toys podcast, do we? Yeah, I do, I do. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Around about the last, the time of our last episode, episode 16, they uh, released an episode celebrating 20 years of the Power of the Force 2 line, and uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it because it was something that I, I dabbled in at the time. I was just wondering if you boys had a involvement in those figures at the time. Um, now, Grant, you've been immersed in Star Wars toys for such a long period. I can't see how you didn't get involved with these. Did you buy them back in the day? Yeah, I did, mate. I actually messaged them after that podcast because I thought it was quite nostalgic, and I also messaged Rich as well. Asking him to look out for really cheap Power of the Force 2 ones, but I went all the way to 2002. I think I missed out on the, um, the Power of the Force 2 figures that came with the coins, but I was in bang and sinking me. I wanted all of it, you know, the vehicles, the figures, even those cruise missile troopers. Can you remember the horrible packs that they would attach on the back of Han Solo and Luke Skywalker's sand skimmers and all? Terrible stuff. But I tell you what, I did love those cinema scenes, man. You know, Han. Luke and Chewbacca, because that was the first time you could get, like, Han Solo in a Stormtrooper outfit. It was mind-blowing at the time. Do you know what? It's, it's funny you just, you should just say that. You say new message, Rich. I actually finished that podcast and thought to myself, I'd love to put a, together a full loose run, because I thought yeah. I've got a big yeah. area to fill, and I thought that'd be quite a nice, cheap way of doing it. Well, the thing is, is they didn't do that many vehicles either, so you could probably get a couple of vehicles as well and stick them in a glass cabinet. Off you go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think the Power Force range isn't as bad as some people make out. I think there were some dreadful ones at the start, but I mean a lot of figures which didn't appear in the original line. Yeah, they did do things like Tarkin, Slave Leia. Remember yeah, I mean, I mean tons of stuff. I mean it, it is actually a hell of a range. Just it was just those ones that get all the attention, all the all the real muscly ones, and then they kind of chilled out a bit after a while. <laughs> didn't get so muscly, but yeah, it's, um, I, I mean the ships are pretty much almost like remakes of the originals. But then you had like the T sixteen, and there's some new ones, weren't there? That you could get the A wing yeah. for the first time without having to spend a couple hundred pounds. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they, I mean again, the sculpts are reasonably the same. I mean the, the snow speed. You get those two side by side. Apart from some of the colour, they are very, very similar. We, we should do a modern podcast. Am I the only one who this just doesn't interest whatsoever? What? Oh, get rid of him. Get, get someone else back. The, I suppose on. the problem is, Jez, in 95 when they started coming out, what were you then? Um, 28, 29? It was probably at that time yeah. where you were getting married well, and having children, but the rest of us was just out of college and stuff, you know? I was only out of school in 95. Hang on, I'm, I'm older than Jez, aren't I? Well, actually, he, he actually said to me that he found the, the original Luke muscular steroid Luke quite intimidating. <laughs> What about the, the muscular Luke X-Wing pilot? He must have been really intimidating, then. <laughs> it just doesn't interest me. I don't know, it's just... Why do you like Star Wars, then, mate? What's your problem? I, I love Star Wars. I can't obviously that. not, you know. You obviously don't. There's Luke X-Wing, Luke X-Wing with his snow speeder white gloves on, huh? Where's your interest in that? Not really. Not really my cup of tea. I really want to get hold of the uh, the Korean labelled ones. When I said I was going to collect them, I wasn't going to go that mental. P, I'm not that oh, interested. Then what's the matter? Oh, <laughs> the Korean, the Korean oh, ones are awesome. There is one that takes it too far. I was just rich. Yeah, rich, yeah. rich, you collect every line. Have you got many of these? 
I didn't. I wasn't interested in them back in the day whatsoever. But I've got a box of about fifty or sixty MOCs, and I haven't got a clue what what they are. I've just got loads of them, and I'm pleased to say that each one has cost a maximum of two pound. Right. Well, <laughs> I was just uh, interested about the Power Force Two line. What people's takes on were, was it? But all collecting except Jez and Pete's putting together a Korean version. Nobody does Star Wars like the power of the Force from Kenner, the biggest, most realistic force in the universe. Only the power of the Force brings you the largest fleet of full-scale vehicles straight from the movies, like Darth Vader's Tie Fighter, the blazing laser lights and sounds of the Rebel Snowspeeder, and more of the biggest Star Wars heroes and villains. Like new Han Solo, Lando in disguise, and the evil Emperor. When it comes to big size, big movie sounds, and big detail, now you're playing with the power. Star Wars, the power of the Force. Figures and vehicles, each other type of batteries not included from Kenner. Right, so for this month's question, it's been down to me, and I wanted to copy a format of a sports radio show on BBC Radio 5 called Fighting Talk, which I love, okay? Well, basically, you get a question, you've got to answer it humorously, facts, interesting... I will beep you points, okay? Every time I beep, you get a point. Don't stop talking, okay? So you answer the question. There'll be three questions. The two of you that have the most points at the end of the uh, three rounds will go through to the final and we'll get a winner, okay? Quite easy, yeah? Right then, lads. First question. If you were a new character in the Star Wars universe, what would you be? How would you dress? Where would you fit into the story? And more importantly, what would your name be? So give me like a character buyer. So, Rich, start with you. I'll be the ultimate pool shark. I'll be going somewhere like the Mars Eisley Cantina. I'll be, I'll be playing pool for pints. Um, I'll have a, a fantastic uniform like Boba Fett with scopes on it. And I can fire lasers at the pool balls, work out all angles from, from computer telemetry. My backstory would be that I'm working my way up to be some kind of crack agent in Vader's fist or, you know, one of the big um, Imperial teams ready to take on Ewoks and I'm practising on the pool tables because I'm aiming for Ewoks eyeballs as I'm taking my shots. And the name, Rich, your name? The name, it would be Pool Shark. What a rubbish name. <laughs> right, Pete, let's go with you, son. I'm going to be Princess Leia's costume assembler. So wherever she goes in the universe, I'll be there putting her costume on for her and making sure she looks really, really, really foxy all the time. Because let's face it, she seems to be doing all this costume stuff on her own. Clearly not. Obviously, that was me putting on her little slave Leia costume, doing her buns, uh, getting her into that really tight-looking Hoth uniform thing and uh, making sure her white gown was always spotless. I would be Bernadette Alderaan. Because it's so stupid. Right, Jez. Hello, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. I'm going to be the background guy, the real guy who does all the smuggling. Someone who will actually get the job done without bragging about it in a cantina. I'll get it done without anyone realising what's going on. I've got myself an aircraft called the Juggernaut. And I've got someone who's going to fly with me, but at the moment you're not in a privileged position to know who's going to be flying with me with that secretive. If you want to come along and have some work done by us, you need to have a special handshake. I'll send you a link, and then when you get that link, you'll then get to our middleman who will then arrange the meeting. Okay, that's all I'm going to tell you. And the name? If I told you my real name, I would have to kill you. But for now, you can just call me Phil Asho. I get a real feeling, Jess, that you play this game in your mind when you're um, actually flying a helicopter. Is that just Jess's job he's just described? <laughs> 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 he does, yeah. 
giving you a giving you a rundown of his daily activities. <laughs> okay, uh, Grant. I would be an intergalactic Father Christmas, and I would fly around the universe until I crash land on a planet where I would send my friend off who would get killed and I would then befriend a little fast white thing and hopefully a little girl and my name be Moses <laughs> right at the end of the first round then Pete and Jez both on four points Grant and Rich on one second question then as you may have recently heard Disney will be introducing a Star Wars land at the theme park so what would your idea for a ride be and let's start with Jez everyone's going to be going around on banthers Right. The more you scream, the faster they go. Right. The more you kick, the more they buck and bronk. And it's just a complete banther off. And it's going to go crazy. You can actually befriend your banther. And if you're really, really good, you can sort of, you know, connect with him with your mind. Telepathic banthers. Telebanthers. It's, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be amazing. The only downside is it's going to be a little bit smelly around there. Because have you seen banthers poo? Oh my goodness, they 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 poo a lot. I like that. I like the telebanthers part. Grant. Oh, I think mine would be uh, when you line up a load of like uh, dead horses, but you make them look like tauntauns, and everyone has to like climb inside them and go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, uh, Pete. <laughs> I would have. A carbon freezing chamber. So, uh, if you've got like annoying people with you, like kids who aren't into it, or you've got your grandma you're taking, and you could dip her into carbon uh, for the day and just take her around, use her as a table, swat wasps away using her big carbon frame. Um, but then you could just go and put random people in there and have a huge display and do it like a house of cards thing. So you just have people just wandering around as carbonite. <laughs> Rich, you had a bit of thinking time this time. Time to redeem yourself. Well, mine would be a Millennium Falcon roller coaster, but it would be called Falcon Towers. It's a parody of Falcon Towers. So as a co-pilot, you would have Manuel flying the Falcon, and every time it crashed and you knocked your radar dish off, you'd hear a voice going, he's from Barcelona. And then you'd have Basil Falcon Solo, who's doing nothing but criticising your driving all the time as you're going up and down the, this roller coaster, with Sybil chewing on in your ear about how you've got so many jobs still to do. That was random. <laughs> it was really random, wasn't it? Um, what's, what's Sybil and Basil doing on a roller coaster? I'm confused. Yeah, well, that, that makes the scores. Jez now leading on eight, Pete is on six, and Grant and Richard are both on four. They're closing down. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Get into the final. So, finally, <laughs> Rich, final question. Which vintage figure do you think is the actual best figure they made, not necessarily your favourite, the best vintage figure you think they made, and defend why you think it is better than the rest of the figure line? And let's start with Grant. Well, I think it's the Jawa. I think it's the most unusual figure. I think it's because, first of all, you've got the vinyl cape, which has got a little legacy behind it. Then you have the cloth cape. The cloth is extremely rich, probably the best cape or accessory in all the different accessories. And you get lots of different types of stitching. You get a removable hood, you get extra stitching, you get no stitching at all. You get big eyes, you get little eyes. Jawa has everything. Good answer. I like that. Let's go to Pete. I'm going to go controversially for Luke Hoff, because he's the only figure with motion. His little uh, little headscarf thing looks like it's blown in the wind. So he's got motion. It's the only action action figure, and he actually does look a little bit like Luke Skywalker because the rest of them don't. Um, Come on, I got a point for action action figure. Okay, there you go. As you asked one. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Rich, I'm going to go for IG8, which may be a bit unusual, 
Okay, but you've got dull IG-8, you've got shiny IG-8, you've got two weapons, you've got hose, no hose, um, you've got a few different um, scored, unscored, and you've also got the 12-inch, well actually it's 15-inch version, isn't it, with the ammo, the grenades, um, a couple of weapons on that one as well, I mean, what more can you want for your money? And a fan yeah, yeah, too right. Deduct points. He went off on a tangent about 12 inch. Well, it's an action figure, isn't it? What? Are you taking a point off us because I'm yeah. talking about action figures? Well, you moved figures, because the three and three. I didn't. Three. Can I start talking about tauntauns as well? <laughs> no, because you said, look, I said, I. Oh, I just had a tauntaun in there because he he featured on the front of the box of the tauntaun with the open belly and stick him inside. Oh yeah, like that will help. Stu, Stu, can I have an extra point? I think I need an extra point. I now. got a reason why. I got a reason why though. <laughs> yeah, but Pete, you don't just. Get one. I like an extra point because when I described the bearded Santa Claus that flew across the universe and sent his friend out and befriended a fast little thing and a little girl was actually the character from Battle for End or the movie. I think you need points taken off for this slightly eerie child <laughs> thing. Oh, I already deleted a point for the, the child. But that was single. That was single. Jez, Jez, let, let's go to Jez's answer. Bit Jez, dirty. you need just two points to get to the final. Well, it's a done deal, fellas, because I'm delighted that none of you said Squidhead. Squidhead is the absolute man. Let's face it, not only is he a character based on Gerald Home, the gentleman in Star Wars autographs, Squidhead has got ev- absolutely everything you want. If you now look at that figure, you'll see the fact that he's got his cape. Yeah, quite a few figures have got a cape. He's got a cape and a skirt. He's got a crazy face, which makes him look like he's a predator. He's got the most insane hands with just three long pointy fingers and a blaster. He's got his belt, which you've seen carded where it's been upside down or the, the correct way round. So when you bear in mind all of his accessories and his rather dapper looking cuffs, he can wear this sort of thing out on a black tire bend because of the cuffs, the skirt. He's got it all rocking. And he's just there with his little fish face and his blaster saying, yeah, I've got this. Done. Do you know what? I think we exposed to something there, you know? He was a little bit, like, you know, really into Squidhead. <laughs> I think he had a side focus of Squidhead after that. Yeah. Respect for the Gerald Home, though. Well yeah. spotted, Jez. Well spotted. The final scores in for the final. Richard, you finished last on six. Pete, third on nine. Grant, you came through on ten with a great last answer. And Bam. Jez, you're in the final as well with 13. Now, yeah, come on, Squid Boy. So the final... <laughs> You must now defend any statement I give. So whatever I say to you, you have to defend it, okay? You have to defend it. Regardless of whether you agree with it or not, you've got to defend it. So, Jez, you won. Do you want to go first or second? You want to go first, yeah? Right, Jez, your statement you need to defend is... You've got 20 seconds, and you need to fill the 20 seconds, by the way, okay? You're defending indefensible. I wish I was manly as C-3PO. He makes me look far more cowardly than I actually am. C-3PO is the absolute man. Of course I want to be like him. He's been in six gonna be seven Star Wars movies. This guy can speak so many different languages, even when he doesn't feel manly. He can just speak in a different language and completely confuse anyone, not just a Bristol boy like me. This guy's completely polished. I've got no hair on my head, but at least his head is shiny. Yeah, he is far more manly than me, and one day... That is time. Well done, Jez. You've really, you've really got the hang of this and got straight in hold. <laughs> Grant, I love you grading, and wish I had the funds that I could you grade my entire collection. So, uh, being vain and self-centred, I think destroying the culture of Star Wars is vitally important to me, and as long as I can see those... In my collection, knowing that there's people, collectors out there in tears over this, I, that's why I get out of collecting, and that's why I will U-grade to the day I die. I love Time it more up. than anything. Brilliant. Um, Pete and Rich, who do, you, who do you think should win? it have to be Jez. Rich? Yeah, I'd agree. Probably Jez. Right, so Jez wins.
Now, let's go over to this month's Rebel Briefing. Closer to, farthest from. From Olympia to Crossroads. A fool in his money. ABC prophecy, misread, it wasn't. Force Friday farce. The rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Uh, Rich, closest to, farthest from. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> was that me or was it? <laughs> um... Where are you going with this story? 216, 4, 8, 58, 0, 0. So, Stu, what's the significance of those numbers? Uh, is that the... I reckon it's something to do with the time until Force Awakens. Seconds? Ooh, no. Go on. I no idea, man. Beat? Is that like a, a northern postcode? Well, you're very <laughs> close... Actually, starting with myself, it's the IQ of the podcast team. Um, <laughs> truthfully, though, what I've just given you there is the number of days between the US and the UK general releases of the six Star Wars films that we've had so far. And last week it was announced that the UK release date of The Force Awakens has been brought forward by one day to December the 17th, which is a Thursday, meaning that we see the movie before the Americans which isn't quite payback for the two months that we had to stay off the internet for back in 1999, but here at least I'll take it. So, guys, any ideas why the release date has been brought forward? Yeah, but Richard, you're missing something really important. Mm-hmm. The French get it before us. Ah, well, I'm going to get on to that. I'm going to, at least I know the reason for that one. Oh, the but French. But I don't, I don't know the reason for the UK release date being brought forward. Uh, is it because Star Wars is a British movie? <laughs> yeah. Um, didn't um, George Lucas once say, and I'm not saying it was anything to do with George Lucas, but didn't um, he once say that he liked to release films in like the midweek so families could go and see the films at the weekend and and not so, you know, crazy people like us taking up all the seats for the weekend show and so they bring it back a little bit so we don't fill the cinemas full of lunatics with lightsabers. Oh, I've, I've never heard that, but... Uh... you never heard that, no? No, oh, I've, I've heard that, he's right there. You mm-hmm. need to like Star Wars a little bit more. Yeah, I need to. Yeah. Sense as well, doesn't it? Personally, I've, I mean, I've been looking at it. We do have a lot of films released on a Thursday in the UK, so I'm not even entirely sure that this has been brought forward. Personally, I just think that December the 18th was given as a global release date, and the reason why I think that is because of what Pete just said there. The French have date of the day before, which is the 17th, and now I do know the reason for that one, so Pete, you, you brought it up. Do you know why the French are releasing it on Wednesday? Huh? Stu? Stu is French, yes. he should know this. Yeah, no, you, you, you're more <laughs> or less in France, yeah. <laughs> no, no idea. No idea. Right, well, the French have a new rule in place whereby all new films that are not made in France have to be released on a Wednesday. Ooh. So, it stands to reason that if the, if the French were always going to have this film released on the Wednesday, and the 18th was the global release date, if, if it was going to be pulled forward in France, you know, it, ma- it makes sense to pull us forward as well. Or even if they bother doing that, because perhaps we have so many films released on a Thursday 
but there has to be a reason for it. So, so do we have the same rule that if it's actually made in this country, it has to be? <laughs> I have no idea. I, I, I personally don't think the date has been pulled forward. I think it's always been scheduled for a Thursday, um, and I just think that's because we have so many films released on a Thursday. Yeah, Phantom Menace was on Thursday. Yeah. So I've had a look at it, how box office statistics and that are calculated, because I was wondering if it had something to do with the opening weekend, but they can't count a Thursday, so it can't have anything to do with opening day figures. Rich, I don't think, I, I don't think The Force Awakens is going to have to worry about the opening weekend. I'm sure the cinemas will be full. I'm sure that'll be the case as well, but you, you know what um, some guys are like with statistics, and you know yourself, the Daily Mail will have it as the biggest flop going if it doesn't you know, break records. Well, the uh, analysts have come out and they said that it's going to beat the 535, which is held by Avengers, and it could go as high as 600 million on an opening. Well, we all know that if given the chance, we would watch it, say, five times in a row. <laughs> you know, just like sit there in the cinema and go, right, play it again and again if it's good, and just keep playing it. This is working out a little bit better for me, actually, because I think it would be a Wednesday midnight showing, wouldn't it? That would probably work better than a Thursday for me, the time of <gasps> year, so I am pleased. I've got to rebook the time off work. Oh. I booked the wrong day off. I know that you guys were um, talking about a meet-up to go and see the film, um, and I wouldn't be able to make that, so I was thinking I'm going to have to stay off Facebook for probably close to 48 hours to avoid spoilers, but now I'm I'm pleased. I'm, I'm, I'm happier today earlier. Something I've been chuckling at, though, is the reports that some Americans will fly to France or UK to see the film at the 24 or 48 hours earlier. Uh, guys, can you really see that happening? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. The only thing is, they don't really realise that it's probably going to be either dubbed or subtitled, so they're going to be a bit narked by that, I'm sure. I mean, mate, we, we flew all the way to Los Angeles to see a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly. live on television. <laughs> well, if anybody listening to this show is going to travel to France or to the UK to see The Force Awakens a few hours earlier, by all means get in contact with us, because we'd love to have you on, and we'd love to hear the reasons for it. And uh, finally, guys, if only if it was brought forward by one week, because then we could have watched a special screen in the Father's Farm, which is taking place the weekend of the 12th and 13th of December. Perhaps Dave should apply for a premiere for all of the good work he does for Star Wars and other action movie franchises. Would you guys be up for that, watching The Force Awakens in the uh, church hall down in Fordenbridge on his um, on his PowerPoint uh, screen? I'd need a slightly more comfier chair and lots of popcorn. I don't ever want to cry in front of all of you. <laughs> You've done that, Grant, but, you know, that's that's another story. I think it's good to, to show your emotions, Grant. I'd like to do a tour, though, do you know what I mean? Like, it'd be nice to see, especially the guys off the forum, is to see if we could organise something after the initial impact, maybe after Christmas, of getting a meet-up in London, maybe at the Charles Cinema or something, and, and organise some events, because it'd be great to see this film with everyone. That's a good shout, that actually, because, I mean, I'm going to watch the film, and I'm sure Stu's probably going to do the same, we're going to watch it with our kids, and then we'll be looking to go back, but I don't know if my son will be that keen to go back again, and, and that's a good shout if we get groups of forum guys together to go and watch it. I went to see Attack of the Clones six times, and Jesus, I can't stand that film, so I'll definitely be there. The moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. From Olympia to Crossroads, uh, Rich, what's the story behind this one? Yeah, well, Showmars does, who, as we know, do the London Film and Comic Cons and a few other cons up and down the country, announced back in mid-August that they were changing venue for the winter London Film and Comic Con. And it was a a bit of a a cryptic message that they put up online. And by all accounts, it looks as though that the 7th and 8th of November, 
which was the day it's penciled in for London Film Comic Con. The venue has actually been a bit of a problem and they're going to head off to Brighton. So guys, London Film Comic Con to Brighton Film Comic Con, does it have the same ring for you? Does this mean there's not going to be one in London? Well, you see, that was part of the cryptic part of it, because it wasn't really that clear. But I've done quite a bit of digging, and it's a one-off. Next year, London Film and Comic Con for the winter will be back in London, and there's still always going to be the summer London and Film Comic Con as well. Yeah, I was just thinking, in Brighton, where that toy Tony lives? Yep. Well, Road trip. <laughs> yeah, he's doing autographs, mate. You autograph your toy Tony carded figures for 15 quid. Yeah, and re-ironing if, them, yeah, if they come it wouldn't apart. surprise me yeah, so when Showmasters book the Olympia they don't book the entire Olympia the, the book part of it which I'd imagine I mean Grant you've been there is it is it one or two of the main halls and a few sides I, I haven't been to the Olympia but they probably do either book one or, or two of the, of the big halls but I think because the London Film and Comic Con has grown so much um, between them and the Olympia, they've kind of said, we can't do this, not when you've got other little mini events going on around. So, by all accounts, they've been looking for venues, and it, it is quite surprising that they couldn't find another venue in London, and the, the biggest venue that they could find that could take them is in Brighton, and it's in a hotel, which uh, I think had a couple of us chuckling, thinking, how could the hotel in Brighton be bigger than the London Olympia? But by all accounts, the hotel that they've found has a square metre of 10,000, which is pretty big. Guys, does Brighton have that same ring for you? I mean, Pete, would would you head off to Brighton Film and Comic Con instead of the London one? Probably more so. Uh, I think things should be all around the country. Uh, Brighton is an amazing place. Uh, you've got some the, the the North Lane shops are all full of knickknacks and bits and pieces, and, and you can find vintage things all over the place, so... I think it's a perfect venue. They, they do have a lot, of, or they have, or they used to have a lot of kind of comic cons and stuff down in Brighton because you're, the um, the venue I'm thinking of is right next to the uh, the beachfront. So yeah, absolutely, I'd, I'd be more good for going there than than going to London. To be fair, well, they have a lot of the uh, political parties go down there for the conferences. And I went down to one of those, and some of those hotels are actually really big, and they, you know they stretch back quite a way, and there's a lot of conference rooms there. If I was to go there, it'd have to be, say, because we're in the Brighton area, we could have Toy Tony, and maybe, without saying any names, the instigator behind what kicked off the Toy Tony scandal, and maybe they could have, like, an ironing competition together. I'd definitely go there. <laughs> and I, it'd be um, like back to the 90s, wouldn't it? Back to the 90s ironing competition. Who was the best ironer? So, what do you think about how late this announcement was? I mean, August, the announcement was made, 2020th, somewhere on about there. London Winter Comic Con, 8th of November. Would hotels have already been booked? Would transport arrangements have already been made to head off to London? Well, probably not, because these locations are, you're talking an hour's drive for me, so, you know, unless all of us were going and we were having a jolly up, then no, but, um, no, not for me. It doesn't affect me like that. It's the kind of thing I'd book a ticket for the week before if I was going to go. I've been reading a lot online about some people have seen, you know, that they've had to cancel hotels and things like that. I mean, it happens up and down the country, doesn't it? If, if a music band had booked, I don't know, the O2 Arena to play, and then they cancelled because, I don't know, the drummer was arrested for drug abuse or something like that. It happens. For me, Brighton, probably a little bit too far, but I wasn't going to go to London anyway. So, I think Pete's... Actually, Pete, November, though, in Brighton, is it still going to have the same pull for it that an uh, August Brighton would have? I don't know. I mean, it'd probably be colder, but it's still a, it's still a nice place to go to. Because it's, you know, it's a great it's, night it's, out. It, yeah, it's a great night out. You've got so many good places to go to. I, I think it's just a better choice, personally, because it's got a beach. So some great guests have been announced for what's now dubbed as the Brighton Comic Con, but normality should be resumed next year when it heads back to London. Death Star approaching. 
Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Well, Rich, the next headline sounds like they're talking about you, a fool and his money. Not quite true, Stu, because you know how frugal I am with my money. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've noticed <laughs> this 12-back hand solo off a 90 selling for $11,000. Now, there were two completely different camps on this. Camp one, stupid money, guy's got no brains, clear having sanity, he's driving up prices, what he thinks he's doing, um, racking it up on a credit card. Um, these kind of people won't be here in six months' time. The film's going to tank. This guy's going to lose a fortune on it. And then you've got Cam 2, who are arguing... Now, hold on a second. This is a 12-back hand solo. I think it's on an A-card back. It's an AFA 90, which is very desirable, difficult to get a hold of. Perhaps this is a Citibank or somebody who works in some kind of um, high-end technology place. Is it investment for the future? We don't personally know the buyer circumstances. Is it the last of the 12 bucks that he was after at an AFA 90? What harm is he doing to the hobby? So two completely different camps. And whenever I think of camp, I think of Jez. So, Jez, of those two camps, which one would you see you be in? Base camp. The only camp. Camp one. Camp one. You think it's just insane? Yeah. Pete, have you been following 12 bucks at all? And how much would a 12 buck Han Solo, I think it was Pinhead, go for in a Kenner card in... Nice condition. Ooh. They don't seem to come up for it that often. Um, no, they don't. I, I mean, I, I remember doing a little bit of search for Palatoy ones, and, and even then, they're, they're reasonably scarce, but um, I'd have to have a quick look at the Star Wars tracker and let you know. Yeah, Hollywood Heroes sold one the other day for about 500 quid. 500 pound? Yeah. <laughs> I was looking to buy it myself. Five, five, six hundred pound it went for. Like, it what wasn't was in perfect condition? condition, but it was a lot cheaper. Yeah, I mean, you know, whilst I think it's foolish, I'm, I'm certainly not going to, you know, belittle the guy or, or say anything like that, but it just seems crazy that when you consider that the Dewey Shoemate auction, the things which were coming up there, which we covered a couple of months back, and what you could get, you know, one-offs, bit of pre-production stuff, one-of-a-kind, great for a collector. I mean, this just reeks to me of, of someone who possibly, I don't know, just, they're all serious collectors, but it just seems to me that somebody who's just thought, yeah, that's an iconic person, um, who knows, you know, Han Solo in, in episode seven, it's gonna kick off, it's gonna, it's gonna go massive, but I mean, come on, have a word of yourself. AFA 90, yes, there might not be that many AFA 90s, but I bet there are a load of mint, ungraded ones, which you could just turn around in, and of all those mint, ungraded ones, a few of those could be AFA 90, then your investment has just completely gone down the toilet. I just, I don't see the logic. There is no logic. Yeah, I've done a bit of prep work on this, Jez, and I think I found an AFA 80, um, which sold not that long ago, maybe three, four months ago, for two and a half thousand. Is this harming the hobby? No, I don't, I don't think so. You've got one item there being sold for silly money. The bloke's bonkers to pay that, in my opinion. I just wonder how many Kenner signs he could have got for that sort of money. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. AFA-90s have no impact on me whatsoever, and I really hope everyone with deep pockets starts chasing all these AFA-90s and uh, leaves everything else for us lot to, to mop up as they're going around. Paying for the sticker again, aren't they? Grant, 12 bucks, are they rare? No, they're not rare, mate. What, what's your gauge of rare? I mean, uh, everyone has 12 bucks. If everyone has 12 bucks in their collection, it means they're not rare. So why do people want them? Because they were the first figures out, weren't they? Pete... You're not particularly um, a fan of AFA and haven't heard you say much about AFA, actually. But would you prefer to have, I don't know, a, a displayable set of 12 bucks, or would you prefer to have one or two real high AFA 90s? I have no 
no interest, Rich, in graded items whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I think it looks alright, that means it can have a dent in it, a bit of missing, it doesn't matter. I mean, mm-hmm. that to me says more, because it was on, it was on a, it was in a shop for years, a peg warmer, or, or it wasn't, or someone kept it. I mean, really, you know, this whole grading thing just, to me, for me, Absolute nonsense. I really don't care about it. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, well, I echo what the other guys said. I mean, twelve bats coming up, coming up at auction all the time. We we've had twelve bats galore this year at, uh, at Vectus in auctions. So they're not rare at all. They're just highly desirable for some people, but they're definitely not rare. It's interesting that some guy did a comparison as if he was going to buy the full set of twelve at that price, and he estimated that fifty-five thousand dollars would get you the twelve back. Can I say? Why do you think I'm bringing this one up, Pete? Oh, I know, because about a year ago you said you could get them for 70000 Yeah, and <laughs> and if you remember, Pete's argument was there were Palatoys, and one of them was the final key of Jawa, and you absolutely destroyed me on the podcast, and yet here we've got 55000 with 12 back kenners and not with final key of Jawa. So in your face. That's how we'll be arranged in five minutes. The ABC prophecy misread it, wasn't. Um... Rich, could you put those words back in the correct order? No, that was obviously uh, Yoda speaking. You picked up on that, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, sure, because I know what you like. Yeah, guys, so a video appeared on ABC News uh, in the last few days, dated the 30th of November 1978, and by all accounts, very few people have actually seen this. So let's play that clip now. This year, a lot of kids are asking their parents for space toys for Christmas, and the demand is having a tremendous effect on the toy industry. Industry-wide sales are up by almost 8%, most of the increase attributable to the space toys craze. But Cincinnati-based Kenner Corporation sales are up 40%, and Kenner officials say the movie Star Wars is responsible. Last year, Kenner won the rights to manufacture toys based on the movie, paying millions in royalties. But Kenner says it'll pay off. They've shipped over 30 million Star Wars toys this season, and they're firmly convinced the craze could last for years. Uh, The attitude we're taking in our planning is that George Lucas has created this marvelous fantasy world, peopled by all kinds of droids and exciting creatures, and uh, we think that uh, it could be another Disney. Maybe uh, 50 years from now, they'll be celebrating uh, R2-D2's 50th uh, anniversary. Many toy lines have tried to duplicate Disney's success. All have failed. But even if R2-D2 doesn't become another Mickey Mouse, it's made a very Merry Christmas for the toy industry. Rob North for ABC News. What you've seen there, obviously, is a reporter for ABC News who's been uh, taking a little stroll down one of the toy aisles. Um, did you see anything nice in the background that you would like in your collection? Yes, I did. I saw a plush RTD2 shop display. I would love that thing. Yeah. I think, didn't someone just buy that, like Sublevel Studios or some, someone just, oh, Mark Ferris it was, Curry Monster on the forum. It was he Curry got Monster, one. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he got one, didn't he? Uh, yeah. yeah, I would, I would take the shop display of all things. <laughs> I thought that would be the case. Quite a few of those NPC Darth Vader snap together models, wasn't there? Yep. Don't see them very often. I didn't notice any action figures, which is unusual when you see shots of these old toy stores. It normally focuses on the action figures, but this, this clip hasn't. This clip is amazing, man, and it just shows you that it was a working factory. These things were thrown around. Yeah. You know, you get this, like, U-grade in and all this kind of stuff. 
these things, it was just like a normal factory where stuff was just thrown around and dropped on the floor and kicked around. And I think it's brilliant the way that these inserts are being rammed into the boxes because they're all, you can see the guy whacking the, ta- the, yeah. the swing into the box and then the inserts are picked up, the squash, they're shoved in the box. So when people are sending these boxes to be, you know, these sealed boxes to be upper graded and they're coming out with an 85 and the 90, but inside these, you know, the, the creased inserts, you can imagine quite a few people wincing and looking at the collection now, but it's brilliant, it's character, it's history. Also, Richard, they're, they're being assembled, it looks like in America as well, rather than, I guess, they're being produced in far-off countries and lands, but uh, it looks like they're being assembled there, but you wouldn't get that now. Yeah, I think that was that was the thing, though, wasn't it? It's like made in China and made in Hong Kong and then shipped over and, you know, Pali Toy or Kenner just put it all together. And they look so bored, don't they? I know that he looks like hard work. I mean, that guy boxed like three X wings in about four seconds. They'd be on, they'd be on factory targets though to 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 ship out in you know, an X amount per day. That's that's the thing. I mean, like in China, they they you know they drive people to the bones on these big manufacturers. I mean, I wonder what they, I wonder what their daily target would have been to to churn those out. And Stu wouldn't have even been born for another ten years. It's amazing. Is that, yeah, video, I mean, though. he wouldn't have seen Star Wars yet. Towards the end, didn't you? <laughs> then did you pick up the bit that's got everybody buzzing? Yeah, thirty. I mean, how, how predictive was that? I mean, that was fascinating. I just looked at that and thought, oh my goodness. But going back to the whole production thing, what you guys were talking about, oh yeah, he was just smashing them out. Yeah, that's because he wasn't distracted with his smartphone, with some ping or some zing, because you've got a WhatsApp or a Facebook thing or a Facebook messenger from someone or what have you. They haven't got their smartphone just going crazy all the time. He's there thinking, yeah, just going to scan this. Yeah, just going to pack this. And oh, here's another X-Wing. Here's another X-Wing. Oh, I've got a tea break in an hour. So, yeah, you know, these, these guys would have just the workhorse, you know, the workforce. Nowadays, people are just distracted. I say, ban smartphones in the workplace. Yes, of yes, all, the, th- all the things you got from that video was banned smartphones. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to take Jez to a factory and see what actually happens. No one's playing on a smartphone. No, just... not no, Jez. Honestly. There they are. No, They're no. not. They're not allowed to. Guys, the point is the uh, Disney thing, though. I think that's the that's the shocker there in the R2-D2 that's in 50 years. R2-D2 is almost 40 years old now, and look at him now. He's, he's in a new trilogy. And so, as Grant said there, the guy likened um, R2-D2 to Mickey Mouse... And got a very, very quick little game for you here. And I've got the top 78 Disney characters. And you're going to call out a number between 1 and 78. I'm going to tell you the character. And I want you to match it to the nearest matching Star Wars character you think of. Okay, start off with Stu. Between 1 to 78. 78. 78, right. You've got the dog of 101 Dalmatians. I've never seen it. Uh, 77. <laughs> 77. Uh, you've got Basil of the Great Basil, the Great Mouse oh. Detective. I was going to go for 77. Uh, Yoda. Oh, that, that's quite, actually, I can see that, yeah, I can see that. Sherlock Holmes and Yoda work quite well. Pete? Oh, 23. 23. You, you've got the Sully of Monsters, Inc. Chewbacca, I guess. Yeah, Chewbacca, possibly Gamorian God. Wampa. Yeah, Wampa. Chewbacca's pretty better. Sure. Yeah, Wampa, Wampa's probably more. Oh, Wampa, yeah, brilliant. Grant? Two. Is the boy of Sword in the Stone? Luke Skywalker. Yeah. These are, these are, you can get quite a lot of matches here. Go on, Jez. I'll go for my age, 27. What is it, 87? <laughs> it stopped at Times years. two, Jazz. Yeah, 27. Uh, I don't know who that is. It's some lass. Pick another one. <laughs> oh, Princess Leia. <laughs> some lass. <laughs> I will say number seven. Number seven is... It's Lilo of Lilo and Stitch. Oh, Princess Leia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's more like an Ewok. Yeah. Princess, Ni- Princess Nisa. 
Yeah, <laughs> good call. And finally, Stu, Force Friday report. Um, I believe that you have met up with, is it Dan Burgess at one of the London stores? Yeah, I did meet up with Dan and um, we went to the Brent Cross event. Um, and I got to speak to Dan because there was a lot of excitement when I first met him before we go in. And it was a very deflating experience and uh, you can tell that from from Dan's uh, Dan's interview here so let's go straight to that right now a few days ago I attended Force Friday in Brent Cross London uh, the Toys R Us shop with Dan Burgess good evening Dan good evening mate right now Dan we met there at about half past eight yeah something like that quarter to nine yeah so before you went in Dan what were your expectations on what you were going to see and was there any products you were in particular looking for yeah, I, I mean, I knew a lot of what was coming out through Facebook and some stuff had been posted. You kind of hope there's some something else there. You know, there's some vintage, they bought out a vintage set of cards or something like that. But no, it was what was I was expecting pretty much. The Biro BB-8, that was something that I was hoping they'd have there. But I since found out, I think it's only John Lewis and uh, and the Disney store that were doing it. Possibly a few other places since. But yeah, they were the main two that I was told after. But yeah, so I was a little bit disappointed they didn't have that. Now, you, you were quite near the front, weren't you? Because they were giving out numbers. Yeah, Number eight, I think you were number nine. Number eight and number nine, that is correct. So, by the time you got in there, what was the stock like? Well, they had, I found, again, I I, I think one of the things I kind of had my eye on was the six-inch, the Black Series, but I found out they only had one set of four, I think four or five figures, and the guy who had been there, I think he got there at three o'clock in the morning, he was first through the door and he he grabbed them as soon as he got in there, which I don't blame him really, I can't hold that against him, but it was a little bit of a poor show considering there was probably well over a hundred people queuing to get in there and had one set of the four figures that probably everyone wanted. Yeah, that was the problem, wasn't it, everyone around me, there was nothing there that people were wanting, and I know for a fact people walking out that were uh, (laughs) looking for certain things that had been there all day. Did you actually purchase anything? Yeah, I got a couple of the three and three quarter inch, um, just the regular figures. I got a Captain Phasma and a Kylo Ren. And have you opened was, them? No, I haven't. I haven't. I'm, I'm considering taking them back to be quite honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's either that or I'll, um, I'll, I'll put them up and give them to my boy for Christmas. I'm, I haven't quite decided yet. So, so generally, as you went in there, yeah, disappointing. You, you no, said, well, I tell you what. I, I actually, you know, the crap when we got there. So it was me, you, Pete showed up with one of his mates and bumped into Mark Newbold and that. And it was a good. I thought it was a good atmosphere. They had the, they were beaming scenes from the movies up on the side of the building, and it was. I thought it was really good. I, it was a. It was a bit. Dis- I, I kind of. You kind of. I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting when I got in there. There was a wall of product. A lot of it was stuff we've seen before. So, you know, the, you know, Lego, okay, it's different sets, but, you know, a lot of, you know, the Millennium Falcon Lego set, they've done that before. And, you know, the, the lightsabers and the masks and the, you know, the crazy 30 inch figures. And it was, you know, stuff we've seen before. You kind of hope that they're going to pull something different out of the bag, but it was the same old, same old. And, you know, I picked my figures up. I, I think I was the first person to check out, although I was eighth in the queue. I was, I think James Burns was taking snaps of me as I checked out because I was the first person out I got my t-shirt and my poster and and, and went, on my, went on my way but looking back though, I was a little bit disappointed when I came but looking back I think you know the purpose of it I think was you know just to show you what was there more than anything else yeah. I, I think I think it accomplished that really 
It's just a shame they didn't have more of the Black Series, because that's what I think most people were after. Yeah, well, like I said, the bloke alongside me purely wanted Black Series, yeah. and the Millennium Falcon with a little Nerf gun, and they had no oh, yeah. he, walked, he walked straight back out again, and it was like, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there were people were walking out of there, they were absolutely fuming, because you know, as soon as I got out, I was kind of standing around outside, seeing the people coming out. The people were in the queue, were asking me, oh, what is there, what is there? So I was kind of, I didn't want to give them the bad news, so I was going, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, you know, a few bits and pieces. <laughs> Well, I was number nine, and I picked up the last three and three quarter inch Kylo Ren, and that's right. the ninth person in, which is yeah, that is yeah. that is poor showing, isn't it? So, yeah. How many people do you think were in the queue? Well, I, I, there had to it's got there had to be at least a hundred. I mean, by the time we went in, the, the queue was going around the building, so around the corner of the building. So you, I don't know, two hundred max, maybe between a hundred and two hundred people. I would have liked to have known exactly what was left when the uh, the final person went in there. Yeah, I think we made a swift exit, didn't we? Got the hell out of there. It's probably be a riot. <laughs> what I was quite surprised about as well was I don't know if you noticed it but the old hero mashers yeah, they have, they've got limited Binks. toys and they've got a Jar Jar Binks toy <laughs> they, well, that was a good good idea <laughs> yeah yeah I felt quite sorry for the girls at the checkout because they're like Right, big smile on their face. Oh, did you get everything you yeah. want? But no, not really. But I, I, but the thing was, I got I got home that night, and I, you know, I was a little bit disappointed I didn't have the, the, the spheros, and I got told where you could get them from. I went straight onto the Disney store shop, absolutely everything. So I ordered that, and I ordered my I ordered my boy the the, the, the larger BB-8. It's just an interactive one. It's not my own control, but I've got him that for his for his birthday. So it's kind of like if you wanted it, you you could get it. And I know a few of the Argos stores have got the, the six inch Black Series as well. Since looked on there, they've got a nice catalogue of everything in it. I picked up and looked online. They've got a lot of the stuff. It's just, it's just a shame they didn't put more of it out on the night for the people that really wanted it. Yeah. What, what did you think about the um, yeah. the packaging for the new toys? Because it's taken a bit of a hit on Facebook groups, but I didn't think it was too bad compared to recent packaging, which is very generic. At least it has different artwork on each one. Yeah, some of them are good. There's one. I think I don't. Did you pick it up? The one with BB-8 getting captured and yeah, it's artwork. Yeah, the three pack. I have it. Like, yeah. Some, some of it, I mean, some, I don't know whether some of it's nice because it's new and it's showing you scenes from the film you haven't seen yet, or potentially films you haven't seen, or it's, it's not vintage though, is it? I have heard though that they're going to do the, when they launch, whenever it's going to be between now and Christmas, Han, Luke and Leah, there's going to be, the three of them are going to come out on vintage card backs, that was the oh, I have heard the that too, in January, it seems like, is the Yeah, oh, it was January, okay. Yeah. So maybe they'll, maybe they'll do it yet, but it's just a shame they didn't, you know, they could have, they could have, they could have dropped a container load of figures, I think, outside there, opened the back doors up and just let people clean it out. So on Saturday, the Sphero BB-8 ordered off the Disney Store came, so I was having a play with that in the morning and uh, I'd done a bit of a toy run <laughs> so I, I, hit, I, I went to Toys R Us I went to Smith's and then I ended up in a Disney store and I think out of all of them the Disney store I've got some really nice stuff I've got some really good stuff the, have you seen the um, die cast Elite series, the six inch yeah, ones. Yeah, the six they're inch, doing. they're nice, aren't they? Look good. <laughs> I, I picked the um, first order stormtrooper up. It's, they're really good. They, it's, they're really heavy as well. They've got some weight to them and they pose really well. Now you um, been to like a midnight madness event before, haven't you? No, no I went series? to the, um, the I went to the black series launch. That wasn't a midnight um, launch, but it was it was I think it was July 2013 when they launched that. So the first day of release there, and it was the, car- the caravan of the force, and Jeremy Bullock there was signing card backs and. Yeah, that was completely different. There was wall to wall, you know, six, you know, three and three quarter inch black series, six inch black series, and you could you could pick up whatever you want. It was you could have picked up twenty sets and walked away, and everyone would have had something. I was, was just surprised they didn't make a bit more of an event of it outside. Yeah, I know you had the the video showing, and you had um, three stormtroopers and a and a bloke with a prawn on his head that couldn't see <laughs> <laughs> walking along. 
Yeah. But they could have had some, even like Star Wars music playing, or I don't know, just a little bit more of an event about it. It was, it was, yeah. it was nice because there was a few of us and we, you know, had a bit of a laugh yeah. and ate crispy creme donuts. <laughs> But, so that was good but if I was there just with like say I'd gone up with my partner would have been a bit of a I would have felt yeah a little bit disappointing yeah I mean someone came out at the end with a megaphone and was trying to get everyone worked up but yeah I, mean, I don't know I, I, you know with the you know the guys from the fight I think they were five out first there maybe they were just with all the different events happening that night maybe they were just spread a bit thin and that was all they could muster for for that for that night I don't know yeah I think looking at looking at the videos online with um, the Disney store up London and you know the Daisy and the other guy, John, yeah, arriving yeah, yeah. there. Was, I think um, it could. They could have done more. They could have done more. Considering yeah. that's Toys R Us' biggest flag, that's their flagship biggest store. They, yeah, they could have definitely done more. Yeah, yeah. I think that. Yeah, even like you say, that Jeremy Bullock at the at the Black Series. Just any kind of cast member, you know. Yeah. Pat Rose loves yeah. an event. So let's let's just conclude then. Are you giving it a the event a thumbs up or a thumbs down? I'm giving it a thumbs up. So you'd go again for Rose. I, I, I think it's a you know it was it, it's kind of whets your appetite for the film. It's something else. I, I enjoyed it. I, you know I did walk out there a bit disappointed by because I really had, did have my heart set on that Sphero BBA. I've got it now, but looking back on it, you know first look at it, it was the first people in the world to really look at it, or what, some of the first. And I'll do it again if I launch again, do another one next year and the year after that. It's yeah, I thought it was it was it was what it is what it is. It didn't cost anything. Got a t-shirt and a poster and a look at the new toys. Exactly, and I'll, I'll see you there. Perhaps we'll bring our own megaphone next year. <laughs> yeah. we'll I should have I should I should have put the sound, turned the soundtrack up. We could have put the, the that's right. We did music out in the car park. Just in your car and listen to the tunes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks ever so much, Dan. And I'll uh, no worries. Chat to you soon. Cheers, Thank mate. Right, so as we just heard from Dan, it was a bit deflating, just a bit, <laughs> after seeing the products. There was a real lack of merchandise in Brent Cross. Many items which had been leaked weren't available, and there were certain products that had already run out. I was, me and Dan, Dan was eight and I was nine. That, they're the tickets we had, so we were right near the front. By the time Dan got in there, all the Black Series six-inch figures were gone, and I had people behind me going, is there any more Black Series? And they were like, no. And these people, one of them had been waiting since 3 a.m., and they were just going, they were going, have you got the Falcon? No. And they were just going out and they'd been queuing for hours. Um, when I got through there at number nine in the queue, there was one Kylo Ren three and three quarter inch figure left, which I picked up. No Captive Phasmas. Nearly all of the three and three quarter inch figures were gone apart from Finn, I think it was, that was uh, hanging around on the, uh, on the pegs there. Pete, you're at the same store as me. I think you were number 35 in the queue. Yeah, me, myself and a mate of mine, we came down and, uh, <laughs> By the time we got there, I thought, well, yeah, we've had it. We, we saw a guy with a trolley absolutely, you know, full to the brim and over. So he must have got everything. As we were kind of leaving, I, I mostly got myself a ray, which is the only one I really wanted. But they had a little kind of side tray, which then it hadn't really sort of forwarded anyone onto. And that had some of the TIE fighter pilots and a couple of uh, stormtroopers there. But yeah, really, really disappointed. Really disappointed. I, I, I went with a little, little mini target of bits and pieces and probably got about well one out of the the, the many pieces I wanted but yeah there was the pegs were totally empty by the time I got there was you a bit gutted that we hadn't gone into uh, the Disney store because John Boyega and uh, <laughs> Daisy Ridley had turned up there hadn't they yes our Spanish impressive. colleague Mr Franco did was telling us oh I think you should come down to Disney and we thought ah no nah, you know yeah, we we were led to believe that Toys R Us would be the place to be, but uh, after but several pictures of him with Daisy Ridley and John Boyega in a store packed to the hilt with stuff, I was regretting that decision. Grant, you went to the Bristol Toys R Us event, 
And I know I had the same sort of feelings. It felt like Phantom Menace all over again during the day, the build-up to that, and I was quite excited. And I think you were in that same sort of mindset. What was Bristol like, and uh, was it a similar sort of experience down there? Uh, when we arrived there, there was uh, about 20 people, and that grew to 100. And there was plenty of good conversation. I think the people really made it, but going in there was an absolute disaster. Uh, there was no stock. Big thank you to the people who kept the... Toys R Us open at midnight, that was really nice of them but I remember for the Phantom Menace you had the opening of Toys R Us, the front section rammed and then you had two aisles just rammed full of Phantom Menace stuff and I know this is the preempting the Force Awakens stuff coming out but within moments the most of the 3 inch quarter inch figures are gone, all the 6 inch black series of which they had only two boxes uh, had all gone, uh, the Lego pretty much went straight away and the rest of it was uh yeah it was it was it was a disaster let's be honest <laughs> did, did you pick anything else up yeah i picked up uh i quite like the first order figures so i managed to get the flame trooper the tie pilot and the stormtrooper i you know the thing is i don't even know who finn or ray is so i've got no real interest into them to be honest with you but i'm sure when the film comes out i'll regret not buying those instead <laughs> yeah i didn't pick too much up i picked up the kylo ren like i just said and a th- the three pack with bb8 figure in with the Jakku scavenger and Unker's thug, whoever Unker may be. Oh, he's got a prominent role, apparently. Someone yeah. told me whilst I was in Toys R Us. <laughs> um, I have since bought the Kylo Ren lightsaber for my son, and he loves hitting me with that, so he's having good fun with it. Now, Jez, I know you went out and had a little uh, look around at it at the weekend. What did you actually think of the products you saw? Well, first of all, I was totally crestfallen that I couldn't go on the Friday night, uh, the Thursday night, rather, as you know. I couldn't get away. But, yeah, you guys back briefed me and just told me how disappointing it was. I did end up going to some stores. I think that the message I sent you guys was I was completely underwhelmed. I certainly found some stuff in the in the Toys R Us and, and the Asda, and I just I felt just, well, it means nothing to me at this stage. A bit like what Grant said, you know, I was desperate to try and find the BB-8, and uh, my daughter saw the chewy mask, you know, which you stick your, stick your mouth in and... and uh, and it actually makes the sounds as you open and close your mouth. But I know, her, one of them. Yeah, well, they, they work great. I really like them. She's a massive Chewbacca fan. <laughs> but I think even for herself, you know, she just thought, oh, no, I'm not going to get this. Deep down, you know, we know that we're off to America next month on holiday and prices over there, you know, over in the UK, we just get ripped, don't we? We really, really do get ripped off. The, the markup is just insane. So I think we're looking forward to going to Disney next month and hopefully bringing back some stuff i did also think that the um the packaging for the new toys has taken a right old pounding especially across the facebook groups i didn't actually think it was that bad compared to some of the modern lines over the years and which have had a very generic card but i think at least they did have the different characters in a kind of shot on the cards rich now you must have seen the packaging what what do you think being a a modern collector i know you don't collect packaging but you must be able to compare it What, what do you think of the packaging overall I, I thought it was okay. I mean, I'm, I'm not really a packaging guy, as you know, but I agree with you. The fact that it had a shot of the character on the on the side of the card was great. The backs were naff. The backs were pretty poor. Um, it would have been nice yeah. to have seen all of the characters on the backs of the card so you know what you were getting. But I tell you something, and I'm probably the only one out of us who's opened one, they're quite tough things to get into. I, w- I was really giving it a tug to open it. Shock! I've opened a carded figure. In 20 years' time, <laughs> somebody's going to turn me off for that. Basically, do you know what annoyed me with the event the most? I know I've never been to one of these midnight events before and I didn't know what to expect, but I thought there'd be like a real atmosphere outside and at Brent Cross they had epic scenes from the films being 
shown on the front of the shop and five members of the UK garrison dressed up. But there was no sound to the videos. If, if they'd had like the music blaring or, you know, the sound set or maybe even like the, um, the global unveiling going on on the side of the shop projected. I just, I just think they're missing a trick. They could have done a raffle outside where you, which was drawn 10 minutes before the opening of the shop where the winner got like a 50 pound gift voucher, which had to be spent then. Um, maybe some products. I don't know. It's just it was just very dead, very flat. And then people well, obviously there was excitement of the the um, products. Then people went in, and everyone was just coming out absolutely distraught. You know, it was just everyone. I I didn't see someone come out excited at all. But if anybody came out of there distraught, Joe, I think they needed a good shake. I'll tell you the product which did blow my mind on the videos I've seen, and that is the uh, BB-8 Spiro. Thing. I think that looks an amazing toy, and my son will be getting one of them for Christmas. And I'm sure Jez will be picking one up in the States, won't you, Jez? Yeah, I think, if anything, that is what I will be picking up. I've already seen some people on Facebook saying, yeah, I've had 20 minutes play out of it today, I had 20 minutes play yesterday. And I think you can see some people starting to get a little bit tired of it. Uh, but I, that's definitely on my list of things to get in Disney, for sure. It's um, 150 bucks, so just £100 over there, as opposed to our 130 Yes, remember the Sphero is going to it's going to be added to. That um, I'm assuming they're going to add things to the software that's going to do. So apparently yeah. this is only the, the stage one apparently of what's coming when the film gets released. There's going to be hints and tips of of all sorts of things apparently. So it's not the the be on end all. So I'm assuming they're they're going to keep your your focus for the next six or seven months. So you buy it at, Chris, at Christmas. Just following on from last week, has BB8 got more balls than you? <laughs> oh, here he goes. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I, I'm, I'm quite prepared to listen to this all night because I still find it fascinating that Rich has actually learned to speak English. So, um, yeah, you crack on, son. You go ahead. <laughs> well, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm whilst I'm a massive Star Wars fan, I'm probably going to watch a film just as much as you, or maybe even more. I don't feel compelled to buy the toys at the moment because my vintage collection is me reminiscing from the childhood you know i've got that whole sort of thing thinking about the the toys which i had as a kid so for me at the moment i've got no immediate connection but i'm delighted for you guys to go out and spend as much money as you want on this new range and for everyone else to because that means that they've got less money to spend on vintage which will hopefully bring the prices down a little bit more to a sensible level so um yeah you crack on strange people and I'll just be here with my vintage lot.
Good morning, what can I do for you? Bueno, I've got some action figures to swap. You're a swapper as well, right? Um, you, you get a clean piece of paper on the licorice pad. Right, what are you offering? I live in the north, and we don't have much. It's mostly coal and horses. But I do love Star Wars, but we don't get many different action figures to collect. It's mostly just Jawas, and it's those crappy ones with the plastic key-ups. I've got about 300 to swap. Is that what you're offering? Yes, no. Loads of Jawas. Hundreds. 400, yes. No, man. 300 plastic key-up Jawas. Sorry? 300! Yes, I've got that now, 300. Wash your ears out, man. And what would you hope to have? No, I would love a world atlas. You like a world atlas? Yes, man, you know, a world atlas. Maps and roads and that. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you like to go? I want to find the south. I hear it has loads of other Star Wars figures, like Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, and them robots. I take the horses and the cool wagon, and load it up to the top with all the figures I could carry. Be real smart, it would. That'll be on the board later. Thanks for the call. Don't swap your vinyl cape jowers for a world atlas. Get yourself over to the starwarsforum.co.uk and speak with more knowledgeable people who don't live in the north. Now, I want to welcome a collector to this month's podcast that is one of the stellar collectors when it comes to Star Wars merchandise. He's had many articles published in several places regarding different aspects of the toys and has done many informative panels, which include presentations at the various celebrations. A star of Brian Stillman's Plastic Galaxy with a vast collection which would blow any collector's mind. His knowledge of the hobby is one of the greatest in the community and we are privileged to welcome the one and only Chris Fawcett to the Vintage Rebellion. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thank you. That was, that was quite an intro. I, it's uh, very appreciative. <laughs> and uh, joining us as well to explore certain aspects of Chris's work in the hobby is our podcast member, Richard Hutchison. Good evening, Rich. Good evening, guys. Now, Chris, before we get too involved, I need to ask you, have you ever Googled your own name? Uh, not very often, but uh, I guess occasionally, maybe. Everybody kind of does the look up and see if there's any crazy stuff about you online. <laughs> Why, were you Googling my name, I take it? Well, I, I, I go, I, I try to explore as much, as many avenues as possible. And uh, when I Googled your name, I just got oh, pages, I, and pa- pages and pages of images. Yeah, some young, muscular, stud-wearing, like, tight white briefs. Yes, there's apparently a, a famous uh, model with my, that shares my name. So, yes, that's what you will get, especially if you go to images. It isn't you, then? No, that's not me. I thought you were posting uh, selfies online. Right, uh, so Chris, I believe you have an announcement to make, and 
us here at the Vintage Rebellion are delighted that you'll be making this exclusive announcement on our show. Explain to the listeners what it is. Yes, I have starting the September 22nd issue of The Insider, I will have a new regular column in every issue. Well, what's the article going to be centered around? The title of it's called The Jedi Toy Box. And it's kind of like a, you know, like when you have a DVD, you might have a behind-the-scenes section where you watch some videos about how the movie was made or interesting tidbits about, you know, if it was a Marvel movie, maybe it's about something about the comics or any kind of backstory or history behind the film. It's kind of like that, but for toys. So it's not going to be just vintage. It's going to be vintage and modern. I'm going to mix it up, try and do maybe alternate every time. Won't be focused at all on really, really recent stuff. It'll all be older stuff. So working on one right now with, about a Phantom Menace toy, for example, and uh, had already written one about a vintage figure. So it's going to go into the details behind the scenes of the toys and give you some interesting stories about either from, from Kenner employees or Hasbro employees about the process of making them, might be about some interesting technology that goes behind the toys. For example, I'm going to be doing one where I'm talking about 3D printing and how that's changed the toy industry. Could just be little tidbits of how things work inside the toys, especially the technical ones. So I've been in the early part of my career. I was in the toy industry for about 10 or 15 years. So I understand how it works. And this was right at the beginning of where the computer technology started to change the industry. So I have a little bit of insight into how it was before and then insight into how it is now. And my training is, is is an engineer, so I can look at these things and understand them. And then I also have a lot of contacts in the toy industry. So I thought pulling all that together into an article that's sort of like a behind-the-scenes of some of your favorite toys would be a really interesting article. And uh, pitched that out to the insider with big thanks to my friend Pete Vilmer at Lucasfilm, who made the connection for me. And uh, they liked it. So... I've been working on it now for three or four months because we're, you know, you're always ahead. And I'm currently working on the December article right now, but uh, the first one is supposed to come out in the September 22nd issue. Ah, oh, brilliant! Certainly sounds a uh, sounds like a great uh, project to be involved in. So that's going to be like a long-standing arrangement. It's not a certain amount of issues. It's going to be an ongoing. It's it's ongoing at this point in time. So uh, as far as I know, I'm just going to keep cranking them out. I have a list of lots of ideas, and actually, I wanted to ask you. And actually ask your audience, if you guys have any interesting ideas along that idea, along that vein of, of topic, like, hey, I want to know, I want to understand how the record player and the troop transporter works, or anything you might think up, feel free to drop me an email with ideas. I'd, I'm always looking for new ideas for that, for that article. Yeah, Chris, you've written a couple of articles in the past uh, for the Star Wars Insider, such as the Bantha Tracks and the Toys That Never Were. How did those come about, and will your new articles be following the same format? Uh, those came about, I'm trying to remember how I first got involved with the Insider, but, um, so let's go back to the beginning. My first writing was in Toy Shop, which you guys probably didn't discover in your, in your Google searching. Um, they just had an ad looking for writers for toys, and I just called them up out of the blue and then started writing some articles for them. That got me the gig in, uh, Star Wars Galaxy Collector Magazine, which was t- the Tops Magazine. I don't know if you recall that. This was probably, must have been late 90s. Tops made a magazine for maybe two years that was really focused around collecting in general. And those magazines are great. I highly suggest going and finding them and picking them up. I, I would think you could find them fairly cheap. But they're chock full of information and have a lot of articles from writers you'd know. So worked on that for quite some time. And then got a couple articles in The Insider. And they uh, 
would love to have kept writing, but that magazine changed editors and owners several times. And over the course of the changes, I just you know, couldn't get my foot back in the door until just recently. So the difference is those were, those were feature articles, the Bantha Tracks one and the toys that never were. So they were longer, four or five pages, lots of pictures. This column is going to be, you know, like 800 words, two or three pictures, probably one page, two page spread. I'm not sure yet, but that's what we're thinking. So it's a little more punchy, a little shorter. And obviously it's going to be, going to be every month like some of the other articles that you see in the insider there. Yeah, sounds really good. Can, can you say what's the first article is about, or is it top secret? The first, the first I, I figured I had to start at the beginning. So the first article is about the double telescoping loop and Vader figures. And if you want to know more about them and the history behind them, um, you know, pick up the magazine in, uh, later this month. Yeah, sounds good. Now, Chris, uh, moving on slightly, I'm certain the well, Actually, Stu, can I just stop you there? Because I, I think with talking to Chris, we need to get the elephant in the room out of the way first. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, Chris, over in the States. Are you the elephant yes. in the room? Yes, yeah. but now you've got me really curious what the yeah, elephant mate. is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in the mid-90s, is it true that you contacted lots and lots of ex kenna employees looking for ones with daughters who are available? <laughs> Uh, the first half sounds right. <laughs> I don't know about the second half, but I know what you're getting at. You're getting at the fact that my wife is related to a Kenner employee, yes? Yes, and, and you're going to claim that's coincidental. It is coincidental. <laughs> Believe it or not, it really is. Other than the fact that we both lived in Ohio, so sometimes you can't even throw a rock around Ohio without hitting a former Kenner employee. Not literally, but uh it's coincidental, but... Not completely crazy to think that I could run across somebody that had an employee there. Because uh, I ran across Kenner employees at my work life and other places around Ohio. So, But, yes, I met her before I knew that. I met her, actually, before I started collecting. I started, started Star Wars collecting um, maybe about a year after we were dating and then found out a little bit later that, hey, my uncle worked at, at Kenner. And she tells a story about her uncle would bring them toys sometimes. And she vividly remembers having an R2-D2 that shot discs out of its barrel. And if wow. you know what that is, that's the Japanese Takara yeah. version R2-D2. So she apparently had one of those as a kid and promptly says that most of their toys succumb to fireworks and firecrackers and things like that. <laughs> so so who knows what she might have had. Uh, it's, it's likely he would have brought her some first shots or who knows what. She had an older brother that was one year older. Uh, he's about three years younger than me, so he would have been right in that that era that that maybe definitely would have seen like Jedi in the theater. Between the two of them, they they had some toys, but nothing was was left, unfortunately. So who knows what they had? And another interesting tidbit, in a similar vein, my dad actually interviewed at Kenner in 1978 and was actually offered a job there and Ooh. turned it down because he didn't want to live that far south in Ohio, away from our family, which was all up in the Northeast. So, but I distinctly remember going down for the interview and we had a, one of those trailers that goes on the back of a pickup truck and we just hauled the whole family down there for the interview and stayed at a campground. And I, I remember vividly him coming back from that interview and walking into the back door of the trailer and he had some toys for me and uh, a couple figures in a, a Darth Vader head case that came right out of the Kenner. So unfortunately I don't have those anymore, but, uh, that was kind of another cool uh, connection with my family into Kenner. 
Have you forgiven oh. him for turning it down? No, never. Well, the only thing you got to say is if he hadn't, I might not have met my wife because we would have been in southern Ohio. So uh, I think I'll keep my wife and forgive him for not taking the job. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up, Chris. At least we've got that one out of the way. Um, right. Now, I'm certain that our listeners are well aware of you and what your standing is within the community. But just in case any of our listeners have... Could you give us an overview of your collecting habits and your collection? And those very, very broad topic, but... Yeah, sure. Well, I started back in 93, 94, somewhere around there. So it was very early getting in as far as adults reconnecting with the hobby. Um, this was right around the time the internet was really ramping up and the Usenet groups were ramping up and got on there pretty early. And... I moved very rapidly from figures to carded figures to expensive carded figures to prototypes. That was maybe 12 months, 18 months or so. Um, I've always kind of been a collector as a kid. I collected stamps and coins, and so it's just in my nature. Then in the late 90s, really started doing the uh, searching around for Kenner employees and, and uh, going down and visiting them in Cincinnati or wherever they might be, and did that with you know some of the guys in the hobby you'd know, like Gus and Chris G., and uh, so built up my, a lot of my collection that way, whether it was through actually getting stuff directly from the Kenner guys or whether it was through, you know, flipping some things from Kenner and having some money to, to buy things from Derby or, or another dealer or something. So collection was largely built up that way with sweat equity. I uh, just prefer that as a collecting. I think it's more fun to try and say, I'm not going to touch my, my regular daily income. I'm just going to go over here and try and work this and, and build it up that way. And I think you can really do that. Of course, it's harder today. But you can still find interesting deals and, and things out there that will help you build your collection. So uh, kind of my focuses, I kind of stumbled into all of them. I didn't really pick one intentionally other than the fact that Han Solo was always my favorite character. So whenever stuff was coming up in those early days from the Kenner guys or online, I kind of gravitated towards some Han Solo stuff. And then accidentally collected three or four different prototype items from Han Hoth. So once I'd gotten three or four of those, I said, well, this just... I'm just going to stick with Han Hoth and not worry about the other Han Solo stuff. And it was really in that day, like the focus collecting really wasn't something that people did. I think me and John Wooten were kind of the first two to really say, I'm going to pick a character and just get everything for that character. And he did Stormtrooper and I did Han Hoth. So kind of pioneered that whole thing. And then I also, I've always loved the power of the force. So because I didn't have it as a kid, which seems odd. Some people gravitate to this nostalgia. I gravitated. What was my favorite thing when, or like, is always like the next, yeah. the next thing. So to have ones that I didn't, hadn't seen yet was almost more exciting to me than the ones I'd had for 20 years and were up in my mom's attic, right? So I like the power of the force. So that was another focus. And then also stumbled upon this Chief Chirpa from the Ewoks cartoon, some, some neat prototypes there. And so those are kind of my three main foci. Those three things, then miscellaneous other stuff here and there, but those are the three main things I collect. Chris, do you think your knowledge of the toy manufacturing process helped open doors to some of the Kenner employees? Yeah, I think it did because you know you can you can talk their language a bit. Yeah, you can call them up and say. So one of the things is when you're cold calling people, which is what I did a lot of. It's like really, you know how it is when you get a cold call. Like, are you a telemarketer? What? Like, who are you? Why are you calling me? You're a complete stranger. Why do I want to talk to you? So I think the idea that whenever I would try and call, cold call some people, I would bring that up right away. Hey, I'm in, I'm in the toy industry today. I'm really interested in the toy industry. I love this particular line. And so I'm doing some research and trying to learn things, which is was absolutely true. I wasn't in it just for buying their collections. A lot of the stories behind the toys were really fascinating. So 
I would do, you know, interview them when I got them to open up a little bit and ask them all about what they did and what it was like and all this stuff. I think that really did help when talking to them that I could, they, they saw that it wasn't just, I wasn't just some dealer or something calling to try and scam them out of their, their stuff in their attic. I was really interested in this stuff. So I think that did help. Do you get the impression that back then a lot of um, kind of employees had stuff that just thought nobody would be interested in this? Oh, absolutely. Most of them were shocked mm-hmm. with with the money that we offered them. When you, you go in there and they, they bring out, you know, two or three boxes of stuff that's literally been in their attic for, at this point in time, you know, 10 years, 15 years, maybe a little longer. And you say, well, here, here I'll give you this much for all these toys. Most of the times their jaw just dropped like you're kidding me this is worth that much following on from our last episode why do you think they kept this stuff i think it was a couple things some of them a lot of them brought stuff home for their kids and so just like a lot of your listeners and a lot of kids at the time when they got to be teenagers they put it in a box and put it away they didn't throw it out so a lot of it was kept for that reason because their kids had it some of them especially the ones that were more on the artist side like the designers and the the sculptors say they kept it for the artistry I know a lot of the, the sculpts that are out there were kept because it was the designer's, you know, art. Um, a lot of the packaging artwork was kept for that reason. And also somewhat some of the things were in portfolios. So a designer has a, a, a sketch they did or something for a toy. And when they went to get their new job, that was in a portfolio. So they'd kept these pieces in their portfolios in like a big binder or something that could show new potential employees. So that was another reason. And some people just take stuff home from work and it ends up in a box randomly and you didn't really intend to keep it, but there it is. So it just happens sometimes. Do you think there's still employees or former employees that still have this stuff in their attics or have you, you early hunters got it all out now? Um, no, there's there's definitely some. I mean, I I have a few still that I've been in contact with that I know still have their stuff. There's there was a you know the Dewey Shoemate auction this year came out. I had a, a lead I had been working for like 15 years that finally cracked last year. So there's still stuff out there. I think the harder part would be finding. There's there's probably only two two types of people out there yet. The guy that's so buried that nobody knows him. And I would put that in the category of like the, I don't know if you heard about the, the one collector in the U.S., I don't know, it was maybe a year ago, had an eBay auction that he won and had some figures, first shots with non-copyrights, and he contacted the guy, and it turns out he was related to a Kenner guy. And So it's either going to be like that, a guy that's so buried that nobody knows his name and nobody has ever talked to him, or it's going to be a guy that all the people that were doing this at the time know about, know he's got stuff, and they're calling him like, you know, once a year to try and get it out. So I think it'd be hard to go digging at this point, but I'm positive there's still stuff out there there's no doubt about it do you remember the very first prototype piece you got i do the, the first one i got was a revenge of the jedi no no i take that back the first one i got was the small luke x-wing coin that was the very first prototype and i think back then they were 50 bucks from steve denny <laughs> who had a bag of them apparently <laughs> have, you, have you got any other early collecting stories with some real kind of amazing finds or where you've been totally surprised, you've gone somewhere and it's just just been in awe of what you found. Or the most amazing one. And this is one. This is one where you can't write this stuff. Even it's like the reality is stranger than fiction would be, and it ties back into what we were talking about before the elephant in the room, which is kind of cool. So one of the trips we went down to Cincinnati. It was like me and Gus and Chris and Todd Chamberlain, and we went down there in late nineties, early two thousands. We went down there like three or four times a year and would spend a whole weekend going around town and we'd 
pre-set up meetings with people and try to set up a whole schedule. So we'd visit three, four guys a day if we could. So there was only one time that my wife went with me on one of these trips. And we were out at this uh, guy's house. He was a outsource firm that did a lot of prototyping outsourcing for Kenner. So he wasn't a Kenner employee, but he was he was an employee at his own company that did a lot of work for them. And he also knew a lot of people. And he was he was one of those guys that just everybody liked. So I think he just had a lot of friends from the company. And this was maybe our third time visiting him. And every time he had amazing, amazing stuff. And he was also a little bit of a showman. So we'd go into his house and all gather around his dining room table and he'd go into the other room and bring out a box, and just a plain old cardboard box, and sit it on the table. And he's like, I don't open that yet. I'm going to go get another box. And he'd walk into the other room, bring out another box, set it down, and we're like salivating what's in here, what's in here. Because he, he got to know kind of what was the stuff that really got us excited. And then he'd go, oh, don't open that yet. He'd go back and get another box. So he'd come out with three or four boxes. And then he'd find, okay, now you can dig into it. So we were digging into some of these boxes, and one box I had opened had a bunch of 2D stuff in it. And I don't remember everything that was in there. I don't know if it was box flats or proof cards or artwork or what, but I was flipping through it, and I pulled out this one piece. And if you remember the die cast, some of the die cast ships had a little backdrop that came with them, a threefold backdrop. And one of those ships was the Y-Wing. And I pulled out this piece of concept artwork that was about half. It was like one panel of that, not even or a little more than one panel. And if, you, if you've never seen this, it looks a lot like the Macquarie artwork with the Y-Wing flying at the Death Star. So clearly the Kenner designer had seen that artwork, kind of made his own rendering of it, and then Kenner made their own version that looks very similar to that. So I pulled out this piece of artwork, and I'm looking at it because, you know, artwork, awesome, right? I looked down in the corner, and there's a name there, and my jaw just dropped. And I handed this piece to my wife. I said, look at this. She's like, what? Well, okay, it's cool. That's an R. I said, no, 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 look, look here. And she looked down in the corner, and she said, oh, my gosh, that's my uncle. <laughs> and it turned out that we had found in Cincinnati a piece of artwork that her uncle had drawn 15 to 20 years ago. And just for her to be there when we found it, I mean, think of the odds even for me to have become a collector and then also become a guy that tracked down Kenner and then also be at this guy's house and him to have this piece and my wife to be there and that be her uncle. Like, the odds are just astounding that that could, that could even happen. So that is like the most, probably the most amazing collecting story I have from all those years. And there are a lot of amazing stories. That one just takes the top place. Did he let you purchase the piece of artwork? Yes, yeah. We bought that whole collection, and uh, I have that one. It's on my wall. I'm looking at it, staring at it right now. So. That would have been awful if it got in there. You can't have it. <laughs> yeah, that would have been pretty <laughs> terrible. I wish, I wish it was complete. There was actually two panels of it, and my uncle had in his, his collection some photography slides of various things he'd worked on, and he had a slide that showed the full piece of this. And it was actually two panels he had done, and unfortunately the second panel is missing. So there's just another coincidence, right? Like what if the panel that he hadn't signed had been, had been the one that we found and the one he had signed had gone missing? We never would have known. You talk about, like, Gus and Chris and all these older, high-end collectors in the community. Um, how did you go about meeting these to start with? Well, I first... I first interacted with most of them on the Usenet groups way back in the early 90s. That was like the place to be. It was like Rebel Scum or Facebook today where you'd go on there and, and basically talk about Star Wars. And you can go look up those old posts. Tommy Garvey, who we call the hobby historian, 
often will go up back there and, and look up some interesting old posts and post them on Rebelscom, and they're just fascinating to read through. The things that we didn't know back then, <laughs> just like to hear Chris G., see a post from Chris G. asking a question about, does a rocket fet really exist or is this a myth? It's like almost surreal to think that there was a time where he didn't know that information. Like, So I kind of met them on there, but the first time I met them face-to-face was the infamous Behind the Mask Cincinnati convention, which was in 95, I believe. And it was really the first time a lot of us had met face-to-face. Uh, I know John Wooten was there. Um, Gus was there, Chris was there, Ron was there. I can't remember if Todd Chamberlain came to that one. Probably he did, pretty sure. Um, but that's where I met them all for the first time. And so that was a great convention. It was just a little small thing in Cincinnati. And the Behind the Masks tour, if you don't know, was a bunch of the actors who wore masks, like David Prowse and Peter Mayhew, went on a little tour. And even, like, John Hollis, who played Lobot, was there, even though he kind of doesn't wear a mask. But a lot of those kind of actors were doing a tour around the country, and they would usually have sort of a little convention built around the tour. So there was a dealer room and, and things like that. But that was that was a lot of fun. Like I said, the first time I got to meet those guys really in person, and then from there, I just you know, anytime there was conventions or we could get together, we would we would try to do so. In a minute, I'm going to want to go into a couple of items you've got in your collection. But you, you said you used to collect coins and other items. But what what made you want to collect Star Wars items? What was it about Star Wars toys that really hit home with you? Well, I had I had a ton of them when I was a kid. That was my thing as a kid. I literally I didn't have any other toys hardly. I didn't have Transformers. I didn't have GI Joes. I didn't. It was like whenever there was a birthday or Christmas, what do you want? I want Star Wars. So it was like the only toy line I played with. But as an adult, what got me into it was there was this friend of mine. We were both musicians, so we kind of had that connection. Played in some groups together, and he got it. Started dating this girl that was collecting. I forget what toy lines. One of the girls' toy lines, or maybe Care Bears or something. I don't recall. But she got him into collecting the Star Wars stuff because he's my age and and he was into it as a kid. So just as hanging out with him, he started telling me about this, and I was like, Oh, I should go dig mine up. I've got them in my my mom's basement. And so I went back and dug up a bunch of the stuff I had, and just like, Hey, I'll. Why don't I just finish this? It's kind of interesting, kind of fun. I haven't kind of really collected stuff. This was like middle middle of my college days, right smack in the center. And uh, so I went to I, I collected comics and trading cards consistently, never stopped. If there was a Star Wars comic or a Star Wars trading card set, I got it. Even through high school, college, everything. So that's the one thing I've collected consistently. But and Star Wars um, mostly. I did do some other comics. And, DC and Marvel and stuff, but so when he kind of reintroduced this to me, I was like, "Oh, this is pretty cool. I can. I'm already getting the comic books, and I'm already buying the Tops cards. Let's start. Why don't I finish out my toy line?" So went to a local comic book shop where I had still frequented and started purchasing some loose figures. And then found out about another shop a little farther away that had a lot of toys and went there and picked up a couple carded figures. And then before you know it, I was just like, okay, I need to vinyl cape Jawa on a card. Because <laughs> so, I wanted to start, if I was going to get all of them carded, I wanted to start at the most expensive one and work my way down. So that's what I did. Chris, in the very early days when we didn't know what was rare and we didn't know what was in abundance, did you just collect everything you could get your hands on or were you selective in any way? Well, there was... There were certainly things that we knew were rare. Everybody knew the Vinyl Cave job was rare. And it's kind of interesting that there are things that are that are rare that nobody cared about back then. Like, the particular card back wasn't really that... By back, I mean the, literally the back side, the, the 31, the 48, whatever. Really wasn't that important to people. It was more important, like, oh, I want 
no offers. The offers are ugly and they mess up the card. Even though there may have been a particular offer that was super, super rare on a card, it would go for less because nobody knew it was rare and they were just looking at the aesthetics. And certainly, like, the variants in the figures themselves, the the different paint scheme flavors, the hollow tubes, tus- like, that really wasn't even a consideration. It was like, here's a Tuscan Raider. That was, this is a nice card. That was kind of it. So I think, and then there were other things that were really, that are really rare, that were really desirable then, that, like, kind of nobody cares about today. I remember, like, the X-Wing Aces game being, like, this holy grail for a lot of collectors. X-Wing Aces in a box. And now it's like, does anybody even want an X-Wing Aces in a box? I don't <laughs> You don't hear about it very much, but back then, that was like a big thing. So. What, what, what I'm imagining is some guy with a bag of 10 Rocket 5 and Fets and a loose final cape Jawa, and you collect <laughs> us fighting over the Jawa. I, I think I think everybody knew that the uh, Rocket Firing Fet was super rare even back then. So that was the uh, that was always the holy grail. When, when did the Rocket 5 and Fet first become... Um, you know, obtainable when people actually realize, hey, hey, we can actually get these? I'm not really sure, but by the time I started, I think most people knew that they, it was it was a certain that they actually existed. How hard they were to get was another story. Mm-hmm. But I think the first big sale where people started to realize that, hey, this might actually be something you could obtain, is they had a, uh, one of the former test engineers had, I don't know how many he had, seven or eight of, of them, and a collector had discovered this guy somehow or another and put them in toy shop as an auction. And so there were, I think there were six now that I remember. And so at that point in time, that thing hit toy shop. Everybody's like, holy cow, there's six of them. Like that was a pretty amazing amount for something that had only been seen maybe one or two here or there. Like Steve Sansweet had one and somebody else, a couple other guys had one, but then bam, like five hit or six hit. So I think that was probably the first time people thought, oh, maybe, maybe there's more of these than we think out there. And I do have an interesting story about that particular test engineer because he had kept the he kept one of them. So he didn't he auctioned off the other five or six and he kept one and I contacted him years later and um he said, Oh yeah, I, I do have the one left and he's like, I, I could probably sell it. I think I'll I'll let it go. So on one of the trips me and Chris went went down well, we were all down there, but me and Chris specifically went to visit this guy because it was late at night and everybody else was tired and stayed at the hotel. So me and Chris went to, to visit this guy, it's maybe ten PM and what had happened was my wife had just gotten a new car, and it was in her name, but we hadn't gotten the license plates yet. So we basically took the license plates off her old car and put it on her new car. So we're driving to try and find this guy, and it is in the middle of nowhere, back hills of Kentucky, which is right across the border from Cincinnati, and way like kind of up in the mountains, woods. You don't see a house for five miles, and then there's another house. And we had missed a turn, and we turned around to come back, and I see the police lights in my rearview mirror. I'm like, oh, great. And he pulled me over because one of my taillights was out. But, of course, he takes my license, takes my registration, and I'm sitting there with Chris. I'm going, Chris, this this might be a little bit of a problem. I'm like, here's the deal. The car is not in my name. It doesn't have the right license plates on it. We're sitting literally with a back. The back of the truck was full of, like, boxes. And we have, you know, several thousand dollars in our pocket. And I'm like, I don't know what this guy's going to think about us. So we were all like, is he going to search the car? Or, you know, what is he going to think? And so it ended up all being okay. And he came back and said, I explained about the registration. He said, well, you better get that license fixed right away. And he just gave us a warning and let us go. And then we made it to the guy's house and bought his last his last rocket FET. So. How, how many FETs are known to be in existence? Uh, Chris really has great data on that. But I think, if I recall, it's somewhere around like 50 or so, 50, 60 somewhere in that range so it's not as rare as you would you would really think 
I mean, 50 is rare, don't get me wrong, but that is quite a few for a prototype. If you think of some of the other first shots, like the first 12 figures in a first shot, some of those exist in like ones and twos. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're way rarer than a fat. Do you see them um, sold very often these days, or are they in collections and they're there to stay? Uh, occasionally, me and, me and Chris and another collector sold one that we found last year. That one kind of went through back channels and wasn't public because I had been contacted by a couple people looking for one. So when, when my friend found one and I had a missile to match up with it, we put them together and, and sold it to this collector. I had a lead that was looking for one. So they do come around occasionally. Uh, most of the ones I've seen come up for sale, though, are new finds. You don't see them change hands that often. But, again, a lot of that stuff could be happening behind the scenes, and you'd never even know yeah. that they're changing hands. Chris, from reading a lot of your posts for, on Rebel Scum from early 2000s, it's very, very clear that you're really big on the community side of it. Would you say that what you've got out of this hobby more than anything else is a great network of friends? Oh, absolutely. I think some of my best friends of my entire life are friends from this hobby. I mean, I've got a few friends from high school and grade school and stuff, but even them I don't talk to or see, but once every three or four years with the people in this hobby... I get together with usually once a year at some point in time. So, yeah, that's that's definitely the most important thing about it that I think I've gained from the whole hobby is just the friendships. Get, getting back to your collection, um, now you've got some amazing pieces in that collection and to go through everything you've got and discuss it would take <laughs> hours upon hours. So I've just chosen two or three items. Um, firstly, when looking for your photos of your collection... First thing that really took my eye was that unproduced Power of the Force card at FX7. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a shame they didn't produce that because it is a real striking card, isn't it, on the Power of the Force? Yeah, it is. How did you come to own that? No, no fun story there. It was just for sale. I think it was from Tom Derby. Now, interesting side note, though, the more interesting story of that is those pieces, all the Power of the Force hearted unproduced, came from the same source, which was the photographer, which probably everybody's aware of. He's on Facebook now as the man who shot Luke Skywalker. His name is Kim Simmons, and he had a bunch of stuff uh, back in the day. I'm not, I think his, his collection, most of it was purchased back in the late 90s. Uh, so this came from him originally, but it passed through a couple hands before it got to me. I just always wanted one of the unproduced Power of the Force, being a Power of the Force collector. So that one came up, and I bought it. And uh, But the interesting thing is, you know, I've gotten to become somewhat friends with Kim, and he is providing a lot of photography for my column for The Insider. So that's an interesting connection there. He's pulling out stuff from his archives, especially for the vintage stuff. And anything that he doesn't have a picture of, I'm trying to get him a sample so he can take the photos. So the original Kenner guy is also going to be taking the photos for that column. These so Kim Simmons had them so clearly he was photographing as they're mocked up right. for for catalogs or something. Yeah, that the, that particular figure appears in the 1985 Toy Fair catalog. If you've ever seen that picture, it's just like a wall of, of mostly unproduced Power of the Force. There's a couple produced ones in there, but most of them are unproduced. And there was only, as far as anybody knows, one of each with a little a little caveat about Toy Fair. I'll get to in a second. But so he would get them from Kenner and and shoot the photography. So the the stuff, especially for the Toy Fair catalogs, would be particularly probably early prototypes and stuff. But even the, the packaging for the toys often would be prototypes. Like, for example, on the entire micro line, most of the toy packaging is actually four-up, painted four-ups, not tiny one-inch toys. So the toys you see on the packaging, they're fooling you. They're not really the little one-inch figures that got photographed. So there is some blatant differences, isn't there, on this, on this mock-up? Yeah, together, the on, on this particular FX7... Yeah, the, the bubble is two separate bubbles. So there's a coin bubble and a figure bubble, and they're, they're different. They're both glued on there. 
the power of the force one actually has the image reversed as well, which is the same as the Trilogo. So the Trilogo and the power of the force have his arms kind of pointing out to his left, and the Empire and Jedi cards have his arms pointing out to his right. So I don't know why they flipped the photo on the Trilogo and the power of the force, but they did. Um, and then the other interesting tidbit on these is there was an, a sale in Toy Shop years and years ago, and you can find this on Chris G's Toy Shop scrapbook, which I say if you have not looked at that, go look at that thing. It is amazing. Uh, just Google that, Chris G's Toy, toy Shop scrapbook, and you'll find it. Uh, but there was a Toy Shop ad that had a Power of the Force FX-7 and a Power of the Force TIE Fighter pilot years and years and years ago. And they weren't the ones that came from, from Kim Simmons. So, interestingly, this just came up recently, I think on a Facebook thread or something. And uh, I started looking close, never really looked close at that picture. And even Chris had never looked close at that picture. And I, I looked at him like, that FX-7's arm's pointing the wrong way. And you start to look closer, and you're like, and the picture's not right. And what we realized was the one pictured in Toy Fair was a, either an Empire or a Jedi card with some stickers put on it. Because you can tell by the layout of the of the racetrack and everything. Like on the Power of the Force, the racetrack's a little higher because the, the name logo of the figure is down underneath. Or on the Empire and Jedi, then the name logo is right under the, the Empire of the Jedi logo up top. So the racetrack is like an inch off the bottom rather than, or if I'm talking to you guys, like 25 millimeters off the bottom rather than... <laughs> rather than uh, you know, maybe eight or so. So uh, and Chris hadn't even noticed that, and we were just like, oh, my gosh, here's a new finding right here, this thing we thought was an unproduced FX-7, and nobody knew if it was fake or if it was real. And now we're looking and goes, it's a Jedi figure with a sticker on it. Maybe that thing was legit. Maybe it was another example that wasn't used for photography, obviously, because it, it wouldn't have really matched the reality of what it was going to be. But maybe they made it, mocking it up, trying to do logo placements or something. So who knows what that thing was? Nobody knows where those two figures went. The, the Type Fighter pilot did look like a regular Power of the Force card. So one of those mysteries we may never find out. You just wonder where some of that stuff went to. Like, who has it in their collection still that's under the woodwork and not online and just don't know? Do you think that's something just collectors now? We read too much into what happened back then. We're always looking for answers to questions, and sometimes it could just be because that's the way we did it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. You know, I think a lot of the the little figure variations and things like that that people get into, and don't get me wrong, that's that's like if 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 that's your thing and that's cool, that's awesome. I have no problems with it, but I think we read too much into that. Is like, oh well, they they changed this because of this. It was probably just that you know the brown paint was cheaper than the blue paint that day. Or that week, so they they flipped the way they did something and painted it differently. You know, a lot of those decisions are made sort of for reasons of just to expedite the production of, of things, not necessarily as intentional decisions that they wanted to change something. So, I do think we re- we tend to read a bit into things, and that makes it even more fun when you think about it because it's just such a, a common sense natural thing to do. I guess I'm a little jaded on that coming from the toy industry and manufacturing and understanding how all that stuff works. I kind of I can look at something and go, oh, I, I can guess why they did that. Whereas I think, you know, if you weren't an engineer or in the industry or involved in manufacturing, it's so it's it's easy to make up something that sounds like more substantial than maybe what it really was, just because you're you're not really tied into how how those things work behind the scenes. So I think that's a lot of just comes out of my background and uh, that I look at some of these things and go, ah, you know, that really doesn't thrill me that much but like i said man if, if people love it and they want to get 10 variations of lobot with paint scheme differences I, i'm all for it anything that you like to collect that's what it's about 
There's ten. Oh, I've only got nine of them. What's the tenth one? <laughs> That's the secret one. I can't tell oh, you because right. there's only one that exists. It's got hair, Rich. <laughs> I painted it as a kid. That's the one you don't have. Do you, Do you have a definitive answer to why the Power of the Force line was actually stopped? It was just that the the sales were down. I mean, Star Wars was waning, and they take you know every year the toy companies, and this was way more big of a big deal back then than it is today but they would take all their new product for the next year to toy fair and the whole point of that was to have the buyers from the various toy stores department stores come through look at everything you had you would get sell sheets they would tell you what they wanted what they didn't want so i mean just think about it you go to toy fair you have all these new power of the force figures you have these new toys and nobody's showing any interest well, if you're not getting any interest as a business, you're not going to go forward and make the tooling that is very expensive. So at that point in time, you know, to get to a card back with a hard copy prototype that's hand-painted on a bubble on a card to show, really cheap as far as the process of making that happen. To go to production tooling is where you start spending the big money. And so if they weren't getting interest at Toy Fair, they're not going to spend that money on production tooling. It just, I think that's the answer. It's just there wasn't the interest anymore. Not demand anymore than that. Right, well, the next thing I want to just have a brief chat about in your collection is your, um, another unproduced item, actually. It's another stunning one that fits with your Hanhoff focus. It's the old 12-inch Hanhoff doll. Um, yeah. Is there many of those that exist? There's only a couple, and mine isn't even close to complete. I think the only one that's complete is Gus's. He has one with the boots and the gloves and the goggles and everything. And he got that one, I believe, from the, the uh, soft goods designer at Kenner. So there's a crazy story behind mine. Um, first of all, it, it did not come with the box. I bought the box later. And so the first thing people go, why did you fold up the box? Because all these were box flats. But actually, some other collector had folded that box before I got it, and it was already folded. So I kind of, I kind of, I don't like that it was folded because it seems like it's sort of destroying the nature of a box flat, which is really cool. But the fact that it was folded was kind of already was kind of cool for me. I would, I could be able to put my figure in it and not have to fold one and have a really nice display. But the only thing original on my doll, I mean, other than the hand figure, which is the same hand figure from the, the hand solo release, is the coat. So fortunately, that is the main obvious difference between that one and hand solo. But the goggles um, are the right goggles. They were the same goggles from a $6 million man figure. But uh, the proper goggles for hand would have been molded in like a light yellow brownish color. Uh, and the $6 million man goggles are molded in blue. So I do have the $6 million man goggles on him. And then some of the other things are just pulled off of Power of the Force 2 12-inch, like the scarf and things, just to complete the look. So that particular figure I found, we found, or the coat actually, we found in a, at a, one of our finds in Cincinnati with Gus and Chris and all those guys. And it was... So we go into this, this lady's house, and there's these big Rubbermaid-type tote things there sitting in her floor, and uh, we have no idea what's in them. And open up a couple of them, and it's, like, filled to the top with strawberry shortcake. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you can imagine the smell. I mean, it wasn't a bad smell, but it was just, like, this overwhelming fruity sweetness smell coming out of these bins because they are just – and we're just, like, our hearts just sort of sank. We're like, oh, man, there's not going to be anything in here. So, like, you know what? We're at a kinder person's house. Let's dig. Who knows what we'll find? So we start digging through these bins, and 20 minutes later, I think it was Todd, pulls a Kleb Zellock out of the bottom of one of the bins. And if your listeners don't know, Kleb Zellock unproduced droids. So, like, super, super rare figure. 
So we're like, then all of a sudden we were all energized. We're like, oh my gosh, okay, we've got to look through every single nook and cranny of everything here. Because there's a Klebzelik at the bottom of this bin, who knows what it's at the bottom of the others. And uh, so we kept digging and digging, and there was, turned out to be another Kleb. So there were two Klebs, and also... I pulled out this Han Hoth coat, and, oh, man, I searched everywhere through there looking for the gloves, the boots, and there was nothing else. It was just the coat. And there was also a 12-inch Luke Bespin, which had, I, I believe that one was complete as far as boots, pants, jacket. It was well worth the digging through the strawberry shortcake stuff to get to the, the treasures underneath. How do you work out who gets what part when a group of you go to one of these houses and unearth these uh, contents? Everybody knows kind of what everybody else is into and what they like, and so you just negotiate, and it was it's, it, it was never contentious at all. I mean, there were times where two people wanted the same piece, and but then you're like, you know what, okay, well, I'll take this piece over here instead, you can have that. So, I mean, you just sort of work it out. It's it's it, At that point, it's like it's just so great to have some great pieces to choose from that you're, you don't get upset about, yeah. Yeah, I suppose it's the story about it and how he's found it, that's the, the true... The true bit of gold, isn't it? Not actually having the item at the end of the day. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, as I was, I, I remember clearly as back when we were doing this, of, of thinking as on these trips, like, we're not going to be able to do this forever. At some point, this is going to end. And I really need to appreciate this and pay attention now. You know, like, you go through life sometimes and you do things that are great. And then years later, you're like, man, I wish I would have paid more attention. Or I wish I would have remembered those stories more or like I didn't realize at the time how great of a time that was, but this was the opposite. I absolutely knew how great of a time this was in my life, and that I should yeah. I should always remember this and never forget it. So I was paying real close attention to everything that was going on and just thoroughly enjoying it. I must admit, those kind of trips would just be would just be amazing to have lived through that. It was just unbelievable. But I, t- I take it the twelve inch llama stopped because of the same reason you just said about the power of the pause, really. Yeah, it's just I think Kenner had you know they had developed this whole new toy platform with the the small figures and being able to have the ships and the twelve inch line was just sort of this old school kind of like GI Joe kind of thing, you know, and like you couldn't make a ship for those things, and the kids wanted all the the ships and the toys and the play sets and stuff so i think it's just the appeal just wasn't there like why would i want a big 12 inch figure when i can take this little guy and put him in an x-wing and fly him around the house <laughs> yeah the demand just wasn't there the the final thing in your collection which i'm not sure whether i've got this right but you've got two very large figurines in the bottom one of your cabinet one of a gamorian guard and one of three po they look like the micro figure designs is on, but on a obviously a much larger scale is that right or what are they yeah those are those are the four ups for the micro line i've got quite a few of the four ups for the hand hoth as well uh, so what what those are the micro line as you know the figures are about two and a half centimeters or so tall but it's really hard for a sculptor to sculpt a figure in that scale so what they do is they sculpt them at four times the original scale which is why they're called a four up um, there are other things in the lines that are like six ups or eight ups or things i think the coins are six ups if i recall so they would sculpt them larger to allow them to get the detail in so they they're sculpted at the four times the size and then they mold those out of silicone. They mold the, the sculpt is usually wax. They make a silicone mold because this, the wax sculpt is pretty fat, fragile and you can't do much with it. And they need to make copies. So they make a silicone mold and then they pour the hard copies, which is a, a really hard urethane. It's almost like brick. I mean, this stuff is just rock hard and they're fairly heavy. And they mold several of those. They mold some that they paint up for just internal meetings, and then, like I said earlier, for the box photography. So the painted four-ups are used for box photography. Then they'll also use a four-up as the tooling master. So what they'll do is they'll take that, that large figure, and they'll put it on a machine that's called a panograph. And that panograph has a gearing ratio such that it has a little needle that'll trace the surface of the figure, but then gearing ratios that'll 
take that the distance it's tracing and divide it by four over on the other side of the machine. And so they'll use that to cut. It'll trace over the, the hard copy, and then it'll cut the, the it can cut the steel on the other side to make the mold for the figure. So that's how they get it from the big four size down to the smaller size. Now those two particular ones you pointed out, the Gamorrean Guard and the 3PO, are from an unproduced Jabba the Hutt micro playset that was never made. That one didn't even get as far as a prototype level that's that like the Bacta Chamber and the Torture Chamber got to. Uh, the Jabba, all we have from that is a couple figures. These two, I think the Power Droid might be from that one. Um, there is a wood a start of a wood pattern for like the throne area. You can find that on the collector's archive. And there's a wax only of Jabba the Hutt micro figure that was never cast into the into the hard copy four ups. So that's that whole process, and if you, I'm not sure where you were looking at pictures of my collection, but if you also look on there, you can see in the in the Han Hoth stuff, probably Rebel Scum photo archive or somewhere, the Han Hoth stuff, you can see all the stages of that, from the wax to the silicon mold to the hard copy to the painted hard copies, and then also some, some test pieces of the smaller size. That's fascinating stuff. Yeah, I've, I've, I've never seen them before, and it was kind of like... There's not too many of the unproduced four-ups for the micro line. Those weren't, aren't nearly quite as common as the production ones that made it to production are. Yeah, the, the four-ups are leading nicely into your website, um, which is uh, 12back.com, and it's been around for quite a while now. Um, and on there, you've got a story about Blue Harvest, um, and one of the guys in the store was Forum UK, literally in the last few days, has put up a valuation request for a, a Blue Harvest uh, Droopy McCool. And quite a few guys on there said, what's Blue Harvest? So when did you find out about Blue Harvest? Because it, it is a bit of a shocking story, this one. Yeah, so those were, a lot of those figures came out through one or two dealers back in the mid-90s. And they were marketing them as you know legitimate four-ups from the vintage line. And it was always kind of questioned because no one had ever seen any four-ups in this blue color from any legit vintage sources. They were only coming out of these couple dealers. And eventually we asked around and, and did enough digging. I think Chris G probably discovered most of this information, but I'm not sure, that that blue stuff wasn't even in production as a material to purchase back when the vintage hard copies were being made. That that was what Hasbro and Kenner was using in the mid-90s to make hard copies was this blue material. So it was pretty obvious that these things were not made in the vintage era and eventually found out that there were some molds that were still at Kenner from the vintage line and one or two of the employees were making stuff in the basement, essentially. And one of them actually got fired when this all came out for doing this. And there's... I know there's a there's a... Not many of those molds came out. A lot of them were destroyed when Kenner moved out of Cincinnati. But there was one that came out, a 2-1B micro 4-up mold that still had some remnants of the blue material on the mold. So they were clearly using they were using the vintage molds and making new figures, new hard copies, and trying to sell them on the market. And there's quite a few of those out there. I know there's probably the most interesting ones are the EV99 and the 88 because those two figures were sculpted at two at a two x scale. So those would be called two ups because mm-hmm. the, some of the features are very small and delicate on those. All the rest of the the vintage figures were sculpted at one to one, but those two were sculpted at two to one. And so the the hard copies are quite large. And there's only there's only I think I only know of one painted and one painted EV99 that's legit. I don't know of any 88s original, but the Blue Harvest there were these, and and people still like those today. They're kind of they've kind of got their own their own collector niche. Like they know they know they're fake, but they're still really kind of cool, and there's a history in the hobby to them. So 
obviously they're still tenth the price of a real legit hard copy, but but they have their own sort of collecting uh, interests in them. So I know some of the other figures maybe like I know there was a Yak Face for sure that was made with those. I, I distinctly remember seeing one of those. At, uh, I went to actually visit the dealer, one of the dealers that was selling these way back then, and I remember Yak Face and the Drew B. McCool. I think there was a Max Rebo as well, and some Ewoks if I recall. And what's really sad is that the molds were destroyed. All those molds existed at Kenner into the mid-90s, and now they're gone because they put them through a grinder. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, they're very, very... I only know of one complete silicon mold for a vintage figure. They're bits and parts pieces like a leg here or a head there, but I only know of one complete one. So and then most of them got ground up in that thing. So that's some fantastic information, Chris, and uh, some wonderfully memorable stories. Uh, we're going to take a short break from the interview, but we are lucky enough to have a second part to this interview and a short concluding part later on in this podcast. Next rebel hero, but I'll be set forever. I'm the newest dark boy, and since my training years, I can choke from anywhere. Yeah, my force is everywhere. Used to run with Obi Wan, we were best buds forever. After three movies, now I got a blood vendetta. Who up in Tatooine? No vegetation. Catch me rolling through the cosmos in the moonlight stations. Alaya's home nation. Death Star wrecks it. Now Princess knows, but you ain't the one to mess with. Flying through the trenches, blasting rebel newbies. What happened to the fat one? Think he died of heart disease. All that's left is this guy, chasing him in my time I won't deny that his force is pretty damn high Damn, I just got wiped out Falcon shot the back of me Spinning in the outer space But I'll be back definitely Force eliminate you quick, yo Welcome to the planet high 8080s hit the spot Walking takes are too legit But they fall down a lot Check the front, check the back Can't find the Falcon yet We need them all alive So no disintegrations Boba Fett Ain't million asteroids Where your little ship go Give me to Cloud City I got Lando on payroll Me, I got a double check If Carbonite's okay You're freezing safe for Han Doing look the same way New deal Lando Ain't no pardon Kid blew up my boys Rest in peace, Mark talking Turns out we're family Embrace your dark fate Dad and son together, yo No way the Emperor's safe Come
Albertine smiling, cause he knew it would come to this. The light side is blind with casualties who do evil casually, then gradually become worse. Don't fight your destiny, wasn't a great dad true. Absent all the while, no happy times behind us. And plus, now I'm killing you. Keep fencing, mister, cause now since a sister, you don't go bad, maybe I'll enlist her. Now, Emperor wants you, only wants me rubbed out. You control your anger, stay light side devout. Watch out, kitty's got lightning bolts to emulate. Uh-uh, hell no, daddy powers activate And this prune with a badass murder-suicide Ball-headed, mask off, heart melts and get you right Burn on my gear so those E-Wax can't wear it again Do it, I'll be watching you a ghost name of Okay guys, that was Empire State of Mind by College Humor. Big thanks to College Humor for allowing us to... Oh, hang on. They haven't actually given us the rights to play this song. In fact, it looks like this song has been banned on YouTube by the copyright holder. Uh, Mr. JZ. I know. Let's give Mr. JZ a quick call and see if he will allow us to play that track. Hello, Mr. Zed? <laughs> Mr. Zed, do you mind if we play Empire State of Mind on the Vintage Rebellion podcast? Yeah, I used to be a real jerk, but now I'm a people guy. I'll take that as a yes. Thank you, Mr. Zed. Right, now over to Jez for this month's new acquisitions. Hello, what happened here? Ah, good. New acquisitions. Yeah, what another fantastic month. Had a great time looking at various different things. Again, wanted to give shout-outs initially, and of course, I'm always going to start with Star Wars Forum UK, and then bring in the rest of the forums and Facebook shortly after that. So first of all, if we go to page 1737 and 1738, this was a story of Mark G completing his last 17 mint on card run, and the last one he got was an Amanaman Power of the Force. Grant, what do you think of this? I think the standout thing for this is it's got actually got a clear bubble, which is really unusual for and a man of man on the Power of the Force card. In fact, I was convinced when I was younger that the Power of Force, a man of man, and the Gamorrean Guard on the Jedi actually had yellow bubbles because they were like amphibians or reptiles or something. <laughs> yeah, well, certainly my, mine is uh, is yellow and a little bit squished. Possibly mine has been sat on by a Gamorrean Guard. But yeah, cracking. Mark G, well done, mate. Completing your last 17 minute on card run. No mean feat, so good on you. After you put that in your show notes, I had I had a little look on um, online. I was wondering what it would cost to put together the last 17 and I just took the last figure that was sold on eBay US or UK 
What do you reckon it would take to put together Trilogos and a Power of the Force line? Now, the Power of the Force line, I couldn't find an Anakin that had been sold on eBay in the last six months. So that is without the Anakin. But, Jez, what do you reckon? Trilogo, the last 17 sold. Man, they're going for the, this reason, this like is in that. dollars, by the way. I haven't converted this. Didn't have that much time. Right. Ooh, I'd say you could put oh, nine, five, six thousand. Right, and the power of the force without Anakin, but with Yak face. With Yak face, yeah. Uh, Eleven and a half thousand. And that's in dollars, yeah. yeah. Anyone else think is high low? Rich, do you want to say eighty thousand? Yeah, I think his trilogo is probably a little bit low. Yeah, about eight thousand for the trilogo. Interesting, Grant, you and Pete, you you two are pretty on the money with these. Come on. Ah, uh, five. Four four uh, four thousand for the Trilogos and about fifteen for the Power of the Force. Ooh, that's without Anakin. Remember, you're still going as high. Okay, ten, ten then. Ten thousand. I think it's about a bit lower than that for the Power of the Force. I think if you had Anakin in there, though, I mean, I think the last time we saw one come up for anything it was about about four thousand pounds, wasn't it? So, uh, I reckon about eight for Power of the Force, and I don't know. It's hard to say on the Trilogo ones. Uh, it's, it's not a bad guess, to be honest with you, Pete. Um, this was the last sale of each figure, and the Trilogo's 4,973. So Grant was pretty close with that, which I didn't think was too bad, because you know, there was a yak in there and whatnot, but I thought the yak was overpriced. Mm. The last one that sold was nearly $1,500. And the Power of the Force, 6,500 without the Anakin. The yak was 3,000, the last one that was sold on eBay. But All apart right. from that, the only other two figures over 400 were um, Barada and Han Carbonite, so... There was some bargains. That's true. There was actually a a Facebook sale of the, which I'll come to later, of the uh, of the Power of the Force Yak, which went for a ridiculous amount of money, which would skew your figures all over the place. Putting See together a, a joint one of these, you could probably do it still relatively well priced. You know, you go down the list, you've got the Anakin on a tri logo. Eighty dollars was the last one sold. Do you know what I mean? So it, it is doable. In the last seventeen, it still cost you. A couple of grand but you know it, it is doable that it's there isn't it not that I'm going to try it but oh, sorry Jez you continue <laughs> oh, thanks very much to you. Oh, <laughs> get on with that Barada you said Barada was yeah, one the of the last, more expensive the last Barada that- out of the four sold 447 <laughs> wow see yeah. are you glad you got that for Christmas now Jez I am glad I got that for Christmas a couple of years ago thank you very much Grant. my logo 156 wow wow so there you go Marky G are you above or below your average? I mean, you know, well done anyway, mate. Awesome. Moving on. Page 1741. Clark's pie and chip. This was awesome. Farthest from Squidhead, as we already know, the best character there is, probably. Mint on card. Bobby Dazzler, bargain of the day, with a star case, £10. £10. Stu, you were there. You saw this. Do you know what? Near the end of the day, he um he was standing in the middle of the hall and I went to have a chat with him. He was beaming. He'd got he'd got both Shane's and um Matthias's books under his arm, which I think cost him seventy, eighty quid, somewhere around about there. And then he got this mock on the top and he was so happy. When was the last time any of you lot bought a decent Star Wars vintage item for a tenner, really? On the actual toy line. First of all, Stu, I want to say congratulations for saying Star Wars. It's not that often you actually remember to put the S on the end, so well done for that. Um, yeah, I mean Ten pounds you take off the price of the star case, and then you just think, right, eight pound mint on card. A real bargain. Uh, <laughs> phenomenal, unbelievable. I was so chuffering, hence why I had to mention it. But yeah, crack it. <laughs> Page seventeen forty-two. Scruffy looking nerf herder. He was there. He's got himself an awesome looking Luke Poncho. Bought us great about this. 
is he's broken it free. Complete jailbreak from his AFA Y75. So someone else, as we already know, decided to grade this a 75. Oh, it must be awful. And they've given it a Y for yellow. He's broken it out and it looks absolutely stunning. Mint. It's a loop poncho. It looks brilliant. Scruffy mate and well chuffed for you. Pete, I noticed you checked this out. Yeah, I think you missed the trick with the story of breaking it out. Um, it, it looks like he really went for it with like a hammer. Um, <laughs> because the, a small piece of it broke off and went into his printer and destroyed his printer. He had to take his printer apart and get the piece out. So I think uh, I think we need to under- try and understand when you're breaking it open, you don't actually have to use a mallet or a hammer. You can maybe use more more delicate tools. I don't know, but uh, it was that badly sealed. But um, I checked out, actually, um, the last uh, Luke Poncho on Vectus, and they had a, a higher-graded item. Um, it, it came at AFA 80, Oh, AFA 80, if you want to be that silly. And, um, that, that, uh, that is worse looking than, than that one. Um, the, 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 the one we're, we're actually reviewing. It actually had, it actually did have a yellowed bubble rather than this one, which looks non-yellowed, but was graded yellow. So, goodness knows what's happening with the, with the grading. I mean, this is why I don't touch it because it just, that just looks nonsense. There was no yellowing in that bubble from what I could see. Fantastic looking, Luke. And as you said, Pete, when you are uh, jailbreaking one maybe use less force (laughs) (laughs) boom moving on page 1746 now what i was chuffed to see on page 1746 is tatsy posting again now i've been on the forum since 2011 i think tatsy was always one of the guys who was there posting away he's had a little bit of a sabbatical but it's great to see him posting again he's put up some loose figures collection of loose ones now he's getting back into it what he's shown very very subtly just in the corner is a collection of yak faces just sort of nonchalantly put in the corner which obviously he didn't let go of seven yak faces and a blue snag impressive most impressive very nice very understated very cool rich yeah it's always nice seeing somebody restart the collection again by getting some um, beautiful loose figures and you know going through the whole okay I've got 9 I've got 12 I've got 15 and, and it snowballs from there but you're right those 7 yak faces they were right at the back um, I believe he's had these for quite a while hasn't it because um, a member had made some kind of comment where I don't understand why somebody needs so many of one figure and uh, he came back with a great comment saying hey I got them for £40 each end of which I thought was great beautiful figures um, so well done Tati nice to see you back in the collecting game yeah here, here. moving on to page 1747 what I particularly liked about this because again this shows how great the community is you know Facebook forums all the same that someone will put something on want a little bit of information and then before you know it someone's there boom with loads of stuff now Grant what I'm referring to are the retro cool looking t-shirts which you put on which straight away everyone's like nice but then what blew everyone away is Mark's knowledge now what what did he tell you um, well Mark Sublevel Studios on the Star Wars forum he recognised it and posted it a link now this t-shirt is, itself is actually very very ugly but it's actually a Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back original UK 1982 exhibitors seat selling guide t-shirt and it was made by a company called Rank Odeon, and it was to do with the Odeon cinema. So it was basically, they'd wear these t-shirts in and which to promote the double bill of Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back in 1982, 
before the release of Return of the Jedi. But the the thing, the t-shirt itself is hideous. I'm not sure if I'm going to keep it, and I know that there's a few completists, especially the American completists, that are interested in it. And I'm thinking I might be actually trading it off, but it's a uh, it's a well out there kind of piece. Yeah, it's also it makes me think, wow. You know, with, with the knowledge which he's given, I bet there are some of the big-time American collectors who probably think, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I haven't got one of those. And before you know it, Grant, you might be getting tapped up and contacted for uh, for that hideous-looking T-shirt. Um, but, I've already sent a few feelers out, to be honest with you. I've got, <laughs> I've got a couple of people who are like, what's that? Is really? Vintage? Yeah, yeah. So I, hopefully I can get another shelf talker from the Americans. Nice. Oh, good, good one, mate. But, yeah, it just shows the power of the community. Absolutely love it. Wicked. So then moving on to page 1749, Jimbo UK 1979. What's great here, he's just up maintenance energizer. Just found it out, out in the wild when he least expected it. Just out and he just finds it in some, in some store. It's great. It's a buzz when you're in some sort of shop or you've, you know, you've gone off and you've nipped into some secondhand store or what have you and you just see some vintage Star Wars stuff. So to find it, maintenance energizer, good on you. Rich? you got some thoughts on this. Yeah, it was an incomplete maintenance energizer. It was just a body, I believe, and you only paid £2. But it really is a beautiful-looking body. And I think I would have just bought it as well if I'd have been in the same situation, whether I wanted it or not, just to say, wow, look at this that I've got for a pound. But the reason why I'm highlighting it is because there's been a bit of a debate on Facebook about the cost of buying the individual parts for the vehicle maintenance energizer versus buying the, the thing complete. I mean, what could you... Buy a complete vehicle, uh, maintenance energizer for eight pound, nine pounds, somewhere about there. Probably, yeah, uh, probably not even that in some cases. Probably not even that. But, no. but the prices of the individual tools coming to an absolute fortune, and it made us wonder: is this one of the most expensive um, and cost you to buy items? And I'm talking about percentages, obviously, because it's not going to cost you thousands to buy it. But is a percentage versus buying one complete and buying one in individual parts, is it one of the most expensive ones to get? Well, I think you're right. I think it could be. But let's just turn that on its head. I didn't realise you were going to say that. That's fair enough. But let's just turn that around. Now, we've got one or two listeners out there, and I'm sure amongst everyone, some people might have some spare parts. You never know. Might have some hoses or some of the spanners or what have you. I'm going to put it out to the community who are listening to this, that if anyone's got any of these spare parts, which they think, I, don't, I won't miss that, that's not a problem, contact us or contact Jimbo UK 1979 It would be awesome if we could somehow community fund, get some stuff so we can complete this out there, find in the wild for £2 and get it completed for Jimbo. I mean, is that, is that a reasonable idea, guys? I'll tell you what, Jez, I'll kick that off because that big box of Vector stuff that I purchased earlier in the year, had the tubing bit, a spare one of those, the tubing bit that comes off the side. Right. So I will throw that in to start start this uh, little campaign off. Right, we're off. Let's get Jimbo, whether he likes it or not. But let's, yeah, let's get him everything he needs and let's do it for the Vintage Rebellion. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> you can tell I've had a long day of work today because I'm going a little bit crazy. Age 1750, Stormcab, wow, stunning Palatoy mint on cards from Vector. So I'll say that page number again, page 1750, absolutely gorgeous. I mean, we can see the quality of some of the things coming out of Vector. Mate, Stormcab, you have got some wonderful figures there. Epic. Again, further down from page 1750, my eyes were just coming out of stalks. I was like, wow, this is the page. Palatoy Junkie, epic, truly epic 30 bag Yoda, absolutely stunning. Grant, I know that you were uh, you were quite keen on this one. Yeah, actually, the last couple of pages on Star Wars from UK have been a tour de force of um, 
big hitters, haven't they? Yeah, what surprises me is that the Yoda debuted on the 30B card. I mean, this card is a beautiful card as well. It's in immaculate condition. But it's surprised that the Yoda didn't come out with the 30A because, you know, the film had already been out in the States at that point, and I knew they held back the Yoda as a big surprise for Empire Strikes Back. Yet they held it back as well for uh, the Pally Toy release, which had been several months later. May I could just listen to you all night long? Oh, Not thank you, your mate. knowledge amazing. Hey, it's do you know, here's another one for you, though, Jez. Go on. The Boba Fett didn't come out until the 30B either. That didn't come out with the 30A yet. It was already on the Star Wars 21 back. Mind-blowing. And, hang on a minute, Has any the 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 first Yoda that came out with, in the Kenner had the orange snake with it. By the time we get the debut on the Pally Toy on the 30B, no orange snakes, only brown snakes. Don't get technical with me. I, I am blown away. Isn't that mad? That is mad. Unless, you know, it'd be great if someone could show us a photograph of a 30B with an orange snake on it, but never seen one. I love the fact that our podcasts are back up to six hours again. It's awesome, isn't it? It's really, really good. Gorich, that's amazing stuff, Grant. I, I guess, but your your knowledge, man, just blows me away. Next, time, next time we're at a convention and there's a quiz on, I have to sit next to you because you will always win them. I, I, I just Googled it, Jez, to be honest. <laughs> well, that could be something that I'll ask Chris, isn't it, for one of his articles for Insider? Something else I want to know about as we move on to page 1754. I love Ian's Canadian transition mint on cards. He's got a C3PO with the Return of a Jedi sticker on it. These Canadian transition mint on cards just absolutely stunning. I mean, who would know that this one there, which they think, oh yeah, what we'll do is we'll just put a sticker on it, we'll get away with it, no one will know, no one will mind. I know it's a bit cheap. The, uh, the prices that these can uh, command because I know that I'd certainly like to buy one and um, I'd, I'd probably pay good money for one. Fantastic. Yeah, do you know what I find was really unique about this? Maybe you guys could help me out a little bit on this. Now, what logo is that film release? What logo? Yeah. What logo card is that? That Canadian transition? Well, it's Empire Strikes Back. No, it's not. It's got the sticker on it. It's got the Return of the Jedi sticker on it. Yeah, that's it. So it's a Return of the Jedi carded figure, really, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it is. Okay, what's the Fix. figure? What's yeah. the figure? Fixed limbs. Yeah. Fixed limbs, C-3PO on a Return of the Jedi card? What? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's, it's something special. I absolutely love it. I, I think they're so, so cool. <laughs> so, yeah, congratulations, mate, Ian. Your, your collection, your extended droid focus. So your DSD and your C-3PO obviously because of your Dewey Shoemate purchase. Your joy collection, mate, is going brilliant, so good on you with that transition. Fantastic. So that's the end of Souls Forum UK that I've seen. However, moving on to Rebel Scum. You Rebel Scum. Now, you'll notice I didn't mention anything from Rebel Scum last month. They had a bit of a, uh, a little bit of a sabbatical, a little bit of a, uh, a break from putting stuff up in their latest acquisitions. But you'll see now that they're back with a vengeance. Now, as we've moved away from page 1754, now up to page 1760 on, on Star Wars from UK, Rebel Scum were at page 159. So, yeah, not as prevalent, but the stuff they put up there, oh, my word. First of all, Slinger, he's put up there an ATAT complete ATAT, ATAT, all-train armor transport, whatever. Uh, he's put up one of those complete and a Falcon with some graded comics. So I think, Pete, with the whole thing of the ships and the comics, that's got to float your boat, hasn't it, bud? Well, the comics I found quite interesting because um, he had the original number one 
uh, Star Wars number one on there, which is uh, very highly graded, 9.6. And then he had a, um, the Alex Ross sort of variant cover of that for the new release of the Marvel comic on that 9.8. And I was actually wondering, what on earth? I mean, what what's all these grading things about? Do you know that you can actually get a 10? Did you know that, Jez? Hey, man. I don't know what it's called if you get graded as a 10. Uh, no, I was just looking at the Falcon and the Atom. Oh. <laughs> I know, I've gone straight into the comic, but what, what, just out of interest, what do you think it's called if you get a 10 out of 10? Uh, juggernaut. <laughs> See, I had no idea, and I had a quick look at the, uh, the grading process, and apparently it's called Gem Mint, which means it's, it must be untouched or something by human hands, because I thought mint would be pretty mint, but obviously there's a, an even more minty than mint, which is Gem Mint. Gem Mint, I can't believe that. You know, earlier on, when we had that game and Stu asked me what my name was, and I said, I can't tell you because I'd have to kill you, my secret Star Wars name is Gem Mint. A 10 out of 10 if you get that. You're all dead. But I do love the, uh, the, the very minty-looking Millennium Falcon. It looks very, just straight out of a box almost. Yeah, Slinger, mate, you've got some cracking pieces there. The Atta and the Falcon and some graded near Gem Mint comics. Absolutely brilliant. Nice one, buddy. But moving on to page 160. Now, Greedo didn't shoot. Let's put this up on Facebook in the pre-production 2D and 3D 1977 to current group, but also on Rebel Scum. It's a wild find pair of A-wing test shots from Ohio. Now, there was initially some speculation on Facebook, but proved completely legit. People checking out and checking in the battery compartment and seeing the screws and, you know, even the rust on the screws and looking at them. He's now looking at trading them. So I was thinking that maybe, you know, thinking back to the 80s and thinking back to what it was like. Anyone remember Noel Edmonds' swap shop? (laughs) Yes. I loved it. Watched it every Saturday. No, I don't know how that worked. You'd, you'd obviously get some kid phone up saying, yeah, I've got a xylophone. And then you get another kid phone up saying, yeah, well, I've got this Sony Walkman with a fast-forward only button and the orange headphones. Yeah, let's swap those. I mean, did anyone actually know anyone who did this whole swap thing? You know yeah, where- I did, Jez. I actually did. People, cool. it, it, it worked. Before the internet, the only way you could communicate with people was through the television or using the telephone. So, yeah, I mean, I had a friend who swapped some Star Wars item for, I can't remember what other franchise it was, but another spacey, it might be a Star Trek item, but yeah, he actually did it, and uh, it actually happened live on air. No, Edmunds. <laughs> yes. Oh, I always wanted to meet you. Hello, Hello? Line 5. Hello? Hello. So there was Noel Edmunds, and of course you get uh, Posh Paws, and you got Keith Chegwin, and they're bringing in post-it notes with swaps on, and um, someone came up with the goods that he wanted, and, and he sent it off, and it all happened sort of like eBay-esque. Wow. Well, let's do that. Let's just get it out of there and just say, right, Greedo didn't shoot. Here we go. He's got these A-wing test shot. He could be looking at trading them in. Noel Edmonds swap shop. You never know. Let's see. We could be the helping hand here for the community. If I think, Jez, I think Jez, you would make a great Noel Edmonds. 
If you had the beard and the hair, you would sound just like him. I've got a range of very ropey jumpers. Oh, <laughs> I, could do... <laughs> I, I could be Mr. Blobby. Yep. <laughs> I know it's a bit later on, but <laughs> Stu would make a great posh pause. I, I mean, he's about the same height. You must Google posh pause. And, and Grant could be Maggie Phil then, because I think she might have been Welsh, I'm not sure. This is it. Yeah. Uh, have we forgotten Rich again? Uh, I, I don't know what Rich would be, to be fair. Oh, God. They wouldn't have had tellies in the north in those days, would they, Rich? Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, that oh. was early eBay. That was that what kicked eBay off, I think. Well, these A-wing test shots, they look awesome. They're just two A-wing test shots from Ohio. I contacted him, and he just said, the short version is he came across a guy from Ohio just north of uh, Cincy, and he found these in his uncle's garage. He's got no idea where they come from, as his uncle had no ties to the toy business. But needless to say, he's now been scouring his uncle's place for anything else. Um, It's a great find. It's been confirmed that these are test shots, and he's looking at moving them on. Grant, did you see these? Uh, yes, mate. Tidy, aren't they? Really nice pieces. Yeah. Are you sure they're not part of the Force 2? There was a little bit of chat about this, and people were having a real close look, and they were talking at the, you know, the date stamps on, on them, because we, we've, we've looked at all this stuff about the same stamps. But then someone else was going in saying, let me have a little look at this compartment, let me have a look at the degradation on the screws, and all that sort of stuff. And, and the people who you would say would be the ones who know and would know better have said, no, these are, these are genuine test shots. Now, there's been a lot of these unearthed in the wild. Um, but but the uh, the latest I've heard is, no, it's all looking good. Do you know something else, mate? No, I don't, mate. No, I would love them. <laughs> well, maybe you can phone in. Speak with Posh Paws. I'll just put on my new ropey jumper and we'll get him a nice little deal. So... Moving on to page 160. In fact, moving on, it's the same page. Page 160. Matteo, or Math, is uh, put on his Jabba the Hutt first shot prototype and his Blue Harvest droopy hard copy. So I was looking at this, and it's it's really interesting. First of all, to get Jabba the Hutt first shot prototype and then going on to his Blue Harvest thing. Rich, I noticed that you were uh, you were quite interested in this. Yeah, um, I've had a look on the SWT at some of the other Jabba the Hood Photoshop, Photoshop prototypes. There's quite a few of them, aren't there? And there's some that are, you know, virtually bright red. As we've already said in the past, you know, with these first shots, they just used whatever colouring and plastic they could find. It's interesting that Matt used that the tail on it has a real nice colour, which I'm probably is assuming it's accidental, but it, it, it's given it quite a texture. And it looks, it looks like one of the modern kind of paint jobs on it, so it's cracking. And as you've just heard in the Chris interview, a Blue Harvest unpainted hard copy, we're aware of what the backstory is of these, but they do have their own little um, market in the collecting community, and I think, I think they're great, so, so well done for picking that up as well, Matthew. Yeah, it, it's, it's cracking. Anything, from my point of view, prototypal pre-production is definitely uh, on my radar right now. I'm really pleased that he's, he's come back to me with some more information. Sent me a link, actually, to the Imperial Gunnery and the Imperial Gunnery Forum, where they've got a whole thread dedicated to pre-production. This is completely recognising the importance of these forums. You know, the, the Imperial Gunnery, source from UK, Rebel Scum, when you have a thread of this quality, where all the pre-production stuff is there, just one after another, and discussions, and, and it's just the source, the place where you can learn. It, it's a cracking thread. He said the original owner who posted them then had it authenticated by Tom Darby, sold it to, to John Paul. He then bought it from John Paul. And the Droopy McCaller, as we've said, um, that's also archived on SWCA, and the, the very one on the SWCA is the one which he's got. 
And we all know Joe O'Brien. He said he saw Joe O'Brien, saw it posted on Star Wars Forum UK a couple of weeks back, and he gave me a heads up as he knew that he had a Jabba Focus and it would fit nicely with his Jabba Focus. So thanks to Joe. Joe arranged for the connection between himself and the owner. Um, so he's a uh, massive thanks out to Joe for doing that. And the latter was willing to trade it, not sell it, but he didn't have anything he wanted to trade, and he managed to convince him that that piece belonged in his own collection. So he was nice enough to sell it to him. So he's dead shut with that. Basically, John Paul wasn't planning on selling his Jabba prototype, but as they're good buddies, and he knew, he knew his focus as well. Plus, apparently, John Paul's wife hated the Jabba turd. <laughs> He consented to sell it to him. So two cracking examples of how fellow collectors help out everyone backs each other up and the, the great collecting community and an example yet again of how fantastic the forums can be. So nice one, really, really cool on page 160 of Rebel Scum. Okay, so moving on. Facebook, where do you start? First of all, Steve Tucker on Echo Base. Yeah, I'm giving a shout out to Steve Tucker because first of all, he doesn't have it's not a new figure. It's not a new shuttle. It's not a new bit of pre-production. He's got a new display room. It's awesome. And he, he was so chuffed. He said he's been totally spoiled this weekend. His unbelievable wife has transformed an old storage room that's needed overhauling for a year or two into his display room, saying he had too much stuff in boxes and it should be out on show. She's bought cabinets and decorated the place out and even hung up some artwork from a, a friend called Dan Turrell. He said the shelves aren't filled yet. He's still unboxing stuff he forgot he had, and uh, he's the luckiest bugger he knows. It, it's, it's just fantastic. His wife, by the way, who definitely needs a shout-out, good on you, Sue Tucker Reynolds. She's the brains, apparently. Now, Stu, I have to come to you, mate, because I can only think of your garage. What are your thoughts on this, dude? Well, this is uh, quite strange that you're... Uh that his wife has done this because about a month ago I sat there and I started moaning to my wife saying, you know, got loads and loads of collecting bits, all boxed up, never see it, the garage just a tip. And in the last month she's actually been out there going through the boxes, she's been doing charity shop runs, dumping stuff, selling stuff, and it is getting clear. And she's actually ordered, now she did this because she's a manager of a, of a DIY store, she's actually ordered all the stuff to be, to um, insulate the walls and... Um, I too also have now some cabinets out there, so it's slowly coming together. So I reckon by the time we um, record the Christmas special, my garage will be starting to have things displayed in it. So uh, yes, yes, my wife is uh, sorting me out in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, so fantastic, Steve. Good on you, mate. Echo Base UK, check it out, and I'm sure it's going to be a work in progress. So congratulations, brilliant. And Stu. I look forward to seeing what it is your wife can uh, can do with that box. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Gary Davis on Yavin 4 and the Star Wars Vintage Collecting Group. The reason I've mentioned this is he's actually, it's not an acquisition again, it's a display video. Now this is something different because we don't actually see that many videos. People put up limelights, people put up this, that and the other. It's something which I've always thought about doing, putting a little video together for insurance purposes, um, but putting something together. What have you guys seen? Now, I sent you the link. Have you guys seen this video? I've seen it, Jez, because I actually look at the show notes. Um, and ah. It's a shame that it's a bit grainy, but it is really good. And you're right, I'd love to do something similar myself. He's made the best use of the space that's available there, I know that much. 
it's crazy lighting. It's like some sort of trippy disco going on yeah. in the election. And sometimes I'm not quite sure uh, what's going on. But I love it. Gary, I just you know, love the fact that you've done a video, put it on there, and, and we just don't see enough of it. So here we go, lads. I'm laying it down. Now, we're all busy. I know we're all busy. So I'm not saying let's just do this by the time the podcast is out. But can we all do our own mini video for Christmas? Stu, are you in? If my room is sorted by Christmas, I'm there. Yeah. Yes, I heard it, yes. Rich, are you in? I'm always in. Pete? Yeah, I'm, I'm cheap as chips, me. <laughs> Grant? Yeah, when the cabinet arrives, yeah, sure. I'm with you too. Let's do it. Right, let's get it out of there. Come on, guys, I want to see some videos. There's one thing, seeing a picture, I want to see there's some cracking collections out there. There's some amazing stuff. Let's get people making some videos and just put them online. That'd be brilliant. So, Gary Davis... I think you may have just started a trend there. Thanks very much, mate. Yavin for Aaron Decker. Here you go, mate. Nice one. He's wanted a rancor for 30 years. He's got himself a rancor. So he's put it online. Simple as that. You've put your rancor on and you've got it. So Aaron Decker, congratulations on your rancor. It looks ace uh, and everyone needs one. Whenever I see a rancor, though, Grant, I just think of you and that story which you tell us about the rancor at Christmas. The loaf of bread. Yeah, I, I, seriously, mate, I've heard you say that, and every time I see a rancor now, I hear, I just think about your loaf of bread. Exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, nice one, Aaron, good on you, buddy. Moving on, Ben Stell, here we go, the Vintage Trilogo Group. Now, I love this, because it was a big haul which he had from Mark Walsh, Now he sent me a photograph of this, which is great because it's got nine tri-logos on. But it, it's a really, really nice reflection of all the different ones because he's got the last 17 with the barcodes, the large price sticker, the regular, and also the hybrid. Um, really, really good. And uh, good on you, Ben Stell, mate. They're, uh, they're really nice. And check out his cards on the Vintage Tri-Logo Group. Moving on to Gordon McQuire on the 12 back and early vintage collecting group. And I think we're all members of that one. Now, Gordon's put on a two-pack, which was a Greedo and a blue Snaggletooth baggies. I mean, a Greedo and blue Snaggletooth. It looks cracking. Two really, really great figures. Stu, you were interested in this one, weren't you? Oh, I'd love to have this item. Um, right up my street, obviously, with the Greedo and the randomness of being with the blue snag. But I couldn't believe the condition it was in. That Those bags are so clear, so crisp. That could be brand new, straight off the production line, the way it looks. I think he's um, picked up an absolute gem. Yeah, didn't the Greedo and the Blue Snaggletooth come in a mailer together? That was it. That's it, yeah. It came with the box as well, did it? Yeah. Ah, nice one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I love the professionalism. <laughs> so, yeah, brilliant. Two favourite ones in a box. Proper, decent two-pack. <laughs> Moving on, in the Tall Toys, uh, Toys 18 Plus group, James Kennison, AJ. Now, this just had me, first of all, it had me with my eyes popping out of my head, and then it just had me laughing. He put on a Tortoise hand solo and Stormtrooper. I was like, wow, that looks amazing. And there was loads of people saying, oh, wow, is this true? Are these real? This is fantastic. Oh, my goodness. And he had everyone going for a while. And then it was, no, spoof complete mickey take and they've just been photoshopped in it just it just made me laugh because you had so many people just hooked in jake reaper's picture just came up this swearing fisherman looking guy with his big beard just saying reapers any of you guys see that or is it just me yeah i saw i thought it was legit <laughs> the old man that is 
but when you look at it a second time, you're like, no, that's quite clearly not legit. <laughs> that did look, when I went back and looked at it again, but I just think that's funny. It just made me laugh. So no, again, not a latest acquisition or a new acquisition, just um, a little bit of a laugh. There we go. We all need laughter. Moving <laughs> on. Andy Norton. Um, Andy, Miss Card Facebook group. Oh, I so want a Miss Card. Who saw this? Han Hoth on a Trilogo Bespin. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Grant, you've got some missed cards, haven't you? No, I haven't really. I've only got one. But um, Andy's big into his hand half, isn't he? So that's a major catch for him. Finally, what I wanted to talk about is David, and I certainly hope I pronounced your name right here, mate. David Demarches on the Vintage 12 Backs and Early Vintage Collecting Group. He's put on two Vader utility packs. Now these are awesome. These are these are so bad. They're good. These are so 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 cool. Did everyone get to see these Vader utility packs? Yeah, um, I've never seen them before. Yeah, they're they're very scarce now. Now where's the normal place where I go to do a little bit of research on this? Naturally, I would go to the Star Wars Collectors Archive and, and check out what they've got. They didn't have a great deal, so I've got the information from them, but also from David himself from the SWCA. Things, these things are way rare, scarcely seen. We don't know any collectors that have beaten down doors to find them. So yeah, they're rare, but they're not particularly po- uh, popular. The quality is embarrassingly low. Um, each set comes with a belt buckle and a generic laser pistol. Well, when I say each set, is because they've got the Vader one, the Luke Skywalker one, and the Princess Leia one. Now, Grant, have you seen these? Yes, mate. These are one of the, if I'm, if I remember right, these are one of the first collectibles that came out, and they were from Canada, Canada. So they triggered, because they were so poor, they triggered Lucasfilm to have some kind of quality control of what was being branded Star Wars because these were so dire, which made them. Um, I think they had a really short run. They were withdrawn. And they've made them super, super, super rare, especially to get them in the box. You do see the buckle, the belts come up online every now and then. You might see the gun on Rebel Scum in terrible condition, but you'll never see them boxed. These are like epic, epic rare find. Boom, on the money, once again, Mr. C. Yeah, man, totally. And that's it. Kenner, Kenner Canada, did it in 1978. And as you say, George Lucas didn't like it at all and, and, and whipped them off. So what have we got there? We've got the Luke one, we've got the Leia one, we've got the Vader one. The Luke one came with a grappling hook as well as the generic laser pistol and the belt with a buckle. And the Princess Leia one came with a watch and a torch. <laughs> Why? Uh, I don't know. They had no idea. Uh, SMBCA said got no idea what came in the original, uh, the additional Darth Vader one, or even if it has an additional accessory. It said these utility belts are packaged in a cardboard box with a cellophane window, and the contents are held in place by moulded plastic. That was it. So the SWCA, you know, explain about the Luke one, explain about the Leo one, but there's no information on Darth Vader. So this is when David then gives me the information, uh, and he said, "Yep, these utility belts." He said. He said it was made in 1979 by Kenner Canada, so we've got a slight discrepancy there. 78, 79, there, thereabouts. It's believed they're on short store shelves for a very short period of time before George Lucas caught wind of them and insisted they stop production. And you're absolutely right, this is what David just confirms. He was not happy with the cheap quality of the sets and did not want them associated with his movie. He said he wasn't sure about the Luke and Lear sets, but the Vader set was manufactured with a white insert as well is a rarer red insert. So we go to two different versions of the right. Vader one. So as well as being rare, there's a particularly rare red one. 
he's got both. They, thanks for letting me know about them. He, did, uh, he wasn't sure whether or not they were so poorly constructed, whether or not they were actually um, sealed in stores. But he said he has seen he has seen it, and there is signs that there was tape at one point. Now I, I was trying to do a little bit more information on this. Now this is where you need to be careful, uh, and I'm going to tell you something now. And you should probably be careful if you're going to try and check this out on the internet. Because the reason being is I googled Darth Vader utility belt and this and the other, and after a while I found a particular website, and this is by me googling Darth Vader, not by me trying to Google anything else. This website is called Topless Robot. Now I've got peace attention. Yeah, Topless Robot. I've never ever heard of that website before. You might want to check it out. It's featured on there with even just as much information, if not more, in this case, than the SWCA had. So again, a great source. And they've got all sorts of stuff. And, and Topless Robot had the top five worst utility packs and the top five best utility packs. Now we're talking, you know, Batman and various different things, Buck Rogers. And the number one worst utility pack ever made was the Darth Vader one, according to Topless Robot. He said the Dark Lord of the Sith pistol and silly truncated lightsaber allegedly made George Lucas fire off his force lightning, aka the lawyers, and the production was halted on these babies pretty damn quick. He's just confirmed again that it's got the lightsaber as well as the pistol. I mean Darth Vader having a pistol. Pokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side. These things are so naff, but they're brilliant. So lads that's it. That's just a quick canter through this week, uh, this month rather. Now, I'm aware that everything which we've discussed is what I've seen. Or is there anything at all that you've just seen in the last couple of days which you just think, wow, that's the business? Yeah. Go on. Yeah, I think uh, I noticed our little friend Ian, he has a Nikto on a Warus Man uh, Return of a Jedi miscard, which I think is fantastic. It's amazing to see the single logo, you know, the Empire Strikes Back, the Return of a Jedi figures, the miscards on them, because you get used to seeing them on the tri-logos, but you don't see them on the uh, on the single logo cards, and I thought it was an amazing piece. Yeah, mate, everyone's commenting on it, but it, is it true to say that this is a sample card, not a miscard? I don't know. I, I have absolutely no idea. It didn't even cross my mind. Maybe it is. Well, yeah. I know, because I, I think a lot of the Jedi carded figures came out... Um, on empires as miscards, and they, they they use the the stuff that they already had to test all that kind of stuff out. So I think it's just just a genuine miscard. I mean, Nick does look a little bit like Wars Man. <laughs> well, it, I I think it's pretty cool. There's a few people saying, yeah, sample this and, and sample that, but yeah, yeah, really, really nice. So I know that's just that's only coming in the last day or so. Rich, yeah, Bruce Wade posted in the lead. <laughs> Acquisitions, uh, most hideous lamp I have ever seen. It's a uh, ceramic knockoff Leah lamp, and and there's a pic- he's linked it to the picture on the SWC when it was brand new and beautiful, and it had it's got like jewels around the collar, and it looks pretty. But the the one that he's got is a little bit worn. Uh, he said it's not as ugly as the Leah Sigma one, but it's not far off. <laughs> it's funny you should bring that item up, Rich, because uh, that was sold about an, a, a month ago on um, eBay, and I had it on my watch list, and it was on a buy it now, and I put an offer in, and the bloke had come back to me with uh, another offer, and I thought I'd do it when I get home. Left it for half an hour. When I got home, I thought I'll accept that because it was quite cheap. And when I went on there, he had sold it, and it just so happened that Bruce had bought it. So it could have well been sitting in my collection, and it is pretty hideous. It's actually a bootleg ceramic, isn't it, from back in the... Uh, hey, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. He, didn't he say in, a, in his interview a couple of podcasts ago that he wouldn't take the Sigma mug? 
the Princess A Sigma mug, but do you take this? Yeah, he reckons it's better than the Sigma mug, but it is ugly. <sighs> Don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, so very, very close to mine. If he hadn't uh, bought it in that, that little period of me driving home, I would have purchased that item. It looked nice in a box in your shed, mate. <laughs> We're talking about Stu's box again. Yeah. So, there we go, the end of a cracking month, a fantastic month of stuff being posted online in all sorts of forums in all sorts of places and we've just as a refresher going through you know we've now hopefully started off a new swap shop going on so let's see if we can get these a-wings moved on to a new owner what else have we done the vehicle maintenance energizer let's see if we can yeah get the community funded get that completed so a two pound found in the wild that'd be an awesome thing to do and it's just been a great great indication of how the community can come together it's been really really heartwarming seeing this month and long may it continue finally a plea from me if anyone sees anything on their own groups or another group please contact me or contact any of the lads on the podcast team and you never know next month we'll be talking about it until then carry on posting guys Welcome to this month's event section. Unfortunately, we are unable to record with this month's guest, so here is the autumn events in the UK. As always, search for any of these events in Google to find the details, and let us know if you'd like this to expand into global events. In September, the London Film Convention in Westminster. Into October, we have Field of Force Day in Peterborough on October 10th. On the 11th, King Kong in Durham. October 17th is Invasion Dublin. October 24th, we have both Chippenham Sci-Fi Convention and our, our Disappearing Planet Charity Autograph Convention in Blackpool. October 24th, Cardiff Film and Comic Con. And on Halloween, October 31st, Belfast Film and Comic Con, Big Bang Sci-Fi Comic Con in London, and WinterCon in Eastbourne. Into November, see Sci-Fi Bromley on November the 14th, and November 15th is Bolton Sci-Fi Comic Con. November 21st, Merseyside Comic Con. November 28th, Halicon in Halifax, and on November 29th, Wales Comic Con in Glindu University. Mustafa doesn't taste out like it ought to. The water in Machoka don't taste like what it ought to. The water down in Mustafa doesn't taste quite like it should. Machoka! Mustafa? Machoka! Mustafa! Oi, Dale, any danger of some refreshment in here? Here you are. Get your laughing gear in there. Golly, the water in Majorca. What's that? Don't taste like what it oughta. The water in Majorca don't taste like what it oughta. Golly, he's cracked it. He's only gone and cracked it.
Vintage Star Wars refreshes the parts that other toys cannot reach. So now it's time for us to return to the concluding part of our fascinating interview with Chris Fawcett. Enjoy. So Chris, you intrigued me with something you messaged me the other day. Now as collectors we all use certain terminology on a daily basis and we don't really think where it came from or how it originated. I know I never had. But it turns out that yourself and others coined some of these phrases in the early years. What kind of terminology are we talking about here? Well, the yeah, it's definitely, there are some phrases that we use now that were not common in the 90s. Probably the, the one you hear the most thrown about that was totally invented is DT, Luke, DT, Ben, double telescoping. See, back in the 90s, those figures that we now call DT were just called telescoping. So it'd be a telescoping Luke, telescoping Ben. And that created so much confusion because you'd get people new coming in and they'd hear the word telescoping and they'd look at their regular figure and go, oh, this thing telescopes in and out of the arm. And they would think they had the super, super rare one. At one point in time, I was like, this is really confusing. We should change the name. And this was back in on the Usenet groups. I was like, we should just call it a double telescoping because it has two pieces that come out. So it does telescope twice. So let's call it a double telescoping. And previous to that, a friend of mine had started banding about the term VC Jawa for vinyl cape Jawa. He's like, I'm tired of writing this. Let's call it VC. And like, there was a lot of pushback and everybody's like, oh, that's terrible. And then it got adopted and everybody uses VC Jawa now. So I was like, hey, similar to the VC Jawa, let's call these double telescoping. We can shorten it to DT figures, easier to type. Everybody knows what we're talking about. And when new people come in, oh, with double telescoping, oh, well, mine only telescopes once. Maybe I don't have the super rare one and eliminate all that confusion. So I put that out there on the Usenets. And again, there was a lot of resistance because, you know, the name we'd been using forever was telescoping savers. But eventually it just got adopted. And now you don't hear anybody call those things anything but the DT figures. So that was one. And then um, the other one was uh, the coin soft copies. I don't know if you guys are aware of what those are. But when those things came out, me and John Wooten had the first find of those. And that was actually my very first Kenner employee find was um, a bunch of the first soft copies that came out. It's a part of the, the coin tooling process. And they're really super flexible. And we had no idea what they were called. They came from a lady whose husband worked at Kenner. So she didn't know what they called them internally really either because it was her ex, and she just had the stuff in the closet, and she's like, I don't know what these are. Do you want them? So we went down to Columbus, me and John, to meet her, and bought this stack of soft copies. There, were, I think there was maybe 20 or so, along with um, a couple other cool items, a Power of the Force coin album and 63rd coin and a few other things. And I was like, well, you know, we've got these things called hard copies, and at the time, some of the coin hard copies had surfaced, So, and those things are really super like a rock, like I said. Now, like, these things are flexible. Let's call them soft copies. So I just decided that was the name of them, and uh, that's what they've kind of been called in the collector community ever since. But in the actual Kenner terminology, they called them rubbers. I guess they're made out of silicone, and they're kind of rubbery. Mm-hmm. So that was another another one. So it's, it's interesting how the, the terminology changes over the decades. It, it is. It's fascinating. I was certainly reading um, what you mentioned there on the Usenet, where one guy, you could tell he was obviously sick of typing telescope, and, and for a while they were referring to them as uh, telelooks and double telelooks, mm-hmm. and, and, and the evolution of the terminology is fascinating. Yeah. I think that original post of mine about, hey, let's call them DT, I think that's still out there on the Usenet. 
It is, yeah. I, I looked it up a few years back, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's still there. That post is still there. It's kind of weird to look back in your history like that and go, something I typed 20 years ago is <laughs> it's kind of kind of weird. That's second nature as well now. Everyone just knows them as DTs, so it's strange yeah. being in the community. Well, I'll have to uh, hunt that uh, article down and bump it up when the podcast is released. Interesting read for people. Is there any new terminology around that you see things change, or do things tend to be the same? Uh, I think mostly it's settled down at this point in time. There's not there's not a lot of whole whole lot of new things we're learning, at least about the process of the toy making. I think we've kind of got a handle on all that and what's out there. So the stuff we're learning today are the little things. Like I said, the, the Luke and Robes was a Jedi figure, you know, kind of interesting things like that. The FX-7 in Toy Shop was a Return of the Jedi with a sticker. Those little kind of things, we're still learning some things. It's amazing there's still things out there that like that to be learned, but... The terminology, I think, has kind of settled down pretty well. Moving on to the next section, I just want to have a quick look at um, a couple of your articles. I just want to uh, pull up. Now, this is probably really common knowledge, but it's not something that I'd ever realised, and I found it on your 12back.com site, was that there was 32 back Star Wars cards, and I'm pretty sure many people aren't aware of these. Yeah, those are... um, I actually just had a a couple finds last year where I I found four or five or six of those, and they're not that common, so it was kind of interesting to see them in in a collection that come that came out but uh what had happened was apparently for some reason Kenner had some overstock of the 12 backs at some point in time way deep into the line because at this point in time they were already on to the first 32 so I, i've never heard of the story of why they had these 12 backs that late were they sitting in a storehouse somewhere forgotten for two or three years i don't know but what they decided to do with this overstock that they had was basically take a sticker for the first 32 figures and put it across the bottom of the 12 backs. So that's the it's sort of like a hybrid back. Some people call them 1232s or 32 Star Wars packs. But they're, they're pretty hard to find. I think the, like the most common ones are like the Chewy, I think, is the most common. The Luke and the Leia are a little harder, and some of the other ones are, are really tough. Maybe only one or two examples of each. But it's a pretty interesting, weird variant. But all 12 are known to exist on this card back? Um, you know, I think there are a couple. I think there are a couple that don't or that have never been seen. And there's a couple that only one or two exist. There's a really good thread on Rebel Scum about the 1232 backs where I forget the, the author goes through in great detail, looked at like the number of AFA ones that have been graded and other ones he knew about and and posted a whole bunch of really great information about which ones are the rarest and that kind of stuff. So I would suggest um, going to the expert there. That thread has really got a lot of information. And when I turned these up last year, I really wasn't sure which ones were the rare ones myself and went there to, to help me get the info about about what I had. But I know the like I, the Luke, Leia, Chewie are, are the fairly common ones. That I can tell you. Something I've never come across. Um, now, the second article... I found really interesting was something I found online and I think we've already touched on it a couple of times here that you had published in Insider Magazine and that was your uh, The Toys That Never Were article. Mm-hmm. Now, like I just said, 2007 this was uh, published. Could you, if you can remember, could you give us an overview of what the article was? So it was going through the various things that, that were put into prototype stage at Kenner, but never actually released. Um, and quite honestly, I don't recall everything that I put in there. I think it was like, a, if I remember, it wasn't like a top ten kind of a thing. I had, yeah, he had ten figure yeah, sets on the ten, uh, ten sets, and I remember the, the unproduced droids and Ewoks were one of them, but yeah. Boba Fett was one of them. And, and it's been a while since I've read that. You might have to refresh my memory on what well, some of the other ones were. I'll tell you the figure that I would have loved to have had at the day is the R1G4 figure that you cover on there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That one is uh, that one is very little 
heard of in the community. Not many people know that one even existed. Uh, there's one sample that was made or a prototype that was made. It does still exist and resides in a collection. And I, I really don't have much more information on, on that guy other than it was it was a pretty cool-looking figure. I yeah. wish they, they had made that one. And the other one that always uh, I mean, was, uh, was old Chewbacca's family from the holiday special you cover in there. And, uh, yeah. I've seen those the photos, prototypes. They do actually exist, don't they, the prototypes? Those exist actually in the same collection as the RG1 does. Oh, right. <laughs> as far as the last I heard. <laughs> so those are both in the same place. Yeah, those were all kit-bashed off of, of a Chewbacca figure. So by kit-bash, I mean you take existing things and you whatever you do whatever you cut them up you hack them you glue things to them you do whatever to get it what you want so they took a chewbacca figures and used some bondo and sculpey and paint and glue and then made those those three other figures to go with the they'd only so. got as far as the um being mocked up they never yeah those those things they didn't even do a sculpt on those those were just mock-ups uh, somebody did so uh, I, my suspicion there and i don't know this for a fact is that you know, they knew the star wars holiday special was coming out and they're like well maybe we can make some figures off of it and so they had some designer go make some mock-ups just to show the executives and see if they wanted to move ahead and they probably just decided not to move ahead because i'm guessing they would have thought that it would have been more important to put their resources into making figures from the movies, more of those rather than these figures from the TV show. So they just had to make a choice. You know, we can only make so many figures. Let's let's stick to the movie stuff. There's an excellent, uh, excellent article on the Star Wars Collector's Archive blog that goes into that and, and possible reasons for the cancellation in that line. Uh, and it's certainly well worth checking out for anybody who hasn't been on the Star Wars Collector's Archive blog. Yeah, and if you haven't been on the Star Wars Collector's Archive, like... You just need to go there and spend four or five days <laughs> going through that thing because <laughs> it is massive and it's just awesome. The figure sets on on that article all ten were, were all of them made as prototypes? Were they all you had? Um, I think what else was in it now to refresh your mind? The Luke in robes was on there. Um, Luke in robes, yeah, that was definitely made as a prototype. Like there there are several of those that are in collector's hands today. Maybe two, three, and maybe a couple parts and pieces that are not complete. Um, that one was made. All the unproduced droids and Ewoks made it at least a prototype mold, a prototype, and a lot of them actually made it all the way through to production tooling. And then, as you probably know, the Vlix made it all the way to production in, in Brazil. So Six what else was on woman, there? I can't think what her name is. Gargan. That's it, yeah. Yeah, Gargan, Gargan made it to the hard copy stage. Uh, the sculpt still exists, and there are several hard copies out there that still exist, but not very many of that piece. No idea what yeah. it was made then. That that one was that one was cancelled, I think, because Lucasfilm thought it was a little too risque for a toy. Is what I heard. Is that the same reason? Because I didn't make a slave layer back in the day. Or? It might have been. I, I I haven't heard that specifically, well, but you got to think that if if the story why Gargan wasn't made is mm-hmm. true, that would certainly lend credence to the theory that that's why Slave Leia wasn't made in the Vintage line as well. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? Do you think it's fascinating that these have actually been made? Um, and then the decisions made to cancel them after the time and expense has been um, spent on them. In the toy production process, was there not more checking of concept art back then, Chris? And, and they well, mock-ups on drones? Yeah, there was. Um, you know, there, there are, like, design boards, they call them. I know for the for the unproduced droids and Ewoks line, I have a design board for the Chief Chirpa um, that's basically a, an artist rendering. They're design boards for the micro line. Uh, that are out there. But you can keep in mind that to take a figure even all the way to the hard copy stage is not a huge amount of expense. You're basically talking about an artist doing a 2D rendering, probably a sculptor spending, I don't know how long it would take, a week or two to do a sculpt. The molding takes a day. Molding hard copies takes a day, another couple days to paint them. You're talking in the course of you know probably a month 
at the outset, you could go from an idea to a hard copy proto- painted prototype that looked a lot like the figure. So there's not a ton of expense there. Like I said earlier, the expense comes in when you start doing the steel tooling. Yeah. Uh, that's where it gets really expensive. So to do concept stuff, um, it's, you know, they can crank that stuff out pretty fast, pretty cheap. And it's, it's much easier for both executives at Kenner and for buyers from, from Toys R Us or JCPenney's or whatever you might have in uh, the UK there. Uh, much easier for them to grasp what this thing is when they see something that is like a hard copy that really looks exactly like the figure rather than a sketch on paper. Some, some people have a hard time doing that translation to understand what it's really going to be. So to, to take it to that stage would have been really beneficial for Kenner to do on anything they thought had any hope of maybe being a toy. Now, Chris, you were part of the collector's track at Celebration 7 in Anaheim and did a panel with Matthias and Tommy Garvey. Disappointed to miss that because they're the kind of panels I would love to have been. But looking I'm, hoping, up, I'm hoping Gus will let us do that one in London. Yeah. I really am because that, that one went over way better than I ever expected it to be. It was. I told the story of you know my wife and the, the Y-Wing artwork towards the end of that panel and I was shocked when I did the reveal of, oh my gosh, that's my uncle, there was literally a gasp from the entire audience. And it was just like, wow, that went over really, really well. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping Gus, Gus will let us do that again. That'd be great to do in London. Well, there's something in, the, in, that, in your notes I found online that was kind of like advertised on, online. was something that you should have maybe kept back for London. Was, and I uh, wanted to explain this one. Collectibles owned by the Queen. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's one of the things that Matthias dug up. And... I'm not even sure how uh, what the story is about how he discovered this, but somehow or another, there's apparently a prototype of 12-inch R2-D2, I think it is, um, like a hard, like a wood pattern, I should say, not a hard copy. Somehow exists and is owned in the Queen's museum collection, whatever. I'm not even sure what that means, <laughs> but yeah, I, I forget the exact story, but um, maybe I'll just just leave that. To Matthias to tell either hopefully in London or maybe sometime on your on your podcast. Yeah, certainly going to chase him up on that one because uh, I can't imagine the Queen sitting there just with an R two figure. That's a <laughs> um, I, I, I wonder if that one's a translation issue because isn't uh, Brian May from Queen a, a huge Star Wars collector? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've heard he is. <laughs> no, I think this one really exists somewhere, like uh, in the Queen's residence or in the basement or somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> in a basement, I like that. Yeah, just at the bottom of Buckingham Palace on <laughs> The um, palace basement, yeah. <laughs> now, you just said you'll be attending Celebration in London next year. Have you got, have you got any early plans for what you'll be doing there? Or I'm definitely going to go. Um, I haven't really figured out exactly how much time, or I'm hoping to you know, do a little bit of sightseeing while I'm over there. But um, I really haven't started working out the plans for the collector's track yet. I'll probably be starting on that pretty soon here, um, as far as, as the, the panels that we're going to be giving and the giveaways and all that thing. But... Um, you know, after Anaheim, we all need a little bit of a break because yeah. planning these things is quite an undertaking. So we take a little breather and then jump back into the next one. One last thing I wanted to ask you before we close out this interview. Last month, we discussed Facebook and its uses with a few of the more well-known Facebook users. Now, I'm well aware you're a huge Facebook user as well as a large user of the forums. So you probably have a more balanced outlook on this topic because people on our forum are very anti-Facebook and you go on Facebook and... You know that. Could you tell us why Facebook need the forums and why the forums need Facebook, and how the two can kind of coexist and work together rather than being in opposition with each other? Well, you know, the the great thing about forums are, uh, I think it's much easier to find stuff. I know Ross talked a bit about, oh, you, can, you know, there is a search feature on 
Facebook. And but still, well, on the forums, things are threaded in conversations, and things tend to more clump together, I guess, into topics. Whereas on Facebook, you can have a topic about twelve backs, and there could be ten different threads to go look up information, and they're bouncing back and forth and pointing to each other. And so, I think the forums are are kind of better for the big topics. If there was some new kind of find, like, I mean, the good example is the Luke Robes thing we talked about when I discovered that in that French catalog. Like, that's a really good thing for the forums. Like, post that, and bam, and now there's a, a five-page thread on this figure and what it all means, and it's easy to go look up and find again. Or if that had been on Facebook, it may have been a little bit tougher and a little bit more scattered. But I will say that, you know... Back when the transition was happening from Usenet to forums, there was the same tension. And we were having some of the same discussions about can they coexist, do they coexist. And I don't really know what the future is. I, it wouldn't shock me if forums and Facebook continue to coexist in a really good manner and one's used for certain things and another's used for others. It also wouldn't surprise me if forums eventually go completely by the wayside and Facebook is where it's all at. As far as me personally, I just think that... It, the, the biggest negative I see to this whole split is that there really is a divergence of the collecting community. There are so many people on Facebook that barely touch the forums, and so many people on the forums that barely touch Facebook. Like, I even noticed that at Anaheim, there were like, one night I had to choose between two parties. There was like a party going on over here, which was like all the older school collectors that have been around at least for, you know, 10 years, maybe five years. And then there was this other party, there was like all this Facebook, the Facebook people and friends that I have there. And I'm like, like we got to get these two groups together because it's one community. And so it, it's kind of weird that a lot of the people who are sort of the, I don't know if you want to call them bigger names, but more involved, I guess, in Facebook and post a lot. And their names are fairly well known there because they're very active. Like some of the older school collectors have no clue who these people are. And they're doing some great things in the, in the hobby. You know, coming up with some neat finds and some cool information. And I think that's probably the biggest negative. And I try to keep my feet in both. And quite honestly, I probably use Facebook a lot more than the forums just because there's a lot more activity there at this point in time. But I think eventually it'll all sort itself out and the community will sort of reintegrate. But I just see a little bit of a dividing line now that sort of the two sides are kind of looking at each other. Yeah. Well, you're over there and I'm over here and... Like, come on, guys. <laughs> like, we're all so, doing this for the same reason. Exactly. So. Yes, yeah, just good, good to get your take on that because I know you use both. And yeah. uh, so, finally, Chris, if the Earth was at the end of its lifespan and we were being moved to a new digs on another planet, there's only room for you to take one item of your collection. What item are you packing up to take with you? Well, that would probably, of course, have to be the uh, one Kenner employee's niece. I would have to take her. <laughs> but... <laughs> That's my best collectible. <laughs> Seriously, um, I think I would have to take that Y-Wing artwork that uh, we found in Cincinnati. It's, you know, just to have that piece back in the family is really meaningful. And the story behind it, and I mean, and it's a really great piece. I mean, you know, painted artwork from Kenner, that's pretty high up there on anybody's list, I think. And with the connection with my wife and her uncle, that would definitely be the piece I'd take. Yeah, more than just a piece, isn't it? Yeah, it is well, more than just a piece. And that's let me make one last comment there. I think that is something that's a, a lot of people in the hobby miss that's so super important. Um, I can go around. I'm, I've been pacing around my collecting room as we've been talking, and I can go around and at least every other piece. I can, there's a great story behind it, and I, I just personally gravitate to those pieces that that have a story. Whether it's whether it's your personal story like that piece, or whether it's a story about how toys are made. 
And, you know, I went through all the stuff about the four-ups and the micro-line. And, like, there's a story there. It's not just, here's a thing sitting on my shelf. But I can tell if some stranger comes in and is looking at my stuff, there are dozens of stories all around my room to tell. I think, you know, you asked me earlier, like, about what's the most important thing about the conventions is the people. And the reason the people are most important is because peoples have stories, right? And I think a collection should have a story, too, and be able to to talk through things. And, you know, even if you just production stuff, well, you can, there's different things you can talk through. Like the 32 backs we asked about, there's a story behind that. It's, it's somewhat interesting. It maybe not that thrilling for the average novice that doesn't care about Star Wars toys, but at least there's something there that's, that's kind of an interesting story. And the more personal it is, I think the more valuable that sort of story is. Well, Chris, it's been an absolute privilege to chat to you, and I'm sure Rich, as well as myself, has learned so much in such a short time just chatting to you. And like I said earlier, definitely get you back for a second instalment yeah yeah anytime yeah i really enjoyed it be fun to come on and tell stories about anything from those olden days i I love listening to uh, just before you head off did you buy the power range um stuff that you you could get your hands on or not you granted you may not know what i'm talking about here Uh, i'm not sure what what do you (laughs) power rangers Um, i'm just going to read a quote power rangers yeah not ring a bell not ring a bell no (laughs) no Okay, this is a post back in 2003, which I've just snipped because it's quite interesting. From from me? A post of mine? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. I really think that if one wants to get into toys as an investment today, go out and buy all the Power Rangers stuff you can get your hands on. <laughs> it's cheap, super popular, near in the end of its run. The toys are now the power of the force. No one paying any attention. They're just toys. In 10 to 15 years, I see them as being highly collectible. <laughs> So uh, I wonder, I wonder what those toys are worth now. I don't well, even know. If, if they were thousands, you're going to be really kicking yourself now. Aren't you? I, I really am because I didn't. I, I did dabble in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles toys for a little <laughs> while, but I, uh, I didn't j- just for that reason. I'm like, so you know, these these are pretty cheap right now, and I kind of like them, and maybe maybe they'll go up in value. But uh, that was a very short lived thing. <laughs> What a great quote. Well, Chris, Chris, thank you ever so much and uh, really do look forward to meeting you in London and chatting again in the future. Yeah, you too. (laughs) Thanks once again. Welcome to this month's Oddball section. A departure from our planned Oddball section, but glad to announce the continuation of Made in the UK. The Empire Strikes Back years with Craig Stevens next month. This month, it's over to Rich for a special interview with the Imperial Gunnery Sith Lord himself, John Paul Ragusa. Over to you, Rich. Hello, and joining me today to reflect a little on last show's discussion on the role of Facebook and forums, and to perhaps discuss a little on the future plans of TIG, I'm delighted to welcome the owner of TIG, Jean Ragusa. Welcome, Jean. 
thanks. I've never seen someone actually thrilled to welcome me anywhere, so this is the first. <laughs> now, before we get into any details, as a self-confessed vintage snob, did you get caught up in the Force Friday, and did you purchase anything? Yeah, actually, I did. I just uh, and I just wrote about it actually on the Gunnery site. So I was absolutely determined to not buy anything from the Force Awakens because I guess I'm a true vintage snob. I don't collect anything past you know uh, 1985. But I saw that BB-8 and. I, my wife even approached, she goes, have you seen this? I was going to order it for you. And I'm like, no, it's a waste of money. Absolutely not. I have no reason to own that. And I was up and I saw everyone's Facebook posts and this, I just kept seeing article after article about BB-8 and I ordered one. So I ordered it. I didn't go out. So at midnight, it came up on Bed Bath & Beyond, which I think is, I don't know if it's a global retailer, but they're they're big in the States, but they're not known for toys. So I ordered it with no problem at all, and the next day uh, during lunch, I ran to the store. It was waiting for me. I picked it up, and I came home, and my son and I have been playing with it since, and it is pretty cool. Uh, one of the guys on the Star Wars forum had said that if any toy is going to be worth any money in the future, it'll be that, because you're not going to be able to find one still in its box. They're saying that this will be uh, this will be like the item for Christmas this year. Yeah, And I understand that Best Buy's online is already sold out, um, and I know a lot of local stores were sold out. It, it's a great toy. Not, I, I don't want to shill for Disney and Hasbro too much, but if you're going to buy something, it's amazingly well put together. It, it's very, it's fun. It's actually a really fun thing to play with. Are you looking forward to the new film? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to be like, um, I'm trying to leave the prequels behind and not, not say, you know, well, we were already disappointed once before. Because I actually, I'm not like others where I really hate the prequels. I really don't. Uh, Phantom Menace, yeah, I, I think that's universally panned. But um, I actually like Attack of the Clones. I like Revenge of the Sith. So I'm not one of those guys who's like so jaded that he's afraid things are going to disappoint. I, I think it's great. I think J.J. Abrams is probably the one guy on Earth who could make it into something we're going to really want to see. So I'm looking forward to it. If, if a midnight show is showing around me, I'll probably go. Um, if not, I'll definitely be there opening day and uh, catch it. Luckily, I live far enough away out of Manhattan that I can go to a New York showing and I'm probably not going to be stuck in some insane line or get shut out of the movie. So I have a pretty good shot of seeing it when I want to. So, But I'm definitely looking forward to it. I am exactly the same. I'm really looking forward to it. But I was just thinking this morning, um, my son's 12 year old, and I'm obviously going to drag him along, but what I'm wondering is what memory am I going to leave for him when he's in his 30s and 40s and talking about when his dad dragged him <laughs> he, along to the cinema? He's going to, yeah, it's, yeah he's, you know, he's going to remember, wow, my father must have really liked that movie. He didn't, <laughs> he told me I didn't have to go to school and got me up at midnight. So, well, my, my kids are 13 and 15, and, um, I, I told them the same thing, but you know, they're, I'm sure just like your son and a lot of the people who listen to children, they're used to their parents being a little uh, on the adolescent side. So none of this should really be that much of a shock. Yeah, that's true. Okay, then. So moving on, just in case anybody in the universe hasn't heard of TIG, what is TIG and what does it offer? Well, I mean, uh, you know, TIG, for anyone, like I said, uh, who doesn't know, TIG stands for the Imperial Gunnery. So we have two main sites. There's the Imperial Gunnery itself which was um, founded in 2009 by uh, someone who's not really in the hobby anymore, Jay Henderson. And that site is essentially what, what I, not to sound um, with too much hubris, but it's kind of the Internet's premier site for figuring out what's real and what's repro with vintage weapons, 
vintage accessories and um We've even delved into other topics like, uh, you know, the Poon Stormtroopers that were manufactured and uh, the fake Vlixes. Basically, the way we look at it is if there's a product that's out that could mislead a collector, we want to focus on it. So that could be vintage accessories. It could be vintage figures. It can be even some of the 12-inch stuff. You know, we try to look around and as things come into the market, we try to get our hands on them and uh, document the ways to figure out that it's legit. Pretty simple and, and straightforward. You know, it's a very organic site. It's always growing. We're always on the lookout. I mean, over the last, you know, year or so alone, we've seen two sets of repros hit the market that fool even some pretty seasoned people. You know, people are starting to get smart to things like the float test where people would just throw it in a bucket of water. Oh, it floated. It must be real. You know, we're seeing repros that can float now, you know, uh, as an example. So I guess the point is that it's a very fluid site. We're always updating it. We're always, you know, looking for contributions from the collecting public because obviously that's the biggest source of keeping this thing successful is people coming and bringing to our attention, hey, have you seen this? And uh, if we haven't, you know, we document it and we get it up, uh, get it up onto the site. And then its uh, sister site is the Imperial Gunnery Forum, and that's a pure social platform. I mean, there are some great articles there from uh, Lily Lady discussions to PBP discussions. And, you know, it's more akin to Rebel Scum or, you know, uh, I, I don't know how you guys – do you guys say SFW UK or do you actually call it Star Wars Forum UK? I, I, I really – you don't hear people pronounce it ever, but you know we're akin to those type of sites. Yeah, we, we call it Star Wars Forum. Um, it just it was an unfortunate logo choice, and, and that SWFUK seems to have stuck a bit. <laughs> well, trust me, I'm not. I'm not. You know, Tig. You know, technically we call it the Imperial Gunnery, but Tig is sort of what most people like to say yourself. Most people know it as that. So if I say the Imperial Gunnery, I've had people go, "Oh, what's that?" I'm like, "Tig." Oh yeah, I know Tig. I'm like okay. <laughs> Thinking back to 2009 then, I would imagine that the idea for TIG probably would have started in 2007, 2008-ish. Do you think back then anybody would have had a clue to what TIG would have grown to be? That's a good question. I think Jay and, you know, they're, and hats off to, you know, guys, even, even some people that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very honest that I, I don't have a very good, uh, rapport with, but guys like, you know, Jay and Joe O'Brien and Wolf and, and, uh, Tim Searle and, and, uh, James Kennison, you know, those guys who were kind of like the founding fathers, we'll call yeah. it the original contributors. Uh, oh, Chris Bakken, Sean, uh, Sean Kempel. I'm trying to, I, I don't want to leave anybody out now that yeah. I mentioned a few names. You feel like you got to get through everybody, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, I think those guys, when they started it, I think they knew that there was a need and that it would become something good. You know, the only other thing that was really out on the web, which still exists today, is the Sithnet Jawa Armory, right, which is still floating about. But to the best of my knowledge, and I'm not knocking the site at all, but to the best of my knowledge, that thing's never been updated since, like, the early 90s. Yeah. So there was definitely a need out there. And then I think Tig saw that as people were, you know, variants were growing in popularity and, and, um, I think collectors were look, always looking for new things to collect, right? To keep the fires burning. You know, it dove into that next level where it got into variations on weapons, origins of certain weapons. You know, Letty comes right to mind, like, you know, specialized stuff for that. I think they saw that there would be potential. And the one thing that they, they did, which, I'm not sure what the real uh, impetus was behind it, 
But it was a free site, and to this day, it continues to be a non-revenue-generating site. You've made it very clear in all you've said so far, and that TIG is very much community. Um, it's, a, it's a big community project that's evolved and grown over time. But with the ever-growing role of social media and social networking, do you think that there will be a need for TIG projects in the foreseeable future? Always, always. One thing we pride ourselves on is that we're always looking to develop new things. So it can go from, you know, finding new repros. I mean, that's that's the easiest thing to special projects. Um, Stefan, um, this is funny. You know, you don't you talk to people like these are people I, I would consider genuine friends that I've never spoken to or heard their names pronounced. So I'm going to apologize in advance for anyone's name that I uh, that I possibly ruined when I say it out loud for the first time. But Stefan uh, Collier, you know, just did a beautiful presentation on fake Vlick. So, you know, Mark Poon came out with two different styles. So Stefan and I went out. We bought one each. You know, we actually reached out to Mark, asked him if he would donate one to the Imperial Gunnery. So that way we could, uh, you know, outline it, you know, get get our, our pictures and stuff like that. Unfortunately, he never got back to us, and I'm not bad mouthing him. He just yeah. he just didn't. So you know, Stephen, you know, Stefan and I both went out. We spent our money. We bought one each. I had them. They both got shipped to him, where he did a fabulous job of documenting, taking high res photographs, looking for anything that we could use to make sure that the public could very easily go online, spot it, and go, oh, it's got that. That's the fake one. So those kind of unless people completely stop reproducing weapons and stop reproducing figures, then we'll be able to all take a nice break. But until that time, I have a feeling we'll always be kind of busy there. And then on top of it, we also look for historical things. So, you know, uh, Paul, who, you know, obviously has been a contributor with you in the past. Paul's always finding pieces of newspaper articles, looking at, you know, interesting advertisements. You know, I don't think there's ever going to be a time where everything is documented. So there'll always be something to either look for because it's a new product that we need to inform the public about. So a little bit of a watchdog on that side. Or, you know, researching into the past and, and bringing new things to light. So, you know, you kind of split the line between being a, a watchdog agency and kind of a historical archivist. So I, I don't think there'll ever be a time where there's nothing to do. Certainly one of the projects I recommend is the project, I always get the name wrong, is it Project Outside the Box? Yep, Project Outside the Box. Yeah, That's a great fun. example. It's a fantastic resource, that, and I only discovered it because when I would Google instructions for TIE Fighters, Google was always sending me to the same website. In fact, pretty much that's how I found TIG, because I was going back to that same page time and time and again. Exactly. Uh, I'll say it's, it's great because that's a, that's a great example of community-funded projects, too. I mean, there's so many people that no one person, I mean, I'm sure there's a couple of collectors that own every single piece of everything ever made, but, you know, for the most part, it's almost impossible to do these things on your own. So it's a mix of getting stuff from the outside world. You know, you'd be surprised how we get emails out of nowhere. You know, we have two email addresses for the groups. You can uh, email moder- uh, moderators or you can email the uh, admins. And out of nowhere, we'll get an email. Hey, I just opened up, not opened up, but, you know, I just uh, found I have a 12-inch Ben Kenobi, and I noticed that you don't have pictures for this, this, and this. Can I take pictures and send them to you? You know, and you're like, wow, like, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So it's great that the community sees value in what we do also because their contributions help immensely 
and that's to take nothing away from the you know enormous contributions that the actual staff get. I mean, um, you know, these guys deserve pretty much ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the credit of why uh, the gunnery is a successful site is the hard work that they put in. Do you think that TIG could exist as it is if it was solely a Facebook page? No. And I have been a big proponent of trying to keep the forums alive because Facebook has its niche. It's very instant gratification. It is very good at getting a lot of people together to quickly answer questions. Um, One of the pages I belong to is an identification page. And I'm shocked at the expediency of getting stuff identified that in a million years, I would have never thought, like, how on earth somebody knows that a brown stick belongs to a Playmobil Indian playset from 1970-whatever. You know, it's amazing. And for those things, Facebook absolutely has its value. From a historical perspective and from an archiving perspective, um, I think that's where the forums have their niche. And without taking a pot shot at Facebook itself, I think the people that belong to the forums are far more dedicated collectors. So there's certain instances where you don't have to worry about um, a lot of in. I mean, don't the forums have their share of fighting? But it's amazing how many times you get uneducated collectors, and that's not a knock on them. It's just that they're not they're not at the level of of being a serious collector and. You don't have that with the forms. I mean, I'll give you a great example that makes the point is, uh, recently I sold my, I had a loose Uze headman and I put it up for sale and you know, it, it garners a high dollar value. And one of the Facebook pages, I got like attacked for being a fraudster. This guy's not even in the movie. How dare you? You know, what are you trying to scam? And the ironic part on top of all of it is it was AFA graded. So, I mean, it says Star Wars. Uze, Blue Star, you know, Headman. Uh, you know, it's like, it, it could have been less of a scam. And without patting myself on the back, I, I think I'm fairly well known through the vintage community. So it was kind of funny to see me get attacked like that. And you could see that most of those people were not names that you would know. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of people who maybe had just joined the page or, or, had a remedial knowledge of Star Wars. So I think some of those things which can be a little frustrating, that's where the forums really kind of set a, uh, a demarcation point uh, of what level of collector that you are. Yeah, well, Facebook has certainly had an impact on all of the forums, whether that's been a reduction in network traffic or a reduction in number of posts. But I've noticed a change in one or two areas of the tech community, especially on the forum. Can you tell us about some of those changes and what plans do you have for the future of the forum? Yeah, absolutely. Because, and again, it's funny how it all harkens back to the community. Uh, a post was started by one of our members asking about like what's going on. And it brought up a very good conversation about, you know, the need for, you know, some kind of organic change. I mean, we're not at the point where we're going to completely tear the site down and rip it apart. I mean, we have a solid foundation. And, and the framework of the site works. But, you know, we, we listened and we saw that people were kind of saying, hey, you know, why do you have so many subforms? Why are there too many stickies? There aren't enough stickies. Uh, this, some things are too hard to find. And we always kind of want to make sure that the community at large is happy with what they see. I mean, the, the forum has no reason to exist if it doesn't have a membership base. And we're, it's funny. I can't speak for the other forums. But our foot traffic is all, has not really diminished. We still get a relatively similar amount of hits per day. 
what we see is a huge drop in posts. So what do you, what does that mean would be at least my interpretation is that people still want to come to the forum and they're going to check and say, Hey, is there something good going on in the Imperial gunnery today? What they're seeing, unfortunately, is that there's nothing that's so enticing to them that they feel a need to post up. And I'm the first to admit that when you've exposed yourself to Facebook, you can post up a picture and get 30 comments within five minutes. That same process might take you days in a forum. I mean, just to give you a, a quick example, you know, I posted up some pictures of my uh, my collection. I reshot a lot of it. And the gratification level on Facebook was almost instantaneous. I mean, I had you know hundreds of likes and, and tons of comments. And if you took the comments I got between Rebel Scum and uh, Tig combined, I don't think, and, and this has happened maybe a month ago, I don't think I've equaled what Facebook gave me in probably a day from what I've gotten between uh, gum and um, and the gunnery. So if I'm feeling like, you know, wow, like and, and I admit that posting pictures is more difficult, you know, doing what you want to do on a forum is extra steps compared to what you can do in a social media platform. You know, Facebook's designed to be instant gratification. So everything that you do is pretty much based on that theory. So I we figured that we need to do something. So if we're going to have people come to our site and we're going to have people contribute their pictures, their thoughts, their ideas, we need to make it something that they want. And it sounds like they want a little more simplicity. You know, they want a little more ease of use. And that's kind of what we're shooting for. I mean, it's it sounds easy. Uh, it's definitely a bigger task than um, that it might appear to be on the surface. But, you know, uh, we're toying around with it. We're going to collapse a couple of forums into other things. Um, there are things that are absolutely outdated that we're going to sunset. Uh, and we're going to try to make the site a little bit a little bit more slim and a little bit more nimble to navigate through. And hopefully that ease of access will get people into the mindset of, of posting with a little more ease. And, you know, we can see more comments. I mean, it's kind of a funny thing. Since we don't profit, it's not like more people posting actually benefits us in any way. But it benefits us sort of emotionally because, uh, you know, the, the team, you know, they put their hearts into it. When I don't see a lot of foot traffic, I don't get as banged up about it personally because I'm, you know, again, there's no benefit to me. There's no financial. If anything, the site at best breaks even because of contributions. And, and uh, you know, we've had some very generous, uh, we, we call them TIG benefactors, and they're highlighted when you see their names on the site. But I see all the hard work these guys put into some of the stuff they do. And I want to see a lot of traffic and I want to see a lot of activity because I think they deserve it. Yeah. So we're going to be modifying the site. We're going to be doing a lot of changes. And just like that one uh, gentleman who kind of kickstarted this, anyone who's listening that has a good idea or even has commentary, good or bad, you know, we're, we're all adults. We can, we can take criticisms, you know, post it up on the gunnery. We, we never hide things. We're very good about not censoring the public. So if you got something to say, I'd encourage anybody to just post it right up and say, Hey guys, you know, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread or, you know, this sucks, but here's why. And we'll address it. And, uh, generally if there's value in making a change, none of us are opposed to doing it. Yeah, I think we'll we'll put a link up to that thread for some of our listeners to go and check out if they haven't uh, been on the take form before. Um, oh, fantastic! And a lot of those names that you've just read out, it's it's also quite infuriating to see that those are often some of the names that are getting you know shouted out on some of the Facebook groups by those who perhaps don't realise that these guys are you know so passionate and really when when AJ and and Alex have got things to say, people really need to listen, you know, because they know the stuff. 
Well, it's funny. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, there's a a little bit of a theory, not to get off track, but there's a there's a theory in in uh, behavioral economics that any group over 150 can tend to disintegrate and, and have like negative value. Mm-hmm. And when you have pages that go into tens of thousands of people. It's amazing that it doesn't fall apart, you know, kind of instantly. And um, one thing I have seen is I've seen huge collectors, I mean, very well-respected guys, get pissed on. And you kind of laugh. Like, you know, I say it out loud and I kind of shake my head a little bit. But, you know, when you want to say, like, don't you know who that guy is? I mean, yeah, it's someone who collects Star Wars. We're not talking about a, a Nobel laureate or anything like that. But, you know, if a guy like Alex or Bill McBride or Joe and Glaze, I mean, if these guys say something, you really need to shut up and just listen to what they're saying they're probably right um it doesn't mean that they can't be challenged right i mean that's i'm not saying that but i've been amazed at some of the comments made towards very seasoned collectors and people that have really contributed to the hobby and i i think that's a direct correlation to the ease of entering star wars from a facebook perspective you know there's no effort there's no real learning curve because these aren't edu- you know facebook's not an educational site it's just a group meeting if you will so i i almost think that becoming a star wars collector part of it's learning about the history of the toys part of it is the toys Part of it's also the historians of the toys and learning who they are. So that way you kind of understand, if anything, and it's not to to say you need to bow down before these guys, but maybe it's just to know who your resources are, who your people you should listen to are, you know, people who can be your, your knowledge sources. You know, and some, when it comes up, it always does kind of give me a chuckle. I sold something and the guy goes, how do you know these aren't a repro? <laughs> and and I, I wrote him back and I'm like, um, I go, where should I check? He goes, have you ever heard of the Imperial Gunnery? <laughs> and I wrote back, yeah, I think I'm familiar with it. And I, you know, so it's just kind of like those things come up and it, I mean, more or less you just have to laugh at it. But, you know, that was a funny example. But like I said, I've seen very seasoned guys get crapped on and you kind of laugh at it a little bit and in this day and age because it's so easy to get on to these pages i don't think people give it the respect that it deserves that collecting star wars isn't as easy as just i'm going to buy these 92 or depending on who your listeners are 93 or 95 if you count this that or anything but you know there's a lot of history and uh you have to respect it yeah now you've just mentioned a few things about the ease of getting onto facebook and some of the forums have evolved slightly to take into account mobile interfaces and i'm certainly starting to access the forums much more from your mobile than i was six months ago are there any plans to make tig's mobile interface easier we actually do you there is a mobile version of our of the forum mm-hmm. but we are hosted by a third party and unfortunately th- we have to kind of go by the ease of whatever they um whatever interface that they use it's not like the old days where you had to render a desktop image onto the site uh and then you know your phone would have to either be expanded or contracted to see material the new tig interface and uh if anyone goes onto our site on their mobile and they see basically what you see on the desktop go there is a link on the bottom of the page that says uh mobile version and you can click on it um, and it will convert everything into a an easier to read format but that's unfortunately as far as we can take it uh the weapons site if you go to it from a mobile device it actually is pretty intuitive and um you know it works well on its own so luckily uh, and that's hosted by a different platform that wasn't that was before I uh before I became the current custodian of the site but um one site is hosted by Forum Motion the other site's hosted by uh Web's 
So, you know, two different platforms in the background, so the infrastructure is different. But I hope that Forum Motion, who hosts the uh, the actual uh, the Gunnery Forum, they're always growing and adding in features. So I'm hoping that their platform becomes a little more mobile, uh, intuitive, especially when it comes to like posting photos and stuff like that. That's really what I think holds back uh, posting. Yeah, is posting a picture on a forum and posting a picture on a social media site. They're just so rapidly different, and it's hard to ignore something like that. Now, you referred to yourself several times recently as the custodian of TIG with the team of developers. What do you mean by this, and what are the roles of the developers of TIG? Um, that's actually a very good question. So I'm going to kind of give a little shout-out to one of my favorite TV shows, which is Downton Abbey. Um <laughs> And we're, my wife and I are addicted. It's a fantastic show. But in one of the episodes, uh, Lord Grantham was being talked to about and he, someone made a reference to him owning the property. And he said, I don't own it. I'm just its current custodian. And that resonated with me unbelievably. And it, it, the reason it did is because it made me realize that, you know, I currently own the site. I bought it from Jay Henderson, um, 2012 maybe i think i own it as long as he did if not i might be i might be uh, approaching owning it longer than he was but the point was that when you run a site like this that's that has so much public value and has so many contributions from people over the years you really don't have the right you know you own it in theory but you're really just holding on to it for now you know obviously if i depart star wars and i decide to stop collecting the site is not going to shut down i'm not taking it with me so referring to it as current custodian means that i have the responsibility to make sure that it's functioning to make sure that i contribute in the best ways that i can um and being a carded collector limits you know how much i can actually contribute on a day-to-day basis cuz things like variations and weapons you know are actually not part of what i collect on a day-to-day basis um but the site's bigger than me it's bigger than any one person so when i say custodian i literally mean it in the true sense of the word i'm here to take care of it well i have uh well i have that ability and i'm fully aware of the fact that eventually it will go to somebody else and I want to leave it to them in in as good a shape or actually better shape than the way that I received it. As far as the developers go, uh, I've said this throughout. They're the guys who deserve every bit of the credit for that site success. Um, we've had incredible, incredible people contribute over the years. Um, the founding guys like, uh, you know, Joe, Sean, Chris, uh, Tim, AJ, gosh, so many. It's It's funny. I'm trying to... I'm, I'm running in my head like I don't want to leave people out, but there have been so many people that have contributed. I mean, uh, uh, Wooter and George and, uh, Emil, Chris, uh, Chris J. <laughs> you know, those guys that like were, have come and gone over the years and, you know, things change. Sometimes it's personality conflict. Sometimes their lives just went in a different direction. Um, you know, there's their time here is always going to be remembered. You know, Wolf, you know, as much as him and I don't get along anymore, you know, I, I would be remiss to say that he didn't help get the site up and running and contribute. So those people deserve their kudos. My current thoughts are obviously going to be more along the lines of the developers team now. Uh, James Kennison, AJ, is uh, my current admin who is just been around since the beginning. He's one of the nicest people you'll probably ever have the pleasure of meeting or and dealing with. So genuinely nice, so genuinely concerned that everybody's enjoying themselves and that people are getting the attention they need. That's fantastic. Paul, who obviously we've talked about, 
um, is our global moderator, huge contributor. I mean, always looking to see what he can do to make the forum better, always looking to do what he can to keep the main gunnery site and, uh, and revamping that site almost on his own from a computer perspective, getting things up and running and making the site look exactly the way it did while replacing hundreds upon hundreds of photographs, a Herculean task that he did flawlessly. And then, you know, the other moderators, you know, just to round those guys out first, Steve keeps the peace along with Brian. We don't have a lot of drama, uh, and I think it's because of guys who keep up the pace. I mean, you know, Brian's a fantastic contributor. Steve is a fantastic contributor. And I think people look to the moderators, and if they're contributing and they're being productive, and the way that they act is going to reflect on how other people act. So the fact that they're lighthearted, but they keep things in line and they keep conversations moving, it's huge help. Uh, from the developer side, these guys are tasked with things like special projects, and they're tasked with kind of trying to find new ways to keep TIG active. And that kind of comes and goes. We've had a lot of developers. Sometimes we have developers who are just on for a project. And once that project is over... There's really nothing there and they go and, you know, we thank them and they go back into the, you know, back into the membership. You know, we've had like Fred, um, went ahead and gave us a whole bunch of new banners. That was fantastic. Uh, Horatio gave us, um, great Letty information, which was again, fantastic. Wooter helped us with other parts of the oddball stuff. Uh, you know, uh, Wooter, who's known as Hiver, uh, on the forums, you know, he came in and just lambasted us with, toothbrushes and cards and coasters and pens and all this other weird stuff that 99% of the world might go, eh, it's kind of a side note to collecting. But to him, that's everything. And it's yep. amazing some of the stuff he exposed us to. And then our current, you know, uh, Alex, General Khan, fantastic contributor. And then uh, we just added Jason, who's known as Snaggletooth on the forums, big baggy expert, uh, along with Frank uh, Frunkstar. Uh, both those guys have contributed. And then uh, I'm not putting one person above the others, but uh, Stefan uh, Walkie, absolutely been dedicated from day one. He does a lot of the kind of exposés. A lot of his time is spent on on some of these projects and these write-ups that he does, which are just, I mean, they're they're absolutely fantastic. I mean, these are, we're not talking about like anything that's going to come and go. He writes these articles that are, that he knows are going to have historical, you know, value. They're going to be around for a long time. They're going to be given to a lot of people and a lot of people are going to read them and use them as a knowledge base. And he respects that. And when he puts his stuff together, he makes sure that it, it meets that kind of high level of possible scrutiny. One, you know, they're going to look to make sure it's accurate. Um, and professionalism. And he does that day in and day out. All of these guys, I just can't say enough good stuff about them. They, they, they're the heart and soul of the, of the site. And, you know, whenever we get somebody new, it's fantastic. Uh, whenever we lose somebody, uh, for any number of reasons, uh, you know, it's, it's always, uh, you know, it's always a sad day unless unless it's for a good reason. Right. Yeah. You know, like someone did a project and completed it. That's fantastic. But, um, you know, they're the heart and soul of the community and they're the heart and soul of why that uh, of why the site has been so successful. So, you know, kudos to them. I'm going to meet Stefan for the first time next month in a pub. We're having a little meet-up. Although Stefan and a few of those classes themselves as Northern, I've got to drive three and a half hours south to meet up with them. So <laughs> I think they're a bit in the middle. <laughs> um, but one of the first things I'm going to ask him is how does he pronounce his name? Oh, man, I hope I'm right. <laughs> well, but, you know, it, here here it's either Stefan or Stefan. So I'm just I figure I have a fifty-fifty shot of being right, so yeah. I went with it. <laughs> but, <laughs> too. He can use his Christmas bonus. To yeah. pay for all the drinks. I'll mention that to him. 
it must be nice for you to hear about things such as that Scarborough trip that they had. Was it this year or last year when guys from Holland and Belgium and France came I, over? It's, well, I mean, it's kind of sad for me. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I live in New York, mm-hmm. um, and you would think that I have access to just limited, uh, you know, limitless amounts of people. Um, I really don't. I, I live up in Dutchess County, which is probably about 90 miles outside of, well, not even 90, maybe like 60 miles from the city. But I don't really interact with a lot of other collectors. I'm kind of a little bit of an introvert, so, you know, I, I haven't really made the huge effort I know some guys do, but I saw that and it was fantastic. You know, I saw a group picture with, um, God, who was it? I mean, I saw Alex, Alex. with Marco and David Prouse and yeah, you're like, wow, it's great to see these guys kind of get together in real life, if you will. I, I actually went to my first collectors club meeting ever a couple of months ago. It was a, about a two hour drive for me. And as I'm going up there, I really was like, I, I don't want to say nervous, but Kind of like, wow, like I really don't interact with people live often when it comes to Star Wars stuff. Um, This should be interesting. And I was asked to do a a presentation on my collection. So I've never hung out with a group Star Wars people, and I'm supposed to stand up in front of them and talk about my collection. And uh, I'll tell you what, I had an absolutely fantastic time. It was great. It was fun. And then Comic-Con is next month, so I'm looking, I'm hoping to, you know, even if it's just for a few minutes, well, you know, I'm looking to meet whoever's there, and, um, you know, kind of get to introduce myself and have a little more live interaction with people. It really does take uh, people's friendships to the next level. And then hopefully next year, obviously this is a bigger undertaking that I have to discuss with my wife, but my plan uh, is to attend C3. You know, uh, my wife wants to go to Europe, so I thought, um, you know, what a better way. So go to C3, and then we would maybe travel the, the UK maybe and, and do France on vacation. I'm hoping we do it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to that one, but I got tickets. I had a feeling if I don't get them, it's going to turn ugly. So um, I, I did reserve four tickets for my wife, me, and my children. You never know. You might end up running into me next year. Yeah, hopefully. It'll be great. I'm um, pretty much the same with you there. I'm a school teacher, so I'm used to getting up and speaking in front of people. But I had to do a talk on, what was it on again? I think my first talk was on the differences between the Star Wars radio adaptions and the Star Wars novels or something along those lines. It was a six and a half hour drive down to um, Dave Tree's Father's Farm event for me. And all the way down, I was thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I don't know many of the people. They're just <laughs> It's just text on a page until you actually see them. Isn't it funny how, like, even if you're used to doing it, like, the, the, the subject matter can make it so different? So, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a salesman by trade, too. So I get up and do presentations, and, and, you know, it's not a place I'm not completely comfortable in. Mm-hmm. But because it was, like, collecting, it was just like, oh, boy, like, man, this is going to be weird. Yeah. But uh, luckily, once I got there, you know, I think a little bit of it's just instinct. You know, when you talk for a living and you do presentations for a living, I think once it starts, your brain just kind of switches off and you go into like, uh, you know, you kind of go into like a more automated mode. So uh, it was good. And then the people, this was the Empire State Collectors Club. Uh, so, up, you know, the New York guys, very, very welcoming. And they were, um, you know, we had, we had a good time. I actually, for the first time ever, I took my collection. I took probably, I want to say I took 10, maybe 10 or 12 key pieces of my collection with me, which, by the way, that is a horrifying experience. Um, I don't recommend anyone ever do that. Driving in the car with, like, I had my blue stars. I had a couple of 
12 back, I had my 12 back Meccano. I had my, uh, Harbert Yoda. I'm like, if I get into an accident or like, if I hit a bump and like something rips off the card, I'm going to be like, I'm going to cry. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, they were like, it was great. I mean, they were so inviting. You know, we were passing around talking about each piece. You know, some of the people who weren't familiar, you know, they saw things that they had never seen before. And this kind of goes back to my, my comment earlier about the enthusiasm, how it can kind of be infectious. You know, there were a couple of collectors who really never got a chance to be exposed to foreign lines. Yeah. So like to watch them like holding some of these things and just being like, I never knew this existed. Looking at the front, the back, trying to like translate, even though they, you know, like, wow, like, all right, so that's got to be ages four and up. That's got to mean this. It was like, you know, it was like a kid on Christmas. It was so uh, fulfilling, yep. I guess would be the word to see that moment where like the, where, you know, you saw someone become a kid again yep. and genuinely get excited over, over what they had in their hands. It was, that was pretty neat. It reinvigorates your passion, your own collection as well. It's nice to sit down with somebody and talk about a piece that you've had and, and answer questions. Well, about yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of us run into that, right? You don't really see a lot of people who kind of get it. Mm-hmm. And when you do find someone like that, it is kind of an appreciation. I mean, I'll tell you a quick side story. Uh, I bought, when I got my headman, which I, I referenced that I, that I just got rid of, I bought it from a guy who ended up being a dentist near my house. And, you know, apparently a very good dentist. I, I Google searched him before I knew him because I had to meet him somewhere. And I always do a quick check just to see who it is I'm meeting and if they have a online presence, kind of validate who they are, especially on a higher ticket item, right? Yeah. So we're talking and he ends up being the nicest guy in the world. And we're just yakking away. And he's like, uh, yeah, why don't you, if you don't mind switching dental practices, he's like, bring your kids to me. And sure enough, we were looking for a new dentist. We weren't happy with our current one. And every time we go to the office, his office is filled with vintage stuff. And he has a massive collection. His name's, uh, his name's Paul Chu. Uh, and uh, people probably know who he is anyway. Yep. Um, he's a fantastic guy. But every time I go to the dentist, like him and I get so excited that we're going to see, you know, because we get to talk Star Wars. Yeah. So I go down there. I bring a couple of pieces with me that he might want to look at. He brings a couple of his rarer items in his office. And, you know, as the kids are getting their teeth cleaned, you know, him and I are just going on and on about, like, what we saw. Did you watch this eBay auction? <laughs> yeah. So it's actually a lot of fun. It's hysterical. I went down there. My kids got their teeth cleaned, and I walked out with a yak face, and he took my uh, Harvard Power Droid because we ended up completing a trade while he was doing my kids' teeth. So... Um, that might be the best dentist story for Star Wars collectors ever, I would think. Certainly sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> Take has a huge following throughout the world, but much more often than not, it's referred to as the site for checking for weapons. How do you feel about that comment, and what are the other exciting areas of Take that you would point people to? Well, I'm, I'm very excited by the comment. I mean, to you know, to be caretaker of a site that's known worldwide is is kind of humbling. I, I think that's fantastic. Now, granted, I, I know where you're going with the question, which is, are you just you know, do you want to be known for just more than the weapon site? And yes, absolutely. the The forum has a ton of information on it. It transcends the easiness of the weapons and the poon troopers, and it delves into things. Like, you know, our Letty site is probably the easiest thing. Um, you know, that was grown organically over the years. We've had so many contributors that have made it into uh, a fantastic resource. Um, I'm just going to name two people, and I apologize to anyone that I'm going to miss on this one. But, um, you know, Horatio, known as, I, I, it's either Ozio or Ozio, O-Z-I-O. 
and uh, Marco, who was a former TIG staff member. Um, those guys put so much effort uh, into making that thread, along with others. Um, you know, that's a great resource that's not on the gunnery, but on the gunnery forum. That's just one example. So people that want to really kind of learn beyond the classic Kenner 92 mix, the forum's got so much good information. Um, the limelights have things that you might not even know exist. I won't use myself as an example, but um, uh, Apollo, who's one of our members, just posted up a slew of Meccanos and Harberts and, you know, a great piece of, of French history and Italian history, you know, that you can see on there. The Resource Center for uh, learning about Polk and PBP stuff. I mean, those are just some real easy examples uh, of what's out there. Um, I, I would encourage people, if anything, just to go into the forum, grab a cup of coffee, sit down and just kind of start digging through. There are a lot of stickies, which are at the top of each category that kind of have our highlight reel, if you will. And you can learn a lot. I mean, when I started collecting and, and you know, it's funny, I, I'm embarrassed because there are guys who've been doing this 20, 30 years who compared to my, you know, roughly seven or eight years. But when I started, I mean, my goal was blue snaggletooth. I thought that was it. Like that was the pinnacle of collecting because I'd never have a vinyl cave Jawa because that was outside of my range. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I'm the first to admit that I was so underexposed to the collecting world and I'm lucky that people who kind of, you know, saw that I wanted to learn and saw that I wanted to be educated pushed me in the directions of what resources were around at the time to help broaden my horizon. So my, my answer would be check out the forum and just see what's there. It doesn't mean you have to live there. It doesn't mean I'm not telling you to leave Facebook and, and live on TIG, but um, definitely check out the main site and the resources are endless. The people are easily selfishly say the greatest collectors we have very little drama on the site uh, we've had a couple of bulbs over the years like anything but our day in and day out lives are very cordial people are always looking to help each other out and uh and again a pat on the back to just a fantastic team you know and and i'm proud of them i mean i'm proud of i'm really proud of the site and i'm proud of the community feeling that we've fostered i mean we've done great things you know we've raised thousands of dollars for charities that's the stuff that actually makes you feel good. I mean, more, you know, the fact that we go beyond collecting and really come together as a community, that that's, if I had a legacy for my, my time at the site, I'd be more proud of that than probably anything. Yeah, um, I've certainly been involved in a lot of those community um, projects that you've run, and, and it's not yeah, about winning any of the raffles and prizes. Like that. I mean, they're, they're always nice, but it's the fact that we know what happens after the event and how it keeps going on and, and you know, the impact that that's had on somebody further down the line. And it, it's just being a part of that, which makes me feel as though that TIG really is one big international community. That you, you could, I couldn't have said it better. Now, I've been looking at some of your um, other areas of TIG that I am probably the most unartistic person in the world. I, I couldn't draw a stick man without a ruler. And <laughs> some of the some of the areas of TIG that are very, you know, probably little known are things like the diorama projects that you have going on there. I think, was it possibly Paul Ford who did the X-Wing uh, Dagobah diorama? There are huge areas devoted to these custom projects. Um, and, I, and I certainly urge people, just like what you said, to sit down and have a cup of coffee and just go through a couple of these subforms, you know, for, for an hour or so. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not a custom guy either. I'm really not. For me, and, and you know, you're saying you couldn't draw a stick man with a ruler. I, I couldn't draw a stick man 
with a ruler and a sketch of a stick man that I just had to ro- go over with the ruler. Um, so this stuff to me is just fascinating. And, and you're right. Paul did do the, um, did do the Dagobah. It's the one with the, with the, with the lighting so you can see R2 yes. and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, that's just, that's just beyond outrageous. <laughs> um, we, uh, that kind of was a great side, uh, opening. So the, the group itself is called Tashi Station. You know, uh, you know, stealing a little bit from the movie, which, you know, we often try to tie anything in somehow or another if we can. And that was just fantastic. Uh, it was a great idea and it'll either give you the desire to start trying it yourself or just really appreciate two things. One, the talent of some of the membership, which is just fantastic, uh, or just give you a sense of that every toy has, has a place in this world. It's a great way to show people that like even beater figures can have a second life and, and get a little bit of respect and love. As someone who's, you know, I, I've bought and sold so much stuff over the years and you kind of have these dollar and two dollar figures and, uh, you're like, man, like I'm never, you know, what's someone going to do with these? Yep. And then you see this, you go, ah, like that's it. And it's amazing. It's, it's just absolutely amazing. I, I have a ton of respect for people that are creative when it comes to um, recreating or, or um, you know, reproducing uh, dioramas, images, making things. Some of the custom figures made by um, Larry up, uh, Larry Gillis up in Canada, Clint up in Canada. Wow, Canadians seem to really like redoing <laughs> figures now that I think about it. But, I mean, you know, it's it's great. I mean, everything from, you know, the stuff that everyone knows, you know, making uh, an Imperial Commander into a Tarkin to custom droids. You know, people now obviously are... Are modifying some uh, pilots to look like um, the the Force Awakens pilots. So there's a never-ending sea of creativity. It's great, and it just to push my own line here. You know, we're we're not a fan of repros, so it's all great that a lot of this stuff is all pure customization into things, and not people trying to reproduce or trying to deceive in any way. So big fan of that. I'm gonna single out uh, a big shout out to Paul who did an enormous amount of work administering the uh, r- the reboot of the gunnery itself and putting in pictures and updating text, and he went above and beyond. So when, when I send out my Christmas bonuses this year, he's going to get <laughs> he's going to get double. No, I'm going to go crazy. He's going to get triple the nothing I send out to everybody every year. So, Paul, look forward to getting that. Wow, that's really generous. I'm sure Paul. I am. I'm excited. Like, I'm <laughs> Um, speaking of Paul, the last time we chatted with him, he said that you were doing one of the investigative reports into a haul of Repro Libby Levy weapons. Are there any other special TIG investigative reports in the works? Uh, at the moment, we've just published, I think, the last two that we had. We The Repro Letty weapons was a big deal. The other one that we were kind of looking into was these actual... Uh, Floating repros, uh, which we just put out in April, uh, and that was done by, uh, Stefan. You know, some guy came out with, I'm gonna try to do this off the top of my head, but I think it was a smuggler blaster, imperial blaster, endor blaster, Luke, Jawa, and Leia that had a lot of the traditional correct markings of the originals, um, and they float. So we got our hands on them. Um, we were very happy to see that the customizing of them was kind of poor. Yeah. Um, if you looked at them at it, it it's kind of weird. See, this is where, you know, I feel that TIG really helps out the community. You know, if you look at them close up, it's obvious that they're not real. 
you know, no, no doubt because they, they have flashing around the edges and stuff like that. But if somebody takes a picture from a couple of feet away in a floating glass of water, mm-hmm. you'll have no, you'll go, yeah, those have to be real. They've got the correct markings. They've got the correct, you know, the scopes are right. The uh, indentations are right. Um, you know, so all of these weapons have these little telltale signs that these weapons have that previously didn't. Leia's uh, blaster is the easiest. On the on the what would be the ammo magazine, the fake ones didn't have the screw, and the real ones did have the screw indentation. On these repros, it's got the screw and it floats. So if I'm a deceptive seller, I can just go put that in a thing of water, take a shot from a foot away. A not so observant person will see it float and go, "That's fantastic." Someone who's more observant will go, "Oh, it floats, and I can make out the screw mark." So now I really know it's okay, and then they get it. And it's not. And one of the downsides of Facebook is the enormous amount of sellers that can kind of work with with full immunity because you can PayPal gift them. They can just shut down their Facebook account and you can never see them again or they can block you. I mean, there's so many ways to deceive without protection. So that was that was an interesting find. And um, I'm glad that we got to we have some great pictures um, and uh you can really tell a lot about where, you know, people, people's goal is to create perfect reproductions. But unfortunately, I really think that people are trying to make reproductions so good they can fool people. Yeah. Um, and when I say fool, I don't mean it in the nicest way either. I'm talking uh, misleading way. Um, and then the other thing we did, which was the early bird coupon, which didn't have a reproduction in its history. In July, one was discovered. So we actually uh, did a little expose on that coupon, which to be, I mean, I have one in my possession and I got to tell you, it fooled me. I mean, it easily fooled me. Um, it took a member on Rebel Scum who had, you know, was using jeweler's loops and, and really got into it, checking it against, you know, literally taking it under a lamp, so a light source and holding it at angles to see when the ink would look different. I mean, levels of detail that were that almost no one would have done. And I'll be very honest. He told me about it, and I thought he was crazy. I'm like, no. I'm like, if there was a repro, it would have been out years ago. I've never seen one. Are you absolutely certain? And he was super diligent and came back and was like, nope. He goes, I'm telling you, this thing is fake. And sure enough, he was absolutely right. And um, he put it up on the site. So we got that up in July. So right now, things are a little calm. You know, we're going to work on revamping the forum and rebuilding that. The reference library is great. You know, the main chat area, I mean, I'm pulling it up right now. I mean, just the first sticky section of the first thing talks about the droids people, Pokin PBP, pre-production stuff, Gloss Leaked uh, Guide, Letty Guide, the project outside the box that you mentioned. I mean, that alone could probably keep you busy for a while. But, you know, go in. Understand that, you know, Star Wars is a huge uh, birth of things. And maybe you pick one thing that you like and you delve into that to try to become a subject matter expert. Um, or if you're just one of those people that has kind of a thirst to learn what's out there, you know, maybe maybe each day pick a different category just to absorb a little bit of what what's out there. And kind of get a, a better appreciation for what's there. Or what I would love to see is for you to post up, say hello, and kind of join the community. And, and there are some great conversations that can get started. And everybody's equally welcome to join in. Um, you know, we love the vintage guys. 
who have been around a while. Obviously, their knowledge is something that's always good to keep in the community. And we like new members because each new member that joins strengthens how long this site will be around and how long collecting will be at the forefront that it is. Um, and, and, you know, like I've said probably three or four times in this conversation, you know, I, I just consider myself the current custodian of the site. I won't be around forever. So I want to be able to hand this site off to the next person and have it just as thriving as the day I took it. You've made some great points there. I certainly remember one of my early posts on TIG was um, a limelight post of, I think I put the title of My Pathetic Collection or something along those lines. And virtually straight away, I had, wow, what, what do you mean a pathetic collection? 30 nice figures, a, a couple of really nice vehicles, and, and the conversation just went on from there. It was uh, such a nice introduction. Well, that's, um, that's fantastic, and I'm glad that, and that's exactly how it should go. There are a lot of people who I've talked to over the years that always look at it more competitively than it really is. There are no small collections. There aren't. There really, there's really, there's no reason anyone should ever feel below anyone else when it comes to what their scope of their collection is, what their focus is, or, or anything. Um, and that, and that's the God's honest truth. You know, when I started, you know, I mean, my collections evolved so much over my, uh, over my time here, and I've never once looked at someone's collection and said to myself, like, why would he post that? I mean, that's, first of all, you're just a jerk if you, if you ever did think something like that. But more importantly, you know, everything has value. You know, I, I would, I've looked at people's loose, you know, loose sets with, you know, not all the weapons and just average figures, but the, the passion that it brings to that person and the love that that person has for their collection, like that's inspiring more than someone who might have this killer collection that's like behind glass and very cold. And, you know, it it just shows that you don't have to have the most expensive stuff. And you don't have to have the best stuff. You have to have the stuff that makes you happy. And if you're a happy collector and you're happy with what you have, that's infectious. If you have a lot of stuff and your goal is mainly just to show off all this good stuff that you have, but you really don't care about it, you know, that's, that's frankly not as impressive. I, I remember seeing pictures of a Japanese collection. Wish I could remember. I don't think the, the, the person was even known. And it wasn't vintage, just as a side note. It was sideshow collectibles. It was, uh, Gentle Giant. The whole house was themed in all of these things. And, and I guarantee you, if I found pictures, you would look at it and go, I've seen that somewhere. Cause it, it, it made its way around, um, pretty big. But I looked at this stuff and it had to be hundreds of thousands of dollars, 40 or 50,000 pounds, just to, for your, <laughs> just keep it on, to keep it topical for you. Um, but it was the most cold and unfeeling collection I had ever seen in my life. And I wrote, I posted this to someone and I wrote, I almost, without even knowing who owns that collection, I almost feel bad for them. Because there was like no sense at all that this person remotely enjoyed it. Like it, you just had the feeling that it was there for show and it was there to show off. You just kind of got the feeling that there was no appreciation for any of it. It was just someone who had a lot of money who said, I'll buy everything Star Wars and keep it perfectly behind glass shelves on every wall in my house. But I look at someone who has a bunch of loose figures or, you know, their carded stuff. And they're excited about it and they're talking about it and they're 
you know, they've got great stories on how they found, you know, this Dieter, uh Gamorian guard for 50 cents. And the guy stopped me and said, hey, do you need this axe? And I got it all for 50. Like, those, like, kind of little stories. And you feel that excitement. That's what makes that's what makes a good collection. It has nothing to do with rarity. It has nothing to do with dollar value. It really has to do with the relationship between the collection and its collector. And if that's a good relationship, it absolutely spreads out to the people that are looking at it. Uh, and finally, John, how does somebody find TIG and the TIG form? What do they type into Google? Ah, they can type in, uh, uh, the easiest thing to do is type in Imperial Gunnery uh, or Imperial Gunnery form. That'll bring you to it. Obviously, if you type in, we come up in a number of different searches. Um, if you type in, you know, repro weapons identification, if you type in uh, Letty discussion, POC discussion, um, you know, we have pretty good Google rankings. But the easiest way, and, and luckily because the name is sort of out there, just Imperial Gunnery, www.imperialgunnery.com is the weapon site. Uh, www.imperialgunneryforum.com is the forum site. And uh, join up, you know, say hello, uh, give a big pat on the back when you see one of the moderators or developers uh, doing a good job. They, they certainly deserve it. And, um, you know, keep forums alive. Uh, and I think that's a... I don't, I'm not saying keep the TIG form alive. I'm saying keep forums alive in general. I think places like, uh, like Scum and, and, uh, and TIG and, uh, Star Wars forum are great resources. They're great community minded, uh, places to be. And, you know, social media, it's here to stay. Uh, I make no delusion that, uh, it's a fad or that it's temporary. Um, but there needs to be places off of social media that have historical significance that have the ability to be a resource and we got to keep those thriving it's good for the hobby okay thank you very much john paul and um, i'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy this interview and i encourage everybody to head over to take and we'll hope to see you there thank you The Vintage Rebellion podcast is proud to be sponsored by Vectus Auctions Limited, collectible toy specialists. You can find them online and see forthcoming or past auction results at www.vectis.co.uk. If you have a collection you may want to get valued for sale, then you can give them a ring on 01642 750616 or email them at admin, A-D-M-I-N, at vectis.co.uk. They have two sites for drop-in visits for collections in Thornaby, Stockton-on-Tees, and their postcode is TS179JZ. And they also have a site in Whitney, Oxfordshire, and that postcode is OX281UB. If you are contacting the Oxford office, please use the phone number 01993-709-424 Star Wars has spawned more star wares than anyone can count. It has become an inescapable phenomenon. We'll start with the auction roundup, and where better place to start than with our friends in the north, Vectis. We had some more of the Beaches auction. Um, that was the WoW shop find. Um, there was a Kenner Star Wars Return of the Jedi speeder bikes. Uh, there was 12 of those in a good sealed trade box. Uh, the box had a blue Palatoy label on with a category number 
and it said speeder bike Star Wars 1983 on the side. And that lot went for £1,700, which kind of places the each speeder bike, which obviously we'd assume will be mint condition, um, at well over £100 per item. So, Rich, do you think that's a little bit over the top per speeder bike? Absolutely crazy, because I, I collected the one that sold in the Vection before that, and that come to just under a thousand with all of the fees so for that one to go for double it for exactly the same item crazy and i guess it is a sealed box so you're never going to see these things and i doubt very much the person will split them i don't know but uh i think they will i think they'll open them up split yeah sell the speeder bikes off and then those shipping cases are going for quite a bit of money now aside from the containers there were some return of jedi cards and the only standout item of that was a Boba Fett Return of Jedi card, which was quite yellow, but still went for £360, which you're probably paying the usual Boba Fett tax on that. The rest of the uh, cards weren't amazing, and you could pick up a few bargains if you actually had a go at those. There was quite lots of multiples uh, of card backs. There was an interesting lot that came at Watson's Auction House in East Sussex. This was a box of Star Wars carded figures... Um, it was a group of approximately 15 Star Wars Return of Jedi Empire Strikes Back car backs. There were some Palatine ones in there. There was an Imperial Commander and C-3PO. They had their nameplates cut out. And apparently the, the figures had actually been removed from the, the bubbles themselves, but the bubbles still attached. There was a couple of Return of the Jedi cards in there which looked like they hadn't been removed. And in the box itself, you could just make out a few 12 backs and uh, what looks is probably going to be uh, a few last 17s in there as well. Um... But it's one of those auctions where I tried to get information about it. I probably saw it a little bit too late. But if anyone out there did pick it up who listens to the podcast, please get in touch. Guys, any ideas who might have got this? No, it's a bit of a gamble, isn't it, mate? But I reckon it's absolutely worth it. You can see that there's a couple of last 17 in there. There's a Star Wars card. You know, you just don't know, is it? I mean, you could hit the jackpot. It just seems a bit strange. All the bubbles are still attached, but the nameplates are cut out. I'm not actually sure £300 is really a gamble in this day and age of that market. I think you're getting money back on that easily. Yeah, for the price, I think um, you're only going to win, aren't you? All right, what, might lose 100 or 150 but I think generally that's a pretty pretty sound bet in this day and age. If that had been on a Vectis auction, I think that would have gone for maybe double that. I would probably describe Han Solo as the cynical mercenary space pirate with the cream filling, you know. <laughs> He's a nice guy. She's really a chump if she goes for Han Solo. There's also an enormous auction coming up, which I think, if I was very rich, I would be very poor after it. Now, this is the Propster auction in London, and it's going on on the 23rd of September. And this is an enormous movie memorabilia and props and all sorts of stuff on this auction. There's about 400 lots. Um, Now, I really do urge you to go and look at this, because there's some amazing pieces from films in general. I'll come to the Star Wars sort of bits that I picked out in a minute but so just to go very very sort of briefly through it, uh, things that caught my eye you've got um, from Blade Runner Rick Deckard's uh, vid phone and that's that's got a kind of an estimate of £50,000 but could go for more, you've got Fizzgig from the Dark Crystal, the actual puppet, you've got Corbin Dallas Multipass from Fifth Element, you've got the helmet from Monty Python Holy Grail, the, the Knights of the Round Table helmet, um, you've also got Spock's uh, one of Spock's uniforms uh, from the Star Trek TV series, and the Star Wars items alone are, you know, phenomenal. Um, 
I've picked out sort of three items that kind of caught my eye, and I want your your opinion on these guys. Um, the cloud car sculpture. This this is a master sculpt of a Bespin cloud car pilot from Star Wars. Now I think this this actually appeared on uh, the Chive cast uh, last time as well. I think they actually got covered because they were covering the cloud car pilot. But um, this appears to be rather cheap. It's it's only up for well a thousand pounds at the moment, but uh, I'm sure it'll go for more. Now guys. It, it, do you know more about this item? Because it just looks like a piece of movie history. This is—it seems to be the only sort of cloud car pilot model that was that was made by a guy called Rob Gemmel, who is an ILM model maker. Anyone know more about this item? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's actually—I mean, it seems to be the sculpt that was probably used inside the the model of the the cloud car itself, and it's—it's it's not it's not massively big. I think it, the dimensions are four centimeters by three by seven, so it's pretty small, and it looks very very well sculpted as well. Grant, you thought about spending a thousand on this? Yes, mate, I have actually thought about spending a thousand on it because I don't actually think they made any cloud car pilot uniforms for the film. The the character of the cloud car pilot was only a model. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty well, I'm pretty sure that, that that's the case. Um I think this is an amazing piece. Um and it's from the collection of the chief model maker Steve Gawley as well, so you've got the uh, Providence there. One of the macular piece, but they reckon between a thousand to one thousand five hundred. Yeah, I think way more than that. Yeah, I mean, what? I mean, these are only estimates for for kind of tax reasons and stuff. So, Pete, did, the way this worked, then was it a case of it, this got sculpted, and then some kind of rubber mold was poured over the top of it to create the mold, in, in which case the mold. Um, whatever it was, Poster Paris or whatever was poured in the mould to make the one for the movie? Or was it this that was actually in the movie? Um, it, it sounds like, from, from the description, that, that it, it was the, you know, the, the main mould that they used um, for the actual, the actual cast itself. So, I, I'm sure, wasn't there a picture of a cloud car pilot on the, on the front of the, the, um, the card itself? Well, you know, normally when they design things, they make busts of them as well. Yeah. So maybe this was a bust of, you know, a sort of like a design idea or concept or something. I mean, it's got, it's mm-hmm. got no arms or anything. It's just literally the, the sort of part, uh, just the upper part of the, the torso, the bust itself and the head and the helmet. So It's missing the arm with the iPhone on the end of it. Yeah, but <laughs> Venus de Milo was missing the arms and she did well out of it. I don't like Dar, and I don't mind talking about it either. I think he's a bad guy and... Uh... I would. I, I'm going to probably do my best to shoot him next time. I think he's powerful and dangerous. Lot three seven eight is the Battle of Hoth storyboard book. Uh, it's a binder containing 186 reduced size storyboards used by the ILM model miniature department, and actually has the illustrations organised by shot type, dated, and grouped accordingly with appropriate tabs. And uh, the printed storyboards actually show the date at the top with the artwork directly beneath, and includes all the descriptions of the action. Um, there are also handwritten notes. The starting price is 400 quid, um, and it's estimated to go for 800 to 1,000. Now, I think that's way, way out. I think it's going to go for a lot more. Mate, we're going we're gonna to have to revisit this next month because these these prices are way out. These things are going to skyrocket, I think. You're going to look at a couple thousand pounds for each of these. I think that's going to go for you know, 10,000 easily. Rich, you're not into paper, are you? That's got to no. that's got to like, intrigue you, surely. Well, it's it's my favourite scene from the whole of the Star Wars movie, um, but it's not something that I would appreciate having in my collection. I'd much rather that went to somebody who would who would actually appreciate it for what it is. Do you guys get a chance to look at the the auction itself? Because 
there's a few beautiful pieces on there. There was a, yep. a, a piece of Empire Strikes Back art, the original, actual hand-painted uh, piece where where you've you've even got the artist strokes on the side where he's just obviously playing with colours and and putting in a bit of texture and stuff. I mean, I mean that is just it's phenomenal pieces. Rich, any catch your your eye that you? Yeah, there's a few. I mean, obviously the the Stormtrooper helmet's going to catch everyone's eye. Um, I also like the Hoth Rebel Trooper hat. Um, my favourite is probably the Death Star Gun Tower, the oh, modern yes. miniature. I think that's a, that's a beautiful piece. But then the one that's is the most odd is the Star Tours Light Up Star Speeder, <laughs> three thousand model. It's two to three thousand. Uh, Grant, anything in there that you've you've seen that uh, that you might try and you know, remortgage a leg or something? Mate, I'd love any of it. I gotta be honest with you. I think these, these sort of items appeal to me more than you know rare carded figures and prototypes and all that kind of stuff. So if I had the money, yeah, totally. But uh, it's well out of my reach, to be honest with you, mate. But it'd be nice to see what kind of prices they go for because I don't really know much about cast and crew valuations because a lot of it is done behind closed doors. Yeah, because we saw a lot of this stuff uh, or some stuff like this at um, uh, when we thought it was a museum piece. It was actually. And a prop store uh, we actually saw in, in Anaheim on the main shop floor yeah, where, sure. where it did look like we were walking around a museum but in fact it was actually no you can buy this and they had things like Princess Leia's costume and, uh, and all sorts of bits and pieces of production art it's, I mean it, it's it, it's a shame it's being sold in some ways I mean I mean, I'm kind of tempted to go down and actually have a look hopefully they've actually got it you know, in house sitting there because I'd just like to look at it well, you know, I thought that at the end of the day, when this generation has passed away, it'd be nice to see that all of it was put together as one enormous Star Wars museum. Well, yeah, some, well, I, th- I think the wonders exist somewhere. Um, <laughs> Stu, you, you're not tempted by a bit of Death Star? Because there's a few pieces of it in this auction. If if I had the cash, some of these pieces are just amazing, aren't they? Just to have something like that in your collection. but A piece of the Death Star? Out of my price range, but I just love looking through those kind of... Um, auctions and just seeing what's what just someone does need to put together a great big museum i know it's been talked about but they need to do it do you know one of the things that concerns me with buying some of these items you know especially some of the paper items i mean it's very easy for the paper to go yellow and to go old and you know you'd really have to look after these pieces especially with such an enormous investment into them and you know like the i'm sure that the stormtrooper helmets i I don't think they take much of a smack on the ground before they crack and break pretty much sure if you're going to spend 10 grand on something you're going to display it properly I'm hoping, I don't think anyone's that stupid to to want to kill their investment off straight away, so I'm pretty sure but there is that possibility that someone might just go right, oh yeah, yeah, I've got this, you know I own this, and they just stick it in a in a box and it ends up in a storeroom or or somewhere, I mean it's it's almost a shame that this stuff comes up and it, and it gets sold off, I really do hope someone is assembling a really beautiful collection of these sort of things, I mean I kind of hope that Sansweet is going to buy all of it to put it in his put it in his uh, museum um, in, in Rancho Oberon. I can't see it because th- there's a lot of money there, but it is it's stuff that I hope we do see again because I would love to look for the pages of some of these these binders and storyboards and stuff. Yeah. Does, um, does Sansweet buy that sort of merchandise? Yeah, yeah, he's got like a prop section at Rancho Oberon. Beautiful. I think he's got like he, I've seen several parts of the Death Star that he's got, and I think he's got some of the ca- uh, Cantina masks as well. So, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, if anyone in the UK does have a lot of this stuff, is, is going to be investing in a lot of this stuff, then uh, please let us come in your house and have a look at it. I'd love to. 
And now, the top five priced figure-related items from StarWarsTracker.com. At number five, it's everyone's favourite thermal detonating carbonite defroster. Princess Leia Boosh Power Force Coin for $895. Straight in at number four, he's from Mexico and has tentacles for hair. It's a loose burgundy caped Bib Fortuna Lady for $1,025. It's not a music chart, and this guy has no vinyl. It's a cloth cape Kanajawa with white stitching for $979. This guy's torpedoed in at number two with the power of a Sarlacc belch. It's a Lady Lady Boba Fett with removable rocket. Just $1,511 US dollars. And false ghosting his way directly into number one. It's Anakin Skywalker, Power the Force Mark, for a spectral $9,640 US dollars. See you guys next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5. There was a couple of interesting parts of Facebook and the forums. Um, now, I can't talk too much about this, um, but there was a Yak Face Power the Force um, car back which was up on Facebook and went for seven and a half thousand dollars. Um I believe that's American dollars. Um for a card back. You know, for a, a you know, a mock a mock rich. An MOC. A mock. Oh an MOC, I know a, what you mean an now. MOC, so. yes. <laughs> I was trying to trying to come around it another way. But um that's the first one I've seen for quite a while for about quite a few years that that, that I've been able to find on forums and stuff. So I can't say any more about it. You know, that's all. It's, it's just a, a kind of a marker to say that that's kind of a, the current price. Didn't seem to be too much negotiation, and it seemed to go very quickly, uh, which was completely shocking that someone forked out seven and a half thousand dollars on a, a rather yellow-looking yak face. To be fair, but there we go. Um, when I found that last one that sold on eBay was three thousand for yeah. Power of the Force. Bit of a big difference there, isn't it? Well, yeah, seven that's seven and a half thousand dollars. So. Was that pounds you're talking about? No, it was dollars as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that is a massive jump then, because it wasn't. I mean, it was it was it was nice, but it wasn't mint, minty mint or anything. So, and finally, we had one on. We had something interesting on the forum, which I think was way overpriced. It was the one of the early bird sets, and we had a cheeky little scamp who wanted ten grand for it. Now, I think that's slightly overpriced, and uh, he got a short shrift from a few a few of our um, our friends. Anyone? Give me a sort of a, a normal price on that. I have I have no idea on early bird sets. Uh, let's just give him. He did drop the price by two and a half thousand. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I dropped, I it, it dropped it down to half. seven and a half. Yeah, I think that's probably even a touch too high. I think probably close out to six. Uh, the, the thing with this one is, is that wasn't the Luke baggy a different kind of baggy? Yeah. Was it a, a D? Yeah, Star Wars D D T Luke, which is incredibly rare apparently. Which yeah. Is, that that is what hiked the price up. I mean, oh, I yep. see. So was ten thousand not that particularly bad a price then? No, it was too high still. Well, uh, Christian came on and he knows a hell of a lot about you know he specialises in the early bird stuff and he said he said it, looking at around six thousand euros, so you know it's still a hell of a lot of money. So <laughs> it's a big <laughs> item. It's uh, it's a bit from left field, but it's definitely a big uh, desired item. Yeah, cause I we, thought the Pope was quite honest in his in his advert with everything that it was. You know, it had a couple of flaps missing, didn't it? If I remember rightly, and he had taken on board people's discussions and had dropped it to an half grand. He may have just been way out on his estimations. It may just be. It's hard to price something like this, isn't it? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. And you know, 
I'll just be plucking a figure out of the air. Well, these days you could buy a Kylo Ren for ten pound in Toys R Us and sell it for twenty five quid on eBay. So why not? <laughs> exactly. So. I was quite chuffed that it wasn't on an auction. It was actually, you know, someone's actually trying to go through the collectors and trying to get get it. You know, it could easily go to auction and try and get something for it. I mean, he might be slightly scared of getting a lower price, but maybe it's a, a slight turn for the better that that people are going to the collectors first and saying, "Hey, guys, you know, I've got this item. I know it's a high end item. I know it's going to cost a lot of money, but there are are actually, you know." You know, with the Facebook group, with the the Yak face, someone's going right. I'm going to go for the the fans first and see see what it is. I mean, I mean, and, and that's why I think in the past we've it's been a bit of a shame seeing some of these guys who who are collectors go into auction houses really really quickly and kind of bypassing the the collectors who really will value these things. I'm mean, not saying that you know auction you know auction winners won't value them, but I think it's quite nice to see, even though it was overpriced. I still think it was good. Its power derives from something simpler and rarer. The romantic spirit that moves in it. Before it, we are all young again, and everything seems possible. Right now, I want to welcome back Chris Fawcett for this month's rapid fire. Are you ready to go, Chris? I'm ready. Okay, favorite Star Wars movie? Uh, New Hope, first one. Favourite Star Wars scene? Jedi Throne Room. Favourite on-screen character? Han Solo. Which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? This was a tough one, I was thinking about it, but I think, like, Lorne Peterson. I just love the models and stuff, so it'd be cool to meet one of the guys that was involved in making the models. Favourite part of the prequels? Um, I gotta say, Mace Windu. I mean, how can you not like Samuel Jackson as a Jedi with a purple lightsaber? Which OT character are you most looking forward to seeing in The Force Awakens? Han Solo. Which character are you most like to see a standalone movie of? Uh, again, Han Solo. Uh, your favourite lightsaber, Joel? i got to say The Throne Room again. That's my favourite scene, so it's got to be my favourite lightsaber. Yeah. Um, your favourite figure as a child? You know, I don't think I had a favourite, but I think my favourite was always whichever one was the newest one I got. And your favourite figure now? Uh, Han Hoth. And which character do you wish they'd made a figure of? Probably Tarkin. I know that's kind of a lame figure. That you know, the reason they didn't make it is because kids wouldn't like it. But how can you not have a main character like that as a vintage figure? Uh, your favorite playset or vehicle? Um, I'd say the X-wing. Favorite vintage Ewok toy? I'm gonna go with Chief Chirpa, but I'm gonna say the cartoon version from the Ewoks cartoon, not the yeah. Kenner uh, movie version. Favorite photo on a vintage card back? That's I think that's a draw. I love the hand trench power of the force and I love the R2 D2 power of the force. Those two cards are my favorite card backs. Your favorite foreign toy license? Probably Meccano. What was the last vintage toy you purchased? I got off eBay just recently a misprinted ESB hand hoth on card. It's really weird. The the it's like the front of the card is printed about a half inch too far to the left. So the racetrack on the left side is like right at the edge of the card back, and on the right side there's a much larger black gap. And then, of course, the figure's mounted where it should be, so it looks like he's to the right of where the bubble area is. What is the best convention you've ever attended? The best one? Man, all the celebrations were great. I don't know if I could pick which one of those was the best, except it 
probably wasn't C1 because that was <laughs> kind of miserable in the rain. But I think this last one was actually probably the best, the one in Anaheim. It was just the attendance was way up and the collector panels were packed and it was just a lot of fun. And what is the most important thing for you to make a good convention? Uh, as many friends as possible that are there and around and hanging out and spending time with. You grading is? Terrible. And finally, what is your Holy Grail item? Holy Grail item would be a set of Hoth prop macro binoculars that I know exists and I know a collector who has them. And so <laughs> that would be that would be my Holy Grail. Not a toy exactly, but still Star Wars collectibles. So Well, Chris, thank you ever so much. Right, on to our own rapid-fire question for this month, then. And I've chosen to go this month with, what is your favourite mini-rig? So a nice, quick one. Let's start this with Grant. Oh, I do be honest, I think MLC3. Any reason? Yeah, I like, you know when you go to an aquarium and you can stick your head in through one of those domes and see all the fishes around you? That's just like an MLC3. Yeah, nice, nice, I like that. Jez? I like the laser cannon, the laser tri-cannon with the hose in the box. Is that a mini-rig? <laughs> it's not a spaceship. <laughs> yeah, that is a mini rig. Oh, can I do one again? No, go on, ask me again, ask me again. Go on, what's your favourite mini rig? MLC3. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Richard. Mine's an ISP6 because it at least looks like something that was in the movies, like the Imperial Shuttle. Fair enough. And PD? The vehicle maintenance energizer, because it looked like what Chewbacca used to get it with, so I could have it with my Millennium Falcon, and it looked like he was fixing it. I'm going to go with the um, Desert Sail Skiff. Uh, I didn't have one as a kid, but I think it would have been brilliant because I used to love playing the old Empire scene. Oh, the what scene? Empire scene. Oh, the Return of the Jedi. I was meant to say Sarlacc. <laughs> the old Sarlacc scene in Return of the Jedi. Oh, that's, so you said Empire instead. Yeah, just uh, going with the flow, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget we love to receive feedback here at the Vintage Rebellion and you can contact us and find us on many different social media outlets. But uh, look us up on Facebook and give us a like. By following our page on there, you will see photos of uh, over the fortnight that follows the show of all the various things we discuss. You can also find us on Twitter at SWTVR Podcast, on Instagram at The Vintage Rebellion, and on our new email address, which is show at vintagerebellion.co.uk. Now, talking of feedback, Rich, have we had much from last month? Have we had much? I've, I've spent an hour going through the feedback that we've had, but I've just picked out a few highlights. Craig Stevens' interview was a huge hit with the UK and European listeners, but it wasn't so much with the American listeners. It really makes a bit of sense, doesn't it? Um, when we tried to release a podcast um, um, aimed at the global market, there'll be some sections that are more interested to ones that are Star Wars fans than others, and, and that's absolutely fine. Um, however, following on from that interview, Ian Palafan mentioned that he still had his shreddy transfers he also weighed in on the debate with regards to the buttons on the Han Solo blaster. And what he commented was, if you've listened to the podcast, it mentions that the special hidden feature button on the Han Solo blaster is only black on the Star Wars issue and orange on the Empire Strikes Back and Jedi issues. However, on his, it's black on the Empire Strikes Back one. And with a little bit of research, he found out that you can get black and orange buttons. Um, he said he's no idea if there's a certain style of box that the variations occur on, but he thought it was worth a mention. And it also looks like the Empire Strikes Back one comes with both black and silver knobs that hold the battery compartment in place. And this was backed up by another member, um, Lom, 
who mentioned that his Blaster was uh, Silver Knob 2. So thanks, guys, for your feedback. We'll learn something new all the time. Now, the Facebook debate got exactly the reaction that we thought it would. It's very pleasing to say that many forum regulars have signed up to Facebook and have contacted some of us to say, come on, guys, which, which groups should I check out and what advice can you give us for using the Facebook groups? And that's brilliant. However, we did get a lot of criticism, and we expected this, as it was deemed to be too, free, uh, too pro-Facebook, which is fine, and we'll be following up with more forum regulars to balance the debate out, perhaps before revisiting in six, mo- six months or so time to see how things are going. Chipsteak has asked for more coverage of Star Wars in general, and I think this is perhaps something for you, Grant. What he's asked for is, can we look at things from 1970 to 85, um, such as the Star Wars in the magazines, um, Star Wars on the TV, um, any kind of press cuttings, and it's possibly an idea for some kind of oddball that we may have at some point. Yep, that sounds like a good idea. I'd love to do it. It's really nice that Colin Tors, uh, DB94, found a picture that he drew of him going to receive his hand blaster back in the early 80s. And I shared that on our Facebook page and, and a few guys like that. So th- thanks, Colin. That was brilliant. The Jared Cope interview went down well. We got a lot of positive feedback from that. And a few people headed over to the Star Wars track and check it out, which is great. And we've had lots of requests for guys to come on. And I mean, it's obviously great that we've got so many people who want to come on. And personally, I made the mistake of reaching out to too many people earlier on in the year. And we were booked solid right up until November, December with some great guests. So moving forward, what we're probably going to do is we'll work two or three months ahead. We'll invite guests who you guys want to hear from. And we're going to try and match them up with the show's theme. So anybody who wants to come on the show, just send one of us a message. And although we can't guarantee that we'll have you on in, in a month or two's time, we'll certainly add you to the list and, and we'll work down. So so thanks, guys. Right, so some great feedback again, Rich. So seriously, drop us a line. We love to hear feedback on the show. Nods to any new acquisitions for Jez. If you maybe want to be part of the show, like Rich just said, just let us know. You can listen to all our podcasts right back to the start by either searching Vintage Rebellion on iTunes or going to SWTVR Podcast. .podbean.com. Whichever of these outlets you use, please leave us a review. We truly appreciate it. Now, on to the uh, quiz where we're looking to find the ultimate knowledge from the podcast crew. Currently, off the first two months, we've seen the score sit like this. Grant has a maximum score so far of eight points. Richard's on seven. Jez is on five. And Pete is currently on two and a half. Now, this month was meant to be questions on their previous podcast sections, but I haven't had the time to go through everything yet, so pushing that back until October. So this month, we have got some big points available in Who, Where, What. Now, you will each in turn choose how many points you wish to play for. You can play for five points and get just one clue. Four points and get two clues. Three and three, two, you know, etc., etc. Now, you have three of these, so you could take home 15 points. So, obviously, the clues start harder and get easier, depending on how many you choose. First of all, it is who, okay? I've chosen four people from the Star Wars universe. So, Grant, you're going to go first as you're the leader. Which number do you want, first of all? One, two, three, or four? Uh, three. Three, right. And how many clues would you like? How many points would you like to play for? I will warn you, if you play for five or four points, it will be pretty tough, okay? Three. You want to play for three points, okay. Right, Richard, you follow him. If he gets this wrong, you will get to hear all of the uh, clues for one bonus point. So, Grant, I fly a ship called the Mist Hunter. I am of the Gand species. 
I am forced to wear a special breathing mask that protects me from harmful oxygen that also provides me with the gases that are essential to our species. And this is Star Wars. It's Star Wars, <laughs> yeah. And all the information is taken from the uh, fact files. Grant, any idea? Is it the cantina alien with the big goggles and the Hoover tube coming out of its head? That is incorrect. Right, Richard, you're following him, so you get to listen to all five clues now to earn one bonus point, okay? Yep. Okay. I am regarded as one of the galaxy's most naturally gifted trackers. And finally, I was hired by Jabba the Hutt regularly, and it was Jabba that suggested I work with another bounty hunter, the droid 4LOM. It's Zookus. That is correct. I got that with Mist Hunter. I know the Mist Hunter ship. That's really annoying. Did they mention it in the end credits or something? No, they didn't, but I knew knew it from something else. Right, Rich, do you want one, two, or four? Well, I'm number one, so I'm going to go with one. Number one. Okay, and how many points do you want to play for? Right, so I'm I'm tied with Grant now, Wanna? I'm going to go... I'm going to go for a four-pointer. You're going to go for four points, so it means you're going to get two clues. Okay. Yep. Good. Best of luck with that, then. I am tall at 1.96 metres. Trapped by my greed, I died on Mustafa. All oh, right, it's going to be one of the. All oh, right, I'm going to go with. I always get these prequel ones. Um, the one with the stupid eyes. Pete. What are you guys talking about? They've all got stupid eyes, Rich. Jez, get ready because you will get to hear the rest of the clues if he gets this wrong. I can picture it, but I just can't think of it. If the name, it's one of the ones with big rubbery lips. Jez, you get to hear <laughs> the other three. Yeah. Is okay. I am of Nemodian species. I have a strong affiliation with the Trade Federation. At the height of my career, I served as a settlement officer to Newt Gunray. Yeah, okay. It is Peter File. Right. Can, can I have a go, Stu? You can have a go, Pete, yep. Is it Locked Odd? Oh, no. Oh. oh, can I have a go? Go on, Grant. Is it Wat Tambor? No, it was Rune <laughs> Haku. That's him, Rune Haku. Jez, do you want two or four? Number two. Number two, okay. And how many points do you want to play for? Two. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, do you know what? I don't blame you, Jess, because if you get it right, you'll um, be right back on their tail. Okay, so you get four clues. I use a Westar 35 blaster pistol. I attended the Imperial Academy on Mandalore, trusting the Empire implicitly. When I fled my homeworld of Mandalore, I was helped by the Wookiees. I am extremely athletic and an expert in explosives and street art. Oh, I know. Oh, um... Oh, man, I wish I watched Rebels more. <laughs> That's the chicken Rebels who is called Sabine. It is correct, Jez. Well done. Two points. <laughs> he, he didn't give a name. He's got to give a whole name, surely. Do you know a surname, Jez? Uh, I think on Evans. the uh, cards it just says Sabine. So it's Sabine Wren, but I'm going to give you it, OK? Oh. Right, so, Pete, that leaves you number four. <laughs> OK, how many do you want to play for here? I've got to go for four, and I, really? You're going for four points? Yeah, I've got to. OK, OK, best of luck. Choice. I left the swamps and wetlands of my homeworld to seek my fortune, plundering and murdering throughout the galaxy. I used to have a partner who was an arms dealer called Jothal Merritt until he was killed by bounty hunter Jodo Cast. Jothal? No idea. Uh, Uncle Gundy. (laughs) Bad luck. Grant, you get to hear the other three. I expect you to pick the points up here. I am of Aqualish species from the world of Ando. I settled on Tatooine with my final partner under the aliases of Rufu and Sorky. I picked the wrong fight whilst in Tatooine, losing a limb to a Jedi's lightsaber. Oh, that's easy now. So easy. Last clue. Push him. Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> I've been <laughs> answering them. What's the matter with you guys? Yeah, it's Ponder Baba. Well done, mate. One point for you there. 
So, right, we're going to try and do this one a bit quicker, okay? Because we've got where and what. Now, where is a destination in the Star Wars universe, but it might not necessarily be a planet. It might well be um, Docking Bay, whatever, you know? Could be different places, okay? So just to warn you of that, it's not always a planet. So, Grant, one, two, three, or four? Uh, two. Okay, two. How many clues do you want to go for? How many points? How many points? Two. Two points, so four clues. Okay, right, here we go. My large open spaces are dominated by monumental statues of off-world heroes. I am nicknamed the Hub. The entire surface of the planet glitters like an immense jewel, the effects of the billions of lights. Imperial Palace and Monument Plaza are two places of interest on this planet. That's, that is so Coruscant. It is indeed. Well done. Uh, Rich, one, three or four? Wait, I went one last time and I got prequels. I'm going to go three. You're going with three. Right. How many points do you want to go for? Well, I, I need to catch up with Grand Donna, so what did Grand go for two? Yeah. I'm going to go for three. Okay. Three clues. The arrival of humans transformed me into the jewel of the cosmos. Vast winged beasts called Thranta were used as a popular means of travelling across the planet's surface. My landscape was notable for many striking features, such as the petrified mounds of the extinct Killick insects. Stuart, what have you been doing recently, mate? Is it, I'm going from the jewel point, is it Alderaan? It is, um, Rich, well done. Three points. Man, that's good. The other two clues were really giving it away, but well done. Jez, one or four? Number one, please. Push him. How many clues? <laughs> How many points? <laughs> I will have... Um, Two points, four clues. Two points, four clues. Here we go, then. Around the fringes of this place are communal huts, reserved for groups of unmarried females, elders, and visitors. Small huts constructed by unmarried males are built so they can live a period of solitary life in the forest, fending for themselves. Buildings are scattered and separated by distance between adjacent trees, providing protection against any predator that gains access to a single hut. The main buildings are interconnected by suspended bridges wooden ladders, and sturdy ropes constructed from twisted bark fibres. Is that the forest moon of Endor? Think slightly smaller what's on the forest moon of Endor. The Ewok village. Well done, yes, two points. (laughs) Whoa, 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 I think you should have passed that one on. There's no ladders. Anyone ever seen an Ewok climb a ladder? No. (laughs) I'm going with lots of the fact file, and they have got drawings with ladders. But they are drawings, I will will say. So, Pete, you've got number four. How many points would you like to play for? Oh, go for three. Three points you're going for. Okay, three clues. Think about these, because you, you, you should get this. I was once a peaceful monastery. I was transformed from a monastery into a fortress by a sworn enemy of the sand people called Alkhara. My alcoves and recesses of my inner sanctum hide all manners of terror. Oh, clever go. All manners of terror? Clever go. It is, you, it is you to hear the other two clues if he doesn't get it. I don't need them. I think I know this one. Genosia, where it's called. That is incorrect. Grant, do you want to hear the other two clues? Jabba's Palace. That is correct. Well One point for Grant there. Okay, final is what? Okay, these are all from the vintage toy line. So it should be a bit easier. You might be able to take a gamble on this. Grant, one, two, three, or four? Uh, mate, I'm going to go for a three, I think. Well, you're going for three points, but which number do you want? Two. I was first packaged in 1984 under the Return of the Jedi logo. You can carry me by using the see-through scope. I have a compartment for storing accessory items and secret messages. <sighs> Compartments. Push him. Carry him. Push him. Don't Push get away. Oh, is it the laser rifle carry case? It is the life rifle. Bam! Three points. He is good. He is good. Right, Rich, one, three, or four? So these are vintage. I'm not going to get a prequel one here, am I? Uh, everything's vintage, okay? Right, I'm going to go three. <coughs> You've gone with three. 
I think this is the easiest, okay? Um, how many points do you want to go for? I was a bit scared by Grant's, because if he had to win for four, his clue would have been it was released in 1984. And you can carry a um, see-through scope, which might have helped. <laughs> I'm going to go three. You're going to go with three. Okay, three clues. I was originally released in 1980 and had an average retail value of 8.99. My original box art included me with 3PO, R2, Han Hoth, Leia and two Hoth Rebel soldiers. I had a new version of myself released in 1982. It's the Atat? No. That is incorrect. Jez, you will hear the other two clues. Okay. Push him. The other two are, I came with movable front legs and a trap door for action figures to sit. My second incarnation came with a split belly to reenact the classic scene from Empire. Jez, Taunton is correct. Well done, Jez. So, Jez, one or four? I'm going to go for number one. Number one, how many points? I'm going to go four. Four points. Two points. Two points. Two points, four close. (laughs) Right, here we go. I was originally released in 1979 and was sold on average for 11.99. Although released in the Star Wars line, I didn't appear in A New Hope. I was released in the UK with either a blue or yellow base. I came with many parts, including a mast, a boom, a pivot pin, and a long hydraulic tubing. Oh, kinky. Wow, that is so hard. Am I going to be massively wrong if I said Joy Factory? That is correct, Jez. Two points. Oh, jeez. So, Pete, well, you have hey. number four. How many points would you like to go for? I'll have to just go all out and go three. Going for three points. Right, Pete. I first appeared in 1978. I was quite a bit larger than my standard version and also double the price. I can carry four action figures, two in the pilot and co-pilot seats, and two attached to the foot pegs on my back. Uh, was, uh, wasn't the land speeder, was it? Oh, nice. A bit more? Oh, come on. Land speeder, a little bit more. What? Think of that was the standard. What was the larger one? Oh, the, oh, the remote control land speeder. That is correct, Pete. Three points. Yes, points. <laughs> nice, nicely done there, mate. That was the tricky one. Yep, it was. Right. So the points after that round, then we have Grant is the leader on fifteen. Jez has moved into second on twelve Ooh. points. Richard is on eleven points, and Pete is on five and a half. Five and a half. Richard's has been Right. Well, that is all we have time for this month. So a huge thank you to Chris Fawcett. Don't forget to check out his article in The Insider next week. John Paul Ragusa and Daniel Burgess. So huge thank you for listening. So it is good night from Richard. Good night, guys. Good night from Grant. Thanks for listening. Goodbye from Jezebel. Cheers, guys. And good night from Peedy Weedy. Stop touching that and might spit at you. It's good night from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Teddy!
Very good. Right, well let's just let's just do Rich and Pete's just for a just for a chuckle, okay? Pete. Are you ready? Hang on. Hang on. Gotta find some water, hang on. Water. I've got a dry throat. <sighs> Go on. Pete. I wish they'd given Hello. Carrie Fisher a masked character during the original movies, as her face is horrendous and offends me. Go. It did, Bush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go, Pete, go. Yeah, they did. They did. What can I do? They did. They gave her a mask. They obviously didn't like her by the time she got over the age of 25 and stuck a mask on her head and got around parading around in a silly outfit. Because uh, obviously she was becoming far too well known and beautiful, and George Lucas, who thought he was very very beautiful, uh, couldn't take it. So uh, yeah, that uh, that hideous face over twenty five had to be covered up. So they stuck a mask on her, and uh, had her fallen in love with Han Solo in a block of carbonite. That is it. All right. And finally, Rich, you ready? Go on. I wish I lived in the south of England where there is plenty of employment and decent wages rather than living in a depression in the north. That way I could enjoy buying vintage toys with their packaging rather than loose toys with broken weapons and loose limbs. Go. Well, you know what? I do wish I lived in the south of England, right? Because there were so many accessories out there that I haven't got a clue what they're for. You know, like, I've heard that you guys have, like, indoor toilets and um, running water and stuff like that. I mean, come on. That is really wimpy. There's, there's nothing better than just get up in the morning, I don't know, headbutting the wall to break the dirt off your face, and then heading off to the toy shop, beating some guys up on the way to get some money, um, getting the kishiao over, over the desk, punching his face in, and then heading off down to the south where you can sell them to you lot at a mark-up of 50%. Best days of my life. Yeah. 